Everybody, oh my gosh, we got Mr. Rico freaking blocks here. What up, DJ Hyperactive up in the cop? Yo, that's fucking cool. So we already got some people watching. That's fucking fresh. So welcome, everybody. Welcome to another interview over here at Behind That Suit. My name is the family. But more importantly, we have with us what I would call another Montreal legend. Why I say legend? Because legends are the people that are still doing it. I don't give a fuck what anybody says about their versions and definitions. I mean, I do care. Don't get me wrong. You're all entitled to opinions. But my opinion is straight up a legend is about longevity, right? If you don't have the longevity and you didn't die, because there's some exceptions there, then you're not a legend. So, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to announce that we're going to take a little... So we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to restart our little fucking intro because the video will be trash anyway. So what's good, everybody? What's good, everybody? And welcome to another interview over here at Behind That Suit, the unprofessional interview show where we forget to cut the music. That's cool. Again, my name is Holden Stefanroy, and joining me is Montreal legend Rico Blocks. And why do I say legend? Legends to me is a little bit about longevity, right? This guy has been at this game for a very long time and we are going to walk through his story tonight and we are going to learn all about that. But before I get into that, I just have to say like, so I started rapping in 2012, a little story time for myself. I feel like it's fair. Um, I basically came in with the ego. I'm 25, 26 years old. I feel myself. You know what it is. And I was talking all that shit about I'm the best, I'm the best, this and I'm the, but I didn't know Rico Blocks existed in the city and had done things and many others that is kind. And then I heard some Rico Blocks today and I'm like, that's why those motherfuckers were like, shut the fuck up, punk, you don't know what you're talking about. Because the level of professionalism, quality, and you know what? Fun vibe. I listened to a bunch of his shit today. I don't know the years on any of them. All of them could have come out today and been a good vibe. And the fact that he was able to pull that off musically and y'all were just, it was just playing, you know, you just heard some because, you know, of my little intro. And then later on when people come in, we can cut some tunes in and let them hear little samples there. But y'all heard how well made it all sounds. So I don't have to justify that right now, but that made me realize. And then I look at how bad my 2012 shit sounded like. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> now it makes Yo, I got sense. I got shit that sounds bad from 2003. Trust me. <laughs> that's fresh. Um, but I want to get back onto you because that's the whole point. But I love hyping it up. That was my intro for you because that's what I thought about. I thought about how cocky I was and how fucking finessed you were at that time in this city. And I'm sure a lot's happened in life. But I like to start off the interview, on the, especially because it's a bit of a musical journey, right? And... I want to go back to the beginning of your musical inceptions, which I realized it really starts with chores and shit. So what I mean is I'm doing this this moment. I'm walking in the kitchen. My girlfriend's bumping the black eyed peas. The, I got a feeling that shit there. And you know what? We're in our early 30s. And that shit was banging 10 years ago. Let's be real. When we was all in the clubbing ages and shit. I remember being out with the homies and dancing to that shit in particular. And I'm like, no shit, man. So what I realized is club music is chores music. And then I realized after asking this question a few times, there's fucking car musics and there's, but all of it is the shit that your parents forced you to listen to good or bad. It doesn't matter. You didn't pick that. So the beginning of your musical journey actually isn't your choices. That's, that's the boring question to me to start with. The real start is what did your parents force you to listen to when you was little that really started your musical journey? Oh, you're going to love this. And I, I heard you say this, this particular perspective about chore music. And I, I wanted to say even that, like, I agree. 
music is exactly like that in the sense that every song you listen to has a vibe almost has a purpose at least for me like i know when i'm doing different things i have a playlist oh if i'm driving i got a playlist for that i got a playlist if i'm going to work out i got a playlist if i'm throwing a party or i'm chilling with my peoples and i want to and i got a playlist for oh these are instrumentals i would just randomly freestyle to for no reason like but it all equates to you, you you put it to a task a moment something you're doing it's the soundtrack to your life you know what i mean i do um my musical journey is so to put it in perspective my dad was um he grew up in cairo egypt but he's italian he okay. moved here he was like 13 didn't speak english french so this guy worked hard his whole life but for some reason he loved two live crew and ice cube and so he had these two tapes he had our old nissan Sentra, and he had these two tapes now, these are the last two tapes you want to give to a six-year-old. Or I was seven, maybe. Seven, eight, at the, at the most eight. And that's the last thing you want to give to a kid my age. But he did. And honestly, I, I got with it because of the, the shock value. I was with it. And then it wasn't for a while. And then, honestly, I think around the time where it was, I started getting some Run DMC and some Rakim around, like, nine 10-ish mm. um and that that was really fucking so dope about, to me because before we before we get to there because we're actually moving ahead that that's actually the follow-up question to this question okay. is gonna lead to that period because yo this shit's all in phases right like i'm realizing life's yeah. about phases what about your mom though also i forget to ask this question are you born up in montreal and I... yeah born in montreal raised in laval shamadi for life all day and uh your mom my mom grew up in LaSalle. I mean, in terms of what kind of music was she bumping? Well, my mom is like Celine Dion. She, I mean, she's not really somebody who listens to music randomly. So it's mm. a very depth, depth, different life. My mom's more like, you know, she, she likes her TV. She likes stuff. And, you know, she loves Celine Dion. She loves a few things, but her taste is not very eclectic musically. But, you know... She's still very like she can listen to hip hop when if I'm listening to it. If I was next to her listening to it, she would not flinch at all. So like there, she can listen to anything, but mostly it's like Celine Dion, Whitney Houston ballad type stuff. Okay. You know, that's what she like. So that would have also been part of your little musical influence, though, right at the beginning, right? I much less. I, I I mean I I would like to give it some credit to some degree, but like I was hearing those ballads. Anyways, like this is the stuff you the school dances. This is the stuff mm. of like you. It comes okay. From, so her vibes mm. came from places that were already coming from. So it didn't have as much impact on me as my dad at six years old giving me, you know, Ice Cube and or seven years old Ice Cube and Two Live Crew. Like I that. Really was like, love that you said that. That's really yeah. cool. That's a great distinction, right? Because I suppose there is always the pop music of the time, which is always the general nuance. And if that's what your mom was into, it's not going to bear a bigger significance as something yeah. like, you know, your dad. And okay, fair enough. I accept that. That's it really cool. so much either part of her daily journey. Like my mom is a person who worked from age of 17, taking care of her whole family. Mm. And so like downtime and music, and these were not things that were like, felt like options to her. I was a kid. She was working three jobs because my dad passed when he was when I was ten. So she Sorry was. about the last. No. From there, like, and listen, that I've it, I appreciate the condolences, but it, it is something I'm long past now at this point. I mean, don't get me wrong; it'll always be a sad thing, but you know, there there is a an expiration date on how much it can be like 
yeah man it's like i like i already did that but right. th- it did impact things so it comes back to a point probably later on but wow. in the end it was basically at that point i was absorbing music from so many other places tv video games whatever it was i was because i'm a gamer i'm a comic book head I'm super 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 comic book head. like all right that i read comics to this day like so but i get inspiration from a bit of everywhere and i i my my expression is music but i pretty much love everything about the arts you know what i mean i'm a movie buff i love Ah, we're gonna like get said, into all of this shit. We're gonna we're gonna break so, it down. So let's go back then to the second phase of this this journey, because it can be bigger than music. Because yo, honestly, comic books is our all of it's fucking part of it. Um, the second phase is about the musical identity of yourself, which is kind of where you were leading to a little bit before, where you were like, I started yeah. to resonate with this particular thing more. And we 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 in the, we, in these interviews figured out it's about puberty, somewhere around there. Uh, it doesn't necessarily exactly correlate, but it's that phase of life. So yeah, let's go back to that. What were like the beginnings of like you were latching on to things? Like for myself, Cisco's Thong Song. That was the first thing for me. That was it. That was the song that made me go, I like music. I was like in a red. No worries. Red light. After hours raving. Like when that was out, girls was out. That's fair enough. I mean, I'm a little bit younger. It's just kind of the of the yeah. times, but um. So yeah, let's but go back that to particular you. time frame was a big time frame of music because that six year difference though spawned retarded stuff. Like, like honest, oh, we should dodge that word. The R word is not nice on Twitch. Oh, I didn't mean it like that. But crazy nah, it's all stuff, good. But, but um. Basically, though, what was the beginning of what you latched onto? I, you started to mention it, so let's go back to there, and you can talk about those early yeah. influences that were like yours. And like, if you can even remember, what was the song that said, "Nah, this is my shit, not my dad's shit." You gotta say, "Down with the King," Run the MC. Okay. Run the MC, Down with the King. Um, I used to go to Plattsburgh as a kid, and so we had to get cassettes but i couldn't afford i didn't even have money to buy the whole album so i get there but i knew i wanted to rap so i would write these little raps, but i couldn't get my hands on beats it's like at, at 10 11 i'm like 19 I'm, I'm like 11 10 11 years old in 91 so like right in 10 i'm in 91 yeah so at that point i'm like i'm in the store and i'm buying like but they had cassette singles so the cassette singles run dmc down with the king so i had the song and on the flip side i had on the b side i had the instrumental no was everything because yeah that gave me a beat to rap to that i could rap to without having to rap over the lyrics but what's there's a really funny transition i remember and i had this conversation with 514 smoke shout out to 514 smoke and he <laughs> you know that's a crazy story in itself but in the end he was doing an interview with me under circumstances that are incredible and he he asked me he's like what's the first album you bought you know and i was like crisscross and he was like nah no, you can't answer that. Like, it's got to be a cooler answer. I was like, man, man, when I was in like sixth grade, Crisscross was popping and I was trying to rap like them because I was trying not to do, I couldn't do angry rap some 10. Like, even if I wanted to, like, it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't, but Crisscross gave me something that I could rap to that sounded like a kid was rapping it. So it's like, I didn't have to change my voice. I, it, it gave me that. So that gave me in some odd way, like performance stuff artistry stuff other than just listening to the music like all of a sudden i'm like they're doing weird stuff like their clothes backwards and i never did it but so many people did it that it was like people are really just like 
That's crazy. But I did it for hip hop karaoke. I imagine. So I did. Oh yeah. Well, that. Okay. So the circumstances make sense. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, but but yeah, and then that went into the brat. Okay, that's fucking cool. The Brat Funkified was a major album for me because, like, I never really heard females rap at that time, but Brat was just the way she was rapping and the beat, the funk beats that Jermaine Dupree was doing at the time were everything to me because that was my energy at that time. I was all caught up into that. But that's evolved. It's crazy how much, like, I could almost year for year be like, now then this trend happened. Like then yeah. then Snoop and Wu Tang happened and then Bad Boy. Oh, I wanna go through all that shit. All these areas one by one. Yeah, yeah. But definitely. I can uh, can I so, so what's crazy about yeah, those but, two acts that you picked is there's a little bit of a commonality. Listen, Criss Cross I actually do. raps really fucking well. But they rap complicated well. So like you got the inside out, it's wicked the wicked the wicked the whack, like that kind of shit. Yeah, but the exactly. brat is also doing that kind of shit. She's also into the wiggity iggities all over that album. So yeah. it looks like that kind of shit definitely but caught don't you. Let me the that. Because when oh. I was like, I'm doing this, I needed something else. By the way, I'll get that story later, but open for Daz Effect. No and shit. Was super fucking yeah, yeah. That was nuts. But yeah. Bro, so the brat and crisscross kind of gave me the first the the first Atlanta vibes, right? Jermaine Dupree cooking up. And that gave me something. But it I had to go back to New York. Like there was something that drew me back to New York rap. And it it was like there's so much stuff at that time. Like I think 94, 93, 94, like when Wu Tang started, that brought me back to and New York. And you're in high school rap. at this and, point, right? Like, yeah, but like maybe sec two sec like like which high school did you go to say max say maxim high school in laval yeah and before that i went to say Marte high school in laval so shout out to all my shavity people if there's anybody that watches this yeah like (laughs) and it's nuts because at the end of the day like i look at that time and then wu-tang made it like everything was grimy and boot camp duck down like those were the vibes I was starting to get into because the crew that I was starting to run with in Shamadi, um, we all just started listening to the boot camp. So it was like um, OGC and, and Helta Skelta. And so like it went and that kind of changed the whole sound for me. And then Big L and then, and as you proceed, like you fall on like night, I think 96 might've made the biggest difference because that's when you start getting like reasonable doubts. And then the year after, the same year, we're getting fucking Biggie Life After Death. I already had Ready to Die. Ready to Die was something else, too. Like, Biggie's first album. So, um, if, if I'm ever to, like... Oh, but I think I skipped a step. I skipped a very important step here. Bone Thugs in Harmony. Ah. Uh, so... Not to be mentioned. Because he's 1999. I popped that tape in my Walkman, like, 30 times. Like, that's... that I used that tape, like... So how important was music to you at this time in your life? Because, yo, I'm not going to lie. You're the first person I talked to who can actually... Sorry? Everything. It was everything. I've seen, like, nobody... Like, it was end-all, be-all, obsessive, learn how to rhyme, learn how to play with words together, listen to new styles, absorb it all, figure out where I fit in all of that. But it was obsession. Like, it was... That's how bad it was, which is a good thing to me now. Like I think it's a pretty cool then, thing. Yo, I mean, I'm a little bit jealous, right? Because, like, my teenage years aren't exactly shit. I got to go through the shady aftermath takeover. That's my high school, right? It's not bad, 
But if you oh, come, no, that's a wild time too. That's like, a wild time too. I started doing this classic quest thing, right? So I have actually reviewed almost everything you listed there. But as an adult, going back on this active effort to like seek out that knowledge, and so I can actually appreciate a little bit at least what it's like to be a teenager and have that sequence of fucking things just pop off in your life to influence you into hip hop and and kind of shape a lot of it like because yo you're the first person i've talked to that was able to just do that you just traced all your albums you just like went almost like in order like yo i got this and it led me to that oh, and yeah, like... and we're only at 96 bro think about it we're only at 96 right now <laughs> okay so, so let's before we go back okay so we're at that point in terms of your influences that's cool but at the same time what's going on in your life because you said you let's talk about you a little bit more we're going to keep we're, it's going to be a yeah. few tangents at once i can keep track of it i'll be good yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so let yo, yo, what up, cool man Logan? That's fucking cool, cool man Logan. Just yo, popped into the yo, chat. Yo, me and TL know each other a long time. Respect that, motherfucker. That's one of the nicest yo. MCs I've ever, like natural MCs. Shout out, big facts. Damn. I'm a huge fan of him. Yo, we we gonna have him here January first. Is how we start in the year with a fucking legend I, like that. I look forward to that conversation. It's like CL is a great conversation. I can't even wait. <laughs> But um, so let's go back to you because simultaneous to your influences, which are fucking dope, you had mentioned something really worth expanding on. You got this mm -hmm. tape when you were like 10, 11 that had a B-side that had instrumentals. So does this mean that already at like 11 you're rhyming? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But not publicly. Like no way publicly. Right, right. right. But let's let's walk uh, through that, that point, part of the journey yeah, too. That's it at that point, like I figured out how to get my hands on other beats. Cause at that point I learned, so you grew up in Laval and yo, in Shamini, there's, there's some hood ish stuff. Like it's the hood, but it's not the Mecca of hip hop. Like you're not gonna, it's not like, you're not gonna learn it until later on in the parks with some OGs that I knew that put me onto some other game that was, you know, but at the end of the day, I didn't know I could go to the fucking DJ store downtown and buy records. So all I needed was a record player. They had instrumentals on it. Like that's all I needed, and so that expanded my ability to get instrumentals. Talk about this record store. What do you mean by that? Well, you could go downtown, and there was like Taboo. There was uh, Street Sounds. Don, yo, Don Smooth had a store. Did he? Basically, like yeah, we. It was like Street Sounds, and you it gotta, was you like, gotta understand. I personally don't yeah, know any by, of that. Uh, Atwater. Down by Atwater, yeah. So, so man from time bro it was, i was like making trips for like at 12 years old like trying to get trips downtown to go cop like mixtapes and yo it was crazy so what was the store like because oh, honestly yeah. i don't know like was it just like a like a cliche not to sound bad about it, but like one of those cliche record stores where you would walk through it or like tell us a bit about that because that's some montreal history dude <laughs> no i mean this like like taboo for instance used to be on um used to be on blurry across from music this so you go to that building and like that's that's all moved now i think it's i forget it's, it's changed into a lot of different businesses but anyway back then like i used to go there i remember there was a dude named kurt that worked there and like yo, know, they just had all the vinyls lined up but it was all like the shit for radio like it was all hip-hop like it wasn't just like it's not an old record store like it was like you're there to go for djs it, it was a place where djs went to get their shit okay like, so, you know, every Montreal DJ at some point went to Taboo, went to Street Sounds, went to these places to get vinyls. Uh, Blaze, um, across from the Burger King on St. Catherine. There's a lot of places that used to be just 
wilding like that. Now that was like ninety four, ninety five. Really that. That's fucking so, cool. But um, so that was the mission. So for a few years, like, and I had like you know little talent shows here and there, but like nothing serious. But uh, the the first like three years of me, three four years of me rapping was like treating myself like I'm training for a sport. Like that's what I thought I was in my head. Like I had convinced myself like this is this is okay. You may not be naturally gifted at this, so you gotta fucking earn it. This ain't. First of all, you you, you realize real quick. This isn't your culture, but you're learning and absorbing from your from that culture. Now, you're going to start making choices. I swear to God, how many rappers I've seen when I was younger, even the ones who were white, try and use the N-word and it slided for so freaking long. And I was like, nah, this is dangerous shit. We're setting the wrong precedent. Like I was like... And you and were like, how old when you were having these realizations? But they're important that people realize like at the end of the day it's like, it's the people who let it slide that make it the problem too so yeah they become the problem. How... So, but it, it impacted how like i would look at other rappers around and i started meeting other people that could rap right right but how old were you when you're having these realizations though because yeah honestly you say like everyone kind of realizes that quick but i didn't personally and i'm only like you know a little bit younger than you so maybe there's something in between that experience of going, growing up with the yeah, albums you did and growing up with the great, because I grew up with Eminem, right? And that's a mm-hmm. big difference. So I'm 12 years old and Eminem is it. You look up, you see him, he's winning. And that might be a little bit different than growing up with the collection of golden era legends that you absorb. So I think it's so fascinating that that little difference may have had such an impact on how we treated the culture at first. Cause I did not treat the culture with the same level of respect you did. And that's why I'm, I'm so fascinated that it's so young. You treated it with that level of respect. Cause you're a teenager at this point, right? Here's the thing, I'll, I'll put it to you like this. I don't, I never even want to take credit and say it was a choice because the circumstances were like my best friend when I was like 12, 13 was black, I was Jamaican. And I'm going to his house and I'm literally learning this culture now. I'm not that culture, but I can enjoy it, but I know to respect it because it's not mine. Because if I bring somebody into my culture, I don't, I'm not going to, like, I'm Italian and Irish. I don't really do much of either. Like, I'm not stereotypical anything in any way. So I don't want to take credit in that sense. But what I'm saying is, like, how could you not respect some cultures, a culture that welcomes you with open arms? Mm. I've never known, like, and I don't want to generalize any Jamaicans or Haitians or anybody, but I've never known any bad ones to start with in the sense of, like, everybody treated me like family all the time. So who am I to have a different opinion on that? Now, how could I not respect it? So I, that's just the having, like, a code of ethics. Like, I look at it like it was just natural for me because of the situation I was put in. Had I grew up around only white people and not had the balance, still St. Maxim is a very multicultural school, like, at the end mm. of the day. You were up around everybody from Armenians, Lebanese, white, black. You were Italian. You were Spanish. You were Asian. It, 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 we didn't see those. Yeah, I just didn't grow up. That's actually fights. another really interesting thing. I went to Wager. So de- I definitely knew the N-word thing. Like, I'm, I'm never, I'm not that guy. But as far as, uh, so I went to Wager, which is, you know, white people are very much the minority at that school. There's no other way to put it. Um, at least when I yeah. went. And uh, so I, but I also ended up falling in love with hip hop a lot through high school. 
and having that eclectic mix of cultures. I think we we ranked with like the smallest school population, the most diverse ethnically, which is fucking crazy. It's such a cool experience. But you seem to have gone through a similar thing, which sounds to me like you were also exposed to a lot of different musical cultures as an adolescent. And mm-hmm. that's what I'm maybe projecting a bit. So I guess I'm asking, is that true? Did you get a lot of extra stuff that a lot of people didn't get? Definitely. I probably would have never been a fan of reggae had I not been surrounded by so much of it. Like, mm. you know what I mean? Like, I, and I love it now, but how do I know what that path would have been? I think I love all music. So, like, I'm not saying it in that aspect, but just saying, like, everything that you're immersed in, everything that's attached to a good memory is going to have some effect on you in some way or another. You know what I mean? And I don't know. Me, me, for me, it's just like I, I see those things as it's a blessing. Every nationality, I have friends of every. My, I used to joke that my friends look like the UN, because like everybody from a different nationality or race. And what the fuck is the difference? We, the only thing we saw was what we could learn from each other, never what we took from each other. So that just became the the mentality you have when you're around that way, where you don't even think about it. It's not, you don't do it consciously. And it happens naturally for everybody. Say, I always think like, I can say this for myself. I'll never speak for somebody else because we don't get to the same place at the same time. And that's not going to be based on sometimes years of experience or it's random, but people get where they need to go when they need to go there. If it's a good or a bad situation that leads them to their realizations, it's going to happen. I kind of believe in that kind of fate. And so it's like, I'm not saying it's predetermined. You, you make choices, but your, your consequences are always visible. Like at the end of the day, you, but you can think about consequences all day or you can leap. Yeah, that's really profound. You know, people go consequences and think the worst, but that you already know what the worst case scenario is. What's the best? Mm. See what, you know you, what I mean? yo, y'all, y'all hear the knowledge nuggets he's saying, right? Life is about perspective. I'm going to boil it down into that. And if you think about adding that consequences thing, right, you know how life can go, but you don't, people don't dream. That's something I, I notice. I'm a dreamer. In fact, I have the opposite problem. I have a little bit of trouble staying grounded, um, which is why I love my woman. She is so cool. She keeps me grounded. Uh, but otherwise, my head's like fucking gone. I'm 20 years in the future kind of shit. But like, I, I really relate to what you're saying because I notice it a lot where people, they don't really allow themselves to visualize. That's what the corporate world will call it in the self-help books is visualization. And uh, also just like, I like that. That's such a cool thing. That's what I call a knowledge nugget. It's when you can take like a life lesson on how you can alter your perspective because perspectives are about shit like, um, you know, how you see the consequences. Are they lessons or are they crippling things that keep you from moving forward? So I think it's so cool that this is what we're talking about right now, that you're this smart of a guy, that you're that, like, wise. That, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that kind of stuff with us, for real. It's my pleasure, man. It's like, yo, it's so stupid. Check it out. It's stupid reference. I'm listening to a playlist that I had and somehow I have music from the TV show Empire, <laughs> Jesse Smollett. Yeah. But, like, there's somewhere in there there was like a line and um, oh, now I'm blanking on what the line was. Yeah, I'll get back to that. Go on, proceed. <laughs> nah, that's cool. Um, so yeah, so you were, if I understand correctly, you started out your, your hip hop career or um, you understood the culture. You understood basically how everything works in terms of like being a student of the game, which I think is something that's important. Now, I can't say like I maybe treated it like whatever, but I basically put a lot of time into like 
freestyling and shit as a teenager walking the dogs and shit. It wasn't cool. I didn't have cool stories of this, but I ended up clocking time in the lamest possible ways you could think. So I can relate to the idea of practicing in the corners and shit. Um, and I think it's really important because, like, it takes, in theory, 10,000 hours to perfection, right? So the fact that you also were humble enough to recognize that other people maybe are a lot better at this so young is fucking crazy to me. That's not something I think oh, a lot of yeah. us have the ability to pull off just like that. And I'm not gassing you up. <clears throat> Obviously, there's a shit ton of people yeah. that were teenagers that are fucking whatever. But the fact that you did that is really cool because people can hear that and go, yo, that's a way to see the world. So you basically collect a bunch of albums and shit is what I understood. Like you're a DJ is what I, I took from that, which I think is super yeah. interesting because that lets you create almost this library and catalog of instrumentals at your disposal but in an era right because yo, young people are fucking taking over shit right now and you're just proving how innovative young people can be old people don't think like that that's what i'm realizing it's hard for me to start to relearn to think like i'm young again um but as a teenager without access to an internet prior to a napster you were able to fucking go ahead and capture an entire cat a cool man logan saying every uh, true head needs to stockpile that's fair but the more interesting part of this is that as a youth, you were able to circumvent a challenge of having a fresh array of instrumentals to spit over in an innovative situation for a kid that doesn't even really have a job yet. I'll tell you the truth. Me saying it's innovative would be, listen, they existed back then, like CD singles and cassette singles. Anybody like bought any music yeah, before like my you're like five and a teenager. Dude. It's like, yeah, but I mean, I had, I, I fell on it by luck the first time and then rolled with it. I was like, yo, I could do this. Yeah, but that, that's the, the difference. Where I had to do it. The vinyl part is where I had to make the difference. So Cool Man like, Logan saying it was a thing. That's fair. I might, because, yo, here's the thing, though. <clears throat> Even if it was a thing for people of a certain age group, it was most certainly not a thing for when I came into the world, and it was certainly not a thing in my circles. So for me, it's, it's, it's like a big thing, right? Like, it's, it's you know what LimeWire meant to us when we finally could? Nah, like, but I believe we're going <laughs> to get there in part of your story. Because, uh, oh let, let's it go. Everything. So in high school, we definitely got your, your influences. We got an understanding that you were practicing on the low. So what is, yo, what's up? I don't actually know. ZLMNL. I don't know how to say that, right? Sorry. Just people showed up in the chat. Got to give them some love. Um, But basically, I, I'm curious, like, what was the pivotal moment that went from I'm practicing to I'm ready. This is it. This is my life. I feel like that. So, yeah, that's a talent show, man. So there's a Maison des Jeunes, you know, like youth homes where like the hood kids used to go chill. Uh, we had like, you know, there's somebody that supervised a little house, but they had like a pool table, like a little rec room type of thing. You know, this dog, sorry about that. Nah, no worries, man. It's all good. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, so we used to go kick it there. And so one of the, the street workers, the, 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 like, I work for the group, the group home, well, not the group home, the youth home, like it's like a Maison des Jeunes. Um, this guy was like putting on a show. So he gets somehow Curry LaBelle and Notre Dame, which is like the two busiest intersections in my neighborhood. Okay. Blocked and put the stage on it. Okay. And it's a huge stage. Like, 15 yeah i have to be 15 or 16 somewhere along the lines of that and uh yo, know, i had to do a show 
And so I met some other dope rappers uh, through through their talent shows with this guy. Most of those people that I'm cool with now, uh, that I met then, I'm cool with now because half of them became part of my group, Renegades, and the others, Baliazal, like it's people we know from way back. So there's a lot of Laval rap history that people don't know about. Like, you know what I mean? So, I think yeah. Laval is we're definitely we're cool. We're getting towards the beginning of that now in, that, in the part of the story where like before me now at like 13 once part i jumped i forgot this and it's an important part of the story so yeah. around 13 or 12 i'm in a, a day camp so i can stay out of trouble and my day camp goes and visits another day camp my day camp counselor is a cool dude fully like freestyle raps and shit and i'm like i'd never seen anybody freestyle before me like in front of me before you know so I thought it was dope. So we go to this other day camp, IBM, and there's a, a counselor named Rodney. Rodney is actually Arcade, who's one of Montreal's, like, first rappers to put it on an album, probably. Like, him, the people of that generation, Reckhart, Offsides, uh, there was, you know, Butter Babies. All there, There's a certain generation that really kicked off. Montreal yeah. music. But Kate Arcade is one of those dudes, and here he is working at the day camp. And my counselor and his counselor start freestyle battling. Yeah, yeah. Now that Shades of Culture also was brought up just in the chat. You know what I mean? That was the moment that changed a lot. So you because I could write, but I never freestyled in my life. I never thought I was like, what if I came up with it off the top of my head? And years later, I was known for doing it. Like I would be at parties, house parties destroying shit like that was my then claim to fame because i still didn't have enough beats or studio time studio time was super expensive you had to get like a big studio like it wasn't like you couldn't go to nobody's house and shit mm. so i just became from that tra started transitioning to a battle rapper like from that even so 14 15 i'm still in the process of transitioning to a battle rapper there's like a two three year phase and i'm with running around with my crew we're doing talent shows but the talent shows i'm just doing random verses killing it the last talent show i did was black rob whoa that was the beat mm. <clears throat> i just go there and just fucking rain of fucking bars and bars and bars and bars until i ran out of breath basically uh it wasn't like talent shows you were winning anything anyway so it didn't even matter like it was just a public exhibition but it took care of getting all the stage fright and the performance anxiety out because once i could kill that stage i knew i could kill anything so that translated to little battles in the streets now i always tell people the same if i counted every battle i probably had a nice record but you know what when you're growing up you battle a lot of people that should not be battling right and by what i mean by that is like they're not notches on your belt. Like you need to not like. It's just like yo. Know, it, it's not a. It's not a battle if the other person just wants to rap for fun and they put you in that position publicly, and that used to happen a lot. Like you meet some dude who thinks he's tougher, so he's like, "Yo, you rap right, so I'm gonna rap. I'm gonna rap," you know. And I'm like, "I'm not battle rapping you." Like, and I had to get serious. Like I was like, "I'm not battle rapping you." Like, dude, you don't rap. Like you're not a rapper. And I thought I was the illest shit on the planet. I would battle my whole crew, like, any time. Like, I would be like, it only happened once, but, like, I was trying. I was like, it's in private. Like, I was like, let's do this. Like, my old crew, not Renegades, my old crew. 
And I was like, nobody would do it. Cause like, I was so passionate about beating everybody, how bad I could be with words. And that period of my life changed the, the level of my writing, which goes back into making music later. But that's, there had to be an evolution somewhere where I was like, am I writing? So I'm learning to rap. I'm learning to write. But it's like, I'm writing the flows I hear on the radio. I'm writing the flows I hear in the mixtapes. Like, it's not my flow, you know? Battle rap gave me my flow. Yo, that's super interesting. It was on beat. Like, it was never a cappella. That's the thing. Like, and it should have been. Like, it sure? is now. I think battling is better on a cappella. I, I got to maybe contest that a little bit. Because, yo, here's the thing. I got my own journey that's a little got points. Now, one of the biggest things for me was hip-hop karaoke because of exactly what you just said. I was learning all of these mainstream flows. Um, I'm not going to say I can freestyle that great. I'm okay. But I do think I understand, like, complex songwriting. I'm learning simple now because I'm learning the world is changing. But I understand complex songwriting from being able to take, like, all of these different flows. And in my head, I have it's like a repository of shit. Because, yo, listen, the facts about creation is it's just good theft there's no such thing as like original like everything you you have is inspired the whole song about it like it's the realest shit ever because of that you're really never you're only re-expressing the art you absorb the pain the feeling the information you absorb well said like you're just that like i know i'm not i'm never that guy that's like oh we're all energy and yes but we are and there's redirection of energy like that kind of stuff when we put out art you're taking everything you absorb and spitting it back out the world like a jackson pollock like who knows where the spots are going to land and you know what this might be dirty a dirty part of life but like it's a melange of things the collage of things i mean that you know goes together and, and makes your art your art right like people think they got to do like okay, I'm going to make an album. So now the whole album's got to be like, this is my style. So every song is that style. There's no, but dude, your life is different. No, but you know? even, some even... people make entire songs about, like the whole album's about like doing the same act over and over did again. You listen to, uh, did you listen to Migos Culture too? No, I'm t- proud to say I'm, I'm not one of those dudes. I, I don't, I'm not going to hate on Migos. People no, fair enough. Them. So I, I bring it up because I call it the album that killed the the pop element of melodic trap in the in the heyday of what they were doing now it evolved into something way cooler so i'm kind of happy it happened but the reason that i believe that this is the album that did it and this is like my perspective as a reviewer watching shit and because it was 27 songs and i had to listen to all 27 of them and there's about six or seven dude that to this day i still play after that experience so i'm giving all love to the amigos because if you got songs that i'm gonna listen to to this day yo fuck it's fresh but there were still 20 other songs that I do not want to listen to to this day. And I think it was just the saturation from the biggest act in the, in the, it just crushed it. It was too, it was like the, the weight and it isn't like what you're describing. Like it was lacking the versatility of sound to me. It was just that on overkill. Like their first album was 13 tracks culture, and it can be argued as the best of that era in the 2016s. Right. So that's fucking interesting that you brought up that point because of just, it shows the insight into how like that actually translates into the real world. And it's important to have that kind of versatility. Um, anyway, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just like to go back no, no, and forth. No, no. And, and you make a valid point and even to build on that, like at the end of the day, the, the shift in music is always going to happen. Mm, so there's, there is the, here's the thing. And I, I, I love talking about it because there is the old rappers that are my age. They're like, Oh, fuck all that young shit. And you know what? 
I think it really just depends who you listen to. Because I think the way we get fed music, like if the radio's trying to feed me something, I usually know that's not going to be the one thing. Mm. It's not because I don't like anything on the radio. I'm I love pop music. Like I love corny shit. I love R and B soul. Like I I'm not just a rapper. Like my playlists are varied. Like it's, but, he, it's, but that comes from a, a willingness to understand love, pain, art. That's what it is. So if like, I can even just build on what you were just saying, those same people that are claiming that they uh desire a particular sound to exist act like Griselda, but they they act like like griselda's not there and they act like their freddie gibbs isn't there with alchemist literally reviving that's a fair statement i would back that up because at the end of the day you can't say real hip-hop like i joke like i made a meme like about a week ago where i made the, with the thanos thing and i was like if if they can't bring real rap back then i'll do it myself but like Real rap's never been gone. I've been hey. like, how the fuck do I still listen to Crooked Eye, Royce the Five so Nine? Good. Like, if you want the music you want, you just have to go out and look for it. People complain way too much. Like, nobody's forcing you to listen to it. So that's why Spotify exists, Apple Music exists, all these platforms exist. Dude, I, you can go and listen to anything. And a hot tip for everyone. If you want a quick way to look at all the albums coming out on a day, because y'all, I know the quick tricks at this point. Um, Genius is a good one. And then hip hop DX and just Google both those things with the week or month, like your album releases genius, this date, and then you'll get a whole list and it's all the genres. And dude, you would be surprised at the amount of music that comes out every week. That is amazing. 2020, in my opinion, has been the best year for music because guess what? Everyone had time to do sit down and make an album, right? Nobody was on touring. Yeah. Nobody was able to just do anything. So, and all of a sudden, yo, there is not a lane of hip hop right now that exists that doesn't have 15 great albums that dropped in it. I don't know all the other mm -hmm. ones, but I know a lot of them. And then you got to look at. I don't think I live in a world where I have anything to complain about about the music that's out because it's not. Listen, when I was 13, the rap that was for the 20 year olds was not meant for me. Like yeah, the, the one well that they said. did, it, like, it just wasn't meant for me. And it's okay that I learned to love it, but not everybody's going to learn to love it. You can't. Like, you're going to vibe with what you vibe with. Like, yo, even on a next level, it's all frequencies. Like, and that's not even like jabber. Like, think about it. Music is actually made. I think I have like a picture somewhere of it. Like, I have a meme or something that I had. But like, certain frequencies affect different emotions, it invoke different emotions. So I think music works that same way. Like we, we don't just listen to music cause it's fun to listen to. It's, we all connect to it differently, but we all connect to it. Like mm. just some people won't connect with the music you connect to, or I connect to sometimes. And that disconnect happens no matter what, like it's, it's going to happen. Tastes are different, but I think people, for people to get mad that other people don't share their same taste is nuts. Like it, it, it very much happens or that they feel like not enough, stuff is coming out to cater to them but it's like but are you looking in the right places because you know most of the acts that you're still we're all nostalgic about are still putting out music big facts you know what one of my favorite and albums way, I, want to listen to their old shit, I listen to their old shit like, <laughs> like, like i don't know how like like starface is like a great example 
yeah, it's cool, man. Thank y'all for being there. But yo, like I listen to it like, because I do this album review shit. Honestly, I was the old, I was exactly what you were talking about, and I was worse because I was like, yo, Hopson's the best, and Lil Wayne sucks. I was like that guy for the longest time. Um, what? I said, don't be that guy. No, I don't want to be that guy anymore. Hobson fans don't like me anymore. I, I don't review him because I'm like, his fans are kind of like, they don't want to hear me and I don't want to defend myself. So it's like, why make the review? You know, like there's no point in that for anybody. And I think a little bit about that kind of stuff. But um, I guess what I'm saying is I started doing the, the, this album review, like pretty much just banging it through. We go track by track. We just listen to everything. We try to absorb what the songs are. And after four years of that, dude, doing both at the same time, I do a weekly classic. So I'm in touch with the roots. Uh, we go like as far back as let's say 87 before that it's like I don't know if I really want to do an 82 album that's what it is you don't uh, really need to I nah. mean 87 is a good year to start um, so we it, want, it is it, it is. is don't get me wrong the stuff before that was still good there it's was just, stuff but, I don't know yeah. that I can review it and do it any kind of cultural justice for the nuances that like make it good I'm a lyrical dude and that's when it gets lyrical is 87 ish around that era but um, and then we simultaneously just started doing new albums and what I realized is Yo, it, it took a minute to like learn how to look for new music again uh, in the current era. But then I realized it really is just Googling new albums every week. That's it. That, and then Genius made it easier and easier and easier over time. And I know there's a lot of love and hate for Genius depending on who you are as a person. But the fact of the matter I is... Man, like they do good good work. I mean, listen, I you know what I find? Is like, we're in the internet world. People like to complain, bro. I don't nah. even think the people that hate on it really hate on it because they probably still go on there. So here, right. here's who it is. It's uh, I had this conversation with somebody about this, uh, just genius in general, if we can take a little tangent because it might be interesting. Uh, your old Droog. I don't know if you know who he is. He's a very talented guy. Yeah. He, very talented. So he basically pulled the DMCA move on Genius for his lyrics. He was very mad that his lyrics were on Genius without his permission. And it's fair, right? Because it is your like, copywritten composition those that poetry in theory genius never asked and there is an argument to me to be made that genius who is a couple of white dudes on the company profit off of the culture of hip-hop and i whether or not they give back is a, is a it's an argument that can be made um and then your old drug is like you know what fuck that as an artist you're stealing from me and then he pulled it and then if you check his twitter there's a shit that says if you want my lyrics uh pay me and it's like you can send me the money right here and you can buy them from me directly and i was really impressed at the move as a boss people can and I was... just download and pay i've been able to get lyrics forever like you know it used to even when like the first getting on the internet like first thing we do is print rap lyrics print bone thugs verses and stuff you know? i used to do that so i can understand the word so i there that argument can be made but it won't hold up like, I respect the man and his opinion, if that's what he chooses to do. But I don't see how that stops any of his fans from going anywhere on Google. Like, he, he's you can't find, honestly, everywhere. For real, it's not that hard, actually. Yeah, Google makes it pretty easy to pull all your content. They have, like, an automated system. Uh, they have to because of the amount of content. So it really – so I know for a fact that in the – so back in the day, there was a lot less hip-hop. Now, I can tell you one thing. Sometimes I couldn't do an album review on Friday because I didn't feel like quoting shit, transcribing lyrics takes forever. It really does. And um, the, the lyrics don't always appear on Friday night. And then sometimes they don't appear on Saturday. And then there's a lot of albums with no lyrics up because it really actually takes fans that are willing to listen to that album. And to transcribe an album could take eight to ten hours. Flat out. That's how long it takes to really sit there and, and quote everything. 
And then you have the genius moderators that are going to show up and be genius moderators. And this was actually like a social media site and crap. And honestly, if you're not doing it on Genius, where are you doing it? There's like two other sites in the world right now that exist, and they just pull their shit from Genius. So like, but can I confirm that we? I mean, in general, a lot of people will put their lyrics up for on in their Spotify, like when they go on DistroKid or whatever their their no. distribution platforms. The option to put the lyrics there, and quite a few people actually do it. So I would argue that people so, that are into accessibility are and like user centrism do shit like that. And then there's the Euro Drug approach, which I don't hate because you're an artist and you're allowed to do what you want. This isn't actually like a condemnation. Yeah, exactly. It's more like I'm curious. Um, his approach is more like, I want you to listen to it. And if you're not willing to take the time to listen and decipher what I have to say, then it's not for you. If you need the lyrics, it's not for you. And I love that argument. It's very ghost space. I feel that way a little bit, but so, I, you know, that's why I actually haven't uploaded my lyrics. To be like, let's expand on that, that though. So talk about it. Well, because the reality is I want people to go back and listen to my shit because there's fucking triple entendres that they, people don't catch at first. I got like I put in work in those bars. And uh, let me tell you something. You grow up around people who are not making music. Your very first comment you're going to get when you put out a new song is, you know, the beat is crazy. Big facts. And, and oh, my gosh. People forget that. Like, hey, like I'm the rapper. So when you tell me the beat is crazy, like you didn't say nothing about me. Like. And that's where the ego is, you know what I mean? Exactly. And you learn to love that from your friends because you understand what they mean. It's a language. It's like, a, you know, to, for the lack of a corny term, it's like a love language because it's part of how people interact with you. They're, they're going to say that you love the beat because to them, that's the thing that catches them. Real fans of lyricism will point out that, like, yo, your bars, it's, they're not even going to mention the beat. And mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with either. You have to have both those fans because you cannot – as much as I would love everybody to analyze all my lyrics, like, in depth and, yo, oh, I just caught that line or that line referenced that line before it. Like, but you know what? Then maybe I take the mystique out of it by hoping it happens instead of letting it happen naturally. Because I, as a listener of music, remember going back, say, like, 10 years ago, I think I was re-listening to old songs. I, even How High from Method Man and Method Man, which is one of my, like, maybe top three records of all time because Meth and Red are, like, my probably my two biggest flow inspirations that's crazy we just um, did an album review for that that we're about to drop that's nuts but yeah like for me like those moments like that that energy it, it's it's unfuckwittable like so it, it's like when i think about the 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 tracks that were dope to me then and then later on i grow up and i listen to them again and I go, yo i just got that punchline I like, had that moment, yes. Yeah, exactly. Like even stupid stuff. Like I remember, like it must. It, it was probably like two, three years after it came out, or two years after it came out. But in how high, when Matt says, "Sing a song of sixpence, a pocket full of rap," I didn't even. I was, I was rhyming the words, but I was like, "What the fuck was he talking about?" For the first two years of me listening to that song, like I was like, and then from reading literature and growing up and maturing a little, all of a sudden I'm like, "A song of sixpence." Oh, a pocket full of rye. Oh, okay. Now I'm starting to put these references together and I'm going, oh. And it all happens in this brilliant little pop in your brain where you're like, <laughs> like pop-up videos. Like, oh shit. Like somebody just described it to you and it clicked. Like, you know how sometimes you can have five people explain to you how to do something and only one person explains it to you the way you want to 
so I, I know exactly what you're talking about because for me, battle rap is, it was confusing. I have to use the word was now. And, I'm, uh, and it's actually a huge fascination for me. So I'm stoked to get to that part of your career and we can, get, I guess, get back there. But um, we watched the movie Bodied, right? And uh, in that movie, it's basically an explanation to people like me what the fuck battle rap is and why there's gun bars and shit. And it really explained yeah. all of it to me. And it's like, yo, we do this because we don't want to go personal. And we do, you know, and I'm like, oh, oh, shit. Oh, yeah, it would be pretty bad if people's really digging up your... Oh, well, they go personal because they mean that shit, bro. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it ain't for the show anymore. That's what's great. Like, this battle rap, you're either just battling somebody for the challenge or you got something with them and you're settling it. This mm. was... For, you know, some people would fist fight in the 90s, but some people would battle rap to settle their differences. Like, you Yo, know can what you mean? expand on would, that for real? Like, that's really interesting. Yeah. I've never heard that before. Well, it's, I'm not going to say it's a big thing to happen, but ultimately, it's like if you could rap and you're having beef with another rapper, the quickest way to feel like the victor is to battle rap them and prove that you're the better rapper. Like, it's an ego trip. Mm. Rappers against other rappers only happen when both egos are clashing. Because most of the time, nothing real personal happens. Unless it's like they've been in a group, some shit happens, which goes through every group. But if you're tight, you can stay together, whatever. It doesn't matter. You're still cool. Like, you know what I mean? But there's those moments where it's like, yo, battle rap got me respect in places. Like, there's places I've walked in. I'm like, I'm this white boy. Like, who the fuck is he? And. They're like, yo, he can rap, though. Oh, okay. Let's hear it. And that was getting me into places. I mean, even, I'll give you a wild tangent on that story, but it, just to give you an idea. So I'm with a boy of mine who I won't mention his name for his own legal reasons, but back, back in the day. And then this is probably, like, it's later on in my life, probably in my 20, 20, I would say 19, yeah, 19 years old around. So with my dude who lives in uh, RDP, and he hangs around with a bunch of Crips. Okay. Now, I'm at that age in my life, my style was like either a fitted cap, didn't matter. It wasn't a Montreal all the time. I would switch it up sometimes. Lately, like I still don't switch it up. It's always a Montreal hat. But, you know, that's, that's you know, hit me there and there. But always a bandana. Now, I rock the bandana depending on the color of the outfit I was wearing. So, I knew in certain places, like when I went to like over two, I knew like, yo, don't be wearing blue. Don't, be, you, know, you know, there's things you learn. So I'm going to meet this dude and I'm like chilling and I'm thinking like, we ain't going to do nothing. We're just chilling at his house. And he invites over to the gang. Now I got a red bandana on and they're all Crips. Oh now at this point, I, I don't even know these guys yet. So. Look, I, in my head, I'm like, this is guy, they're going to be chill because they're chill with my boy and it's whatever, and I can just take the bandana off, like, whatever, it's nothing. But in that moment, like, you know, they showed up and I wasn't expecting it, so the bandana was still on. They're, they're like, giving me eye, you know, but they're talking to my boy, whatever. And then my boy's like, yo, this dude can rap. And now I'm like, what the fuck, bro? Like, really? Like, this is now's when you want to do this? He's like, yo. So he's like, yo, but your boy can rap too, right? And he looks at his friend and, yeah looks tough and... alright so you guys battle and I was like shit this is probably like my third fourth real battle like I probably had like about eight more that were like you know I'm sorry but they weren't people who could freestyle in the first place like, we're just trying like, 
So this is all like freestyling, right? So this is an era of battle before writings. Yeah, but don't get me wrong. Like we all had preloaded extra bars somewhere. Like you always had a knockout punch. Anybody who's trying to tell you that every perfect knockout punch that you threw wasn't prepared, I'm not going to say they're lying because maybe naturally they're that gifted. But for me, I always kept one or two in the chamber. Like I can go off the top of my head for days, but you need a good closer or you need a good opener. Those are things that are not going to come free. Like mm. sometimes you get lucky because the environment you're in provides the information you need. But sometimes you're up against somebody you don't fucking know. And the funny thing about it is at the end of the day, when you don't know somebody or you know somebody, those two options can negate themselves very easily because shit, I battled Seneca lost like a motherfucker mm. because it was impromptu. We were doing it for national TV. It was part of a documentary. And I was not, of all the people I thought we were going to, you know, God bless in peace, dress in peace Dutch, but because he set it up. Because he was like, yo, get you guys on national TV, but it's a good documentary. Like, and so we end up doing this for Ox TV. And at the last, when they started picking out who they were going to battle, it's like me versus Sinecal. Both me and Sinecal was like, fuck, so against each other. Like, we thought we were maybe going to go. I, yo, listen, I dodged a bullet because I didn't go against Quake. Because Quake would have murdered me too. But don't get me wrong, Sinecal roasted me. I was not, all I had was a list of accomplishments I could bring off. And I was trying to do it because they were giving us cards with uh, subjects, like pop-ups. You know what I mean? So you had to adapt as you went on. And all I had was ways to twist it to, I'm doing more than you, which at that point was bragging. Wasn't I couldn't even say it was factual. We were all on the same level. We're grinding it. Sinecal's a fucking monster, though. Like, I was the last person on earth I wanted to battle. So there's a YouTube video of me fucking losing horribly. Where, and I had to get judged by Blast, Pesci, oh, and okay. Alchemist. But but Blast and Pesci at that point are my peers. Like, we're already... We've been chilling at shows for two, three years. Like, it was an awkward moment from the bat. But there was no debate. Like, I would have been like... I would have been a judge like, Sinecal, Sinecal, Sinecal. Like, but that man is a fucking amazing dude because, really like, is. he roasted me without touching a single person. He just was creative. It, it just, man, it just flowed. And it was amazing because me and him to this day are still cool. Like, I don't, I haven't seen anybody in the scene in years. But when we talk, we cool. That respect is there because I'll always respect him. Like, I, that loss to me is the favorite loss I ever had. If anything, fucking use whatever expression they want to use now we did that for the culture like right, we right. was just trying to put montreal fuck this montreal on the map conversation but we're trying to put on for the city like no, whatever we gonna lie. Do, this whole show is... conversation's been coming up about what's putting on for the city and all that yeah it's just because yo man people keep saying it to me now right like i'm doing this but to be fair i am in my own way trying to put montreal on the map I don't remember who it was. It might have been you. It might not have been. But somebody was like, yo, if you really want to put Montreal on the map, go somewhere and do something that's not Montreal. Otherwise, you're not putting Montreal on the map. I don't remember if that was you or not. Um, but uh, Not in that type of terms. Because my whole, my whole thing about this, like, the same comment that I made and it got highly debated. And I changed the word. I edited the word because when I'm wrong, I'm wrong. About using the word facts and opinions, there's things that need to be sp said specifically. What I said was, people still, every time a new artist comes out, it's like, oh, they're putting Montreal on the map. And I'm like, but we've been on the map. Like, I, I, 
I handled it wrong because it should have been a joke where I posted a picture of a map and Montreal being on it. Like it shouldn't have been further than guys stop expect stop worrying about what Montreal thinks of you because it doesn't matter. They have we all not noticed that your only real reach is when you start doing stuff outside of Montreal. It doesn't mean leave Montreal, but I'm saying when you send your music, people send their music to radio, don't just send it to Montreal DJs. Send it to Toronto. Find out who Toronto DJs are. People still forgetting DJs break records. Like they can show me playlists and all that. I'm still old school and I still believe in it. But yeah. all my biggest songs were were DJs first, and this was still in the blog era of things. But DJs broke records way better than any blog or anything else because people heard my music a million times and even know who the fuck they were listening to. They learned that. They knew that shit. You know what? Like, so that was. That's fucking what? huge, right? Because I like to compare the then and now a little bit on this show. Um, so I'm always looking for ways to be smarter about my approach. And I'm going to be real with you. I never really thought about marketing my music in other cities. I, I know it sounds kind of silly because I'm fucking on the internet and shit. And even with my mission to like get Montreal out, I mean, with podcast and non-music endeavors, it seems a lot clearer to me. But when it came to my music, I'm like, I never even thought, like, actually, who are five toronto i couldn't list them right now and that's fucking interesting because it's something we can all learn from like there is a lot of time in a lot of people's hands right now um personally i'm loving this interview shit because it's, it's it's just great i'm enjoying this a lot this is an amazing conversation dude i'm having a blast um but um i guess where i'm going with it is i think we can all learn from that kind of thinking right where it's like you you saw a bigger conversation i mean i guess where i was going with that is first of all it was a it was a good moment man your hot take there sure it was highly contested and debated and people have opinions but it just means you had something worth talking about in my opinion because yo people do kind of have that uh you know basics i'm sure you know basics i think yeah, put, yeah for sure one of the best battlers i've ever well freestylers i've ever heard like not a battler but right one of the best freestyle mcs i have ever heard in my goddamn life basics mm. shout out to that man Yo, he I, is next level man and like he, i don't i don't go I, I i'm proud of my freestyle skills on an average basis but like i don't go that hard that's he's a monster like, yeah he is extremely there's not a lot of average that Nice. And he does it on level. The see, Sinical is the same thing. The Sinical, like, dude, he was a great battle rapper when he did his battles. And he did one for KOTD and some other stuff, right? But, man, that man, when he gets into the, the freestyle and, the you know, the, the, the brass band, the, the, the urban band there, I forget the name of it now, I feel bad because I'm butchering it. But when they do the, the big shows, they improvise a lot of shit. And then end of the week and, like, yo, what community? he did with end of the week. You're talking about community? Good. No, no, I'm talking about no, the another event. No, Cal Community, I fucked with hard. Like, you know, okay. preach. Like, I had this discussion with you earlier. Like, yeah. anything that's crime in the city, Cal Community. Like, my heart is with them. Like, even if I haven't worked with everybody yet, like, I, I, I fucked with them hard because they're the live music aspect of Montreal. Like, they are. They, they really, really are. Like, there's a there was a lot of artists out there, but they were doing what shows need the real shows that needed to be done. Like figuring out how to really put on a stage performance, and it wasn't just some rapper getting on stage and spitting on the mic. Like, like that was needed. Like there's not a lot of acts out there right now. Families or collectives out there right now like that because people are afraid to be in collectives because they're afraid what happens if it goes wrong. Yo, go on about that more. This is good. Well, I see. Look, I'm a dude who literally should have always been in a group. 
Mm. The problem is group, it's tough to keep groups together. Even when you're on the best of terms, I'm cool with my whole group, but getting us together to make music is hard. It's hard to figure out the logistics of it. And when everybody's got family and this and that now, like and work and, you know, it's a, it's a different ball game. So it's, it's the logistics of doing those type of collectives. But when you're able to be in a consistent, you have a consistent meeting spot, you know, that's that, okay, Hey, we're, we're practicing, we're rehearsing. And then we're performing this night, like those run throughs. That's where you build the, the chemistry, the studio sessions that go with it. That's where the chemistry is built. But right now people were afraid to be groups because everybody wants their own shot. Like they, you haven't seen a lot of groups succeed. So it doesn't give you a lot of hope, but the lock's been doing it successfully for wow. fucking 20 plus years. And you've never seen them have a public fight. You've never seen them break up. They just literally learned how to flex their own muscles when they're on their own and come back as a group and feel shit. They only have three albums or four albums, like real talk. The rest is like EPs and, you know, mixtapes. But real talk, they have like three or four studio albums, I think. So, but they're, you know uh, what I mean? Highly they're respected to this day. But Joe, just, yeah, to touch, exactly. just to touch on what you're saying there, right? Because I'm, again, looking at the newer acts and I'm very fascinated by the youth because I think something that a lot of the older cats are, are forgetting is that Gen Z are not millennials. Gen Z are gangster, okay? What I mean is I see a lot of collectives and I'm talking Wu-Tang-sized collectives and they got like, yo, check Brockhampton. You may not have heard of them, but there's like 12 of them, bunch of vocalists. I think they're brilliant. I think most of their projects are absolutely worth listening to quality music with depth and emotions, young people shit, but like really good, you know, like they could grow into great political figure types, you know? Um, but like the thing that fascinated me the most about Brockhampton, uh, is that they had the camera guy as part of the group and the video editors part of the group. The beat makers are part of the group and that's how you do it. Then there's like guys like this little darky kid and he's fucking amazing too, but he's got the spider gang, same kind of shit, whole collective and squad. Lil Peep's click. Lil Peep is huge. My okay. people just put me on the earth gang a while ago and mm. I fucked with that. That's, Dr that's J. Cole's people, I think. Yeah. And then my other boy put me on um, Flatbush Zombies. Oh, which are wild. Like, oh but you know, know, they're, they're one of the best. But even then, so, but they teamed like, up with. You know, on a daily basis, I still pretty much listen to the same shit I've been listening to for years, or the same artists. Like I'm, I listen to a bunch of everything, but like on a consistency basis, like I still Royce and Crooked Eye and Slaughterhouse, anything Joe Button. People can hate all they want, but his music and me have a connection. Like I, and I feel that same way with Will Ortiz. Like the whole Slaughterhouse, every artist in it. The reason they were my favorite group because I was a fan of every artist in it before the group ever. Okay. So I have a particular, they have so much material in between. Crooked Eye dropped 52 songs in a year. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and he remade did you listen to? Uh, did you listen to his last album? Yes, of course. It was fucking Of great. course. Like, I love everything any of them do. I wish Joe would come back. Because Joe played on a live. Like, they played the Slaughterhouse album that never came back. He did they? It. Yeah, he played it a little bit. And, yo... Cause they got like a slaughterhouse team of producers like cardiac and um just blaze and, and it was executive producing and uh, justice league and it was a level of production that slaughterhouse hadn't had before they were making real shit. and if that shit don't come out that glass house album one day it's gonna be a damn shame because really it would have been phenomenal i think it, it was the album that was going to prove that yeah they're a group of rapidly rappers guy but yo each of them when you listen to their albums you realize they don't just 
bar you up to death. Like Crooked is saying real shit. Yo. Royce is saying real shit. Joe spoke about real shit for a long time, but people didn't get it because it was like, I'm on love and hip hop. And you know what I mean? Like they're seeing him as a personality instead of the rapper and got lost in it. People still only remember Pump It Up, so, <laughs> so I, <laughs> they'll I, roast him. Together. I don't know a lot of his music, but I do know the All Love Lost album. And we had a request to do that as a review. Yeah. So I actually had to sit there and listen to tw- Sonically, the beat choices are not my favorite, but yo, his ear is ridiculous. That album sounded like with an Eminem level of precision, he combed over it. Because I want to give the man his uh, flowers where it's due. That you know album- why that is, though? Because his best projects were horribly mixed. <laughs> Move Music mixtape series, which is his shining achievement. All Move Music 1, 2, 3, 4 were horribly mixed. <laughs> so when he finally got to do the album, he was out of the contract and able to do the album he wanted. Yo, he actually did it right. Like <laughs> it was the first time, even his fans are, we roast him for, well, I, I don't necessarily roast him, but we joked that like, yo, the sound quality is all horrible back then. No, you're not. They the still joke about it on their pod, like how bad the mix is. When they podcast, they joke about it all the time. Get horrible mixes for years. Like, because he was trying to leak the album because the labels were holding it up and battle with Def Jam. And, but, you know, I'm telling you, it, it's funny, man. Like, the, it's a polished album. You know what I mean? It Definitely. really is. But it was also the really story cool. elements are there. Like, you go on this journey with Joe Budden on that album. Oh, now, listen, it is the most whiny man music you will ever hear. And I... My my girlfriend, as an example, just kind of heard a dude whining in whiny guy voice for like the whole album, and she could not. She actually does not like listening to Joe Budden at all after that album. His voice alone kind of like is turned off, and it's fair enough because yo, know, as a as a critical mind, that is a it's a weird album to listen to in twenty like twenty or nineteen, right? Like, cause it's like he's kind of like off on a lot of opinions, but then you get past that to this is a man publicly putting his heart and soul and his coping mechanisms and he's being very candid with you about how he actually feels and when i got like past that initial preachiness inside of myself i'm like yo i guess that's the purest kind of art there really is you know like i'm we, we can't transparency. sorry transparency yeah transparency it's something i have always tried to achieve that's mm. why i used to rap when rappers was rapping about making money and those rappers i knew were broke I was rapping about being broke. I loved Million Dollar Charm. I couldn't afford brand names. Like I got fucking songs where I talk about all this shit too because the reality was, funny tangent to that, doing the Stop Fronting video, Justin Augustus, the director, shout out to him because he's doing amazing stuff for fitness right now uh, on his IG. Um, He was like, yo, we should get you a BMW to roll up at Plastic's Art because we're filming at Plastic's Art. And I was like, just, I don't, I'm fucking at that point, I'm probably like 31, I think maybe. And I'm like, dude, or 30. I'm like, I don't have a fucking driver's license and I don't drive. (laughs) And I didn't. So I said, if I do that tomorrow, everybody sees me on the bus or Metro, like I usually am. And I'm okay with that, but I'm not okay with them thinking I'm pulling up in a BMW when I'm riding the bus Metro. So I said, no. We're going to figure some other way out where we're just walking around. Plastics are like people chilling downtown. So, yeah. But that's the level I'm on. I could have had the BMW in the video and rolled up. 
so it would have been fake to me. I got a question about that attitude then. Because, yo, I heard one of your tunes today, and I honestly didn't think any of the names or anything would stick with me because I was like, oh, shit, let's go. But then I heard Million Dollar Charm. And I believe you just basically spit that track in a sense in a, in a simplified version. And that track is amazing. Yeah. That is one of the, like, dude. Yeah. The track, I applied it to what a woman, a conversation to a woman would be, but it applied to life. Like, yo, it's money is a tool. What gets you crazy is how you interact with people. Was that a conversation to a thinking. woman from your perspective? Because, yo, when I heard that shit, it I heard you. Yeah. The whole thing is the conversation to a woman. She says she want a bad boy with a good heart. You listen to the verses, everything is me showing a girl like, yo, he may have money, but I don't. But so I got a million dollars. So I took it completely different, dog. I'm not even going to lie. Tell me your take, please. I want to hear this. So I heard the hook, right? But when I hear a hook, I don't necessarily attach that to the central theme of a song. Because the hook can kind of be anything. It could be like a ethereal. Like sometimes what will happen is there's a lot, like lyrically two timelines. If you want to look at it like a video thingy or a parallel yeah. universe. There's the hook. And then there's whatever. So when I hear a hook, I kind of just maybe write it off a little bit in terms of core theme at first. But then I get to these verses. It's a of writing a song. If somebody can't make the song where your hook and your verses are meant to go together, but doing like, something wrong with But it's it. also like they go together, but sometimes like core themes, like I'm just saying like you can, they, they're not like necessarily attached to the story elements of the song. Not thematically different, but the story itself in the verses can be very different. Like, many story tracks the hook is completely just like almost a commentary like a narrator view that's a better way to put it sometimes the it's hook is the, the first, exactly. first of all like, like let's say let's say example because it didn't happen that way but let's say example i had been given the beat and the file name was million dollar charm and i decided to run with that well my perspective on what million dollar charm applies to could be different from yours or somebody mm. else's so everybody's going to attack it from their way but i but, chose to do it as a metaphor but I didn't I take it like, so women. the conversation part was what was weird to me. Cause when I heard it, maybe it's just what my idea of us being like in this age group and shit. Now I don't even know when this song came out. I'm not going to lie. It's just in that folder you sent, but like uh, 2012. So 2012. I heard it like instructions. On, so with like, I guess today's hindsight and all of the cultural evolutions at times, to me, it came off more like an instruction manual to dudes on how to spit proper games. Cause to me, it's more like, like the guy, I like that too. but like, cause that I, I like, I hear what you're saying about the conversation to a girl, but like, what, like, I don't really know that many women that need that conversation. I'm going to be real with you. Women that are after money, treat it like a job in my opinion. And I respect the shit out of that job. Go get your cheddar, do your thing. And on the other hand, there's a whole lot of women out there that are just amazing and not like, you know, I'm not saying anyone's not amazing here. I know this is dangerous territory on how I'm wording this. I'm kind of high roll with me people. But like what I'm saying is, is people are just like that. There's all kinds of people all the time and people might act like this time doesn't exist. But like at the end of the day, I felt like what you were trying to communicate to people is money is not the only measure of success. And then also at the same time, like, yo, it's okay yeah, to value other things. Yeah. But see, that song should have more than one meaning. Like the original intent when you write a song is one thing. Okay? Yeah. Like at the end of the day, I don't think anybody, like you can go in, sometimes this will give you the same thing you're trying to accomplish, it'll give you writer's block. Sometimes you go in closed minded, like, hey, this is what the song is about. This is what I'm doing. I'm going to do this. Like I say it's a metaphor of me, like me talking to a girl, but it's more even third person than anything else. But the different perspectives on it are, like you said, most importantly, actually, I think you hit the, the nail on the head with that one, is it's the importance of 
money is not everything. Like that's not how you should equate my value by how mm. much money I also made. because guess what? I didn't have money. <laughs> I was broke. I was making that shit. By the way, like the producer that like I wasn't working with like I was working with producers who are on the French side and things who run shit. Like that was Coma Karma. Like these guys run Urban Lab. Like these were crazy studios and like these motherfuckers were getting money on the French side, making it work. Right, right. My original beat makers, all the, the biggest singles, my first single were it's all good. It was Rough Sound. Rough Sound is the biggest fucking right, producer gonna, right now. We're definitely going to go through your singles. We're going to I just wanted to just kind of touch on this idea a little bit more. I think there was one other kind of fuck, what was I going to say? So we had the idea of basically money's not everything, but also sincerity to yourself. That was the other main core theme I took from the track because there was more than one core right. theme. It is my million uh you can you should try it even just smiling your million dollar smile like and i thought it was interesting you chose a smile because in my employee evaluation this year and it was okay it was cool my boss actually said smile more because my part you evaluate yourself right and i said people like take me kind of odd sometimes until they get to know me and part of it is when i'm really interested i get fucking stoic stone-faced and it doesn't look like i give a shit and i get that so he's like smile I more too, by the way. if i don't smile like people be looking at me like yo are you mad about something did i do something and i was like no nah, this is what i look like so i get that so like the, I'm the, like, not, the non-natural inclination to smile i know it doesn't feel always so natural to do but then it was also the idea that if that he's like just smile more watch the impact and we talked about it right because it's an evaluation and i love the fact that honestly if you don't have money flash your smile and see what happens because let me tell you something in my experience dating ladies they, i mean you might not believe it whoever you're watching but some girls think i'm pretty cute and a lot of it is when i flash that smile and the eyes get all kind of light and you're just being real and that it radiates off of you right because yo, i'm all, i've never been rich right except for that one month when i went to pakistan and i was relatively rich but um otherwise nah i've never been i've never been that right i'm middle class now you don't want to brag about being middle class that's not fun um but like yeah that's a brag about it but you got to be proud of it you, you are we are what we are that's like, facts we got to aspire to more but be proud of what we have i'm not ashamed of it by any means i'm just saying like it's not a flex to me to be like yo i make around the average amount of money of canadians it's like Okay. No, but I'm saying you see that's but that's a million dollar charm was for me. Like okay. that was my expression of that. Like even even to the point where I'll even say this, like I say this jokingly, but I mean it. Like I'm not a pretty dude, bro. I get girls because I know what I'm talking about, and I'm an intelligent dude. I'm not sure. I, mean, I, I get them, on, and I made the jokes like the blue eyes. Like that's it's. I think I put it like twice. That referenced it in the song. Like I'm just gonna. But that's the the. I joke about it because like at the end of the day. It's never been about like, I don't get what growth because they're like, oh, you're the hottest guy ever. But I intellectually appealed to people. I'm pretty sure that. So I'm also... Million Dollar Charm was a byproduct of that too. Like at the end of the day, that, that whole song has so many layers on the fact that it's going to be taken based on what you need your Million Dollar Charm to do. That's fucking like, cool. You might disregard everything. Once you get into the mentality of the song, you might disregard every lyric and be like, apply that to whatever you want like the, the more charming you are without being corny about it or you know you're not you don't have to try you just have to be like be yourself is what makes you see that's again it comes back to that point of be yourself most of my music always has that message layered in somewhere in be yourself i'm a weirdo and i'm proud of it 
No, nah, like, that's I'm cool, dude. So, yo, when he says that his music has a message built in, I literally believe I heard him be like, rappers, your fucking links that you're sharing are annoying. Stop doing it. It's literally bars. I'm par- I don't have the exact bars. But, like, I- I'm pretty sure I heard you basically flat out say that in one of your tracks. I can't remember which one. But I was like, yo. But it- 20, 20, 2010, 2011 was the era of people were learning how to promote on Facebook. Like, I'm not going to say it's changed a lot, but it's changed. It's improved. But back then, like, dude, some anybody from Montreal would put out a record, I get tagged in it. And it was like, at first, I appreciate it. And then at, then it became like, yo, if I don't listen to it, I'm getting messages going, yo, why don't you listen to my shit? Why don't you share my shit? So that changed my attitude on things. I was like, bro, first of all, I'm not going to be the dude that's going to barter with you. Like, well, share my shit and I'll share yours. Like, share my shit if you're feeling it. If you don't, don't. I mean, I'll write, please share, but I'm only expecting people who want to share it to share it because I, I don't, what, am, what do I have to gain by people who are just going to listen because somebody else said it, but then disregard it two seconds later. I want people to vehemently feel like, you feel like you need to share my music, then do that because show your peoples that this is something, that's what I do. All my friends, if I hear a new song, I'm like, yo, you guys got to hear this shit from any, from whatever I'm listening to at that moment. Like, I think that's something you do be with friends. You know what I mean? It's like, that's a uh, an exchange of riches. Yo, you, s- you spades watching. Trade stuff, you know, spades that spans w- to back to when you used to have to trade cassette tapes back and forth. You know, we can all buy albums. So, y'all, if I bought the Wu Tang album, my boy bought fucking uh, the Big L uh, flamboyant or whatever. Like, dude, we were just trading tapes, and that same message applies. Like when it comes to music, I think. You learn about the best music from other friends. It's not even going to be from random playlists or deep down. You're somewhere with a homie or there's a moment. Oh, yo, that song is dope. Like, and it's just sticks. It's that feeling. But that's yeah. the change of wealth. Because straight up, man, I just got to cut you off a little bit because you just dropped what I call a knowledge nugget. And I think it's important to capture these knowledge nuggets and just recap them for a second for the folk listening. Yeah. Yo, I'm into user experience. That's my day job. It means how the person who consumes a product feels about their experience. And an experience is more than just listening to your song. It's all the elements of it. Like Spage just said that tag shit's annoying as fuck, right? And it is. I mean, yep. look, no district, Like, there's like three or four people I actually kind of don't mind because they're like squad and i actually oh, give I, a shit. I want to be clear i have people that i literally like can't wait for them to tag me in their new shit right but i know that i have relationships with these people like see that was always the difference when people never understood i can tag certain people <clears throat> in my shit because i got a relationship with them where it's like i'm not it's not even an expectation it's like yo i'm just sharing with you because i know you've been waiting to hear whatever is new i don't want you to be up on it now but motherfuckers will hit you up and they don't know you for shit. Like I would get inbox messages and wouldn't even be like, Hey, what's up? I'm so-and-so. Uh, it'd be like, this is my new song. Click the link and share it. And I was like, dude, well, I'm sorry. It's the same thing where with features, you know, I never charge anybody I was cool with for a feature ever, ever. Mm. Because I'm like, dude, if you, and it was, it was like a hack. I would tell motherfuckers, I was like, if you're real and we've chilled for more than 15 minutes and I've had the right interaction with you, I'm never going to charge you for a verse. Like if I had signed to a label and the label had a certain thing, I'd work shit out. Cause I'm honest with people. Like I'm like, yo, sometimes you're going to have restrictions on what you can and can't do. I have a lot of friends of rap that I can't do songs with. Like it's not because but they're not putting out songs. Like we're, we're putting them into the empty. Are we doing it for fun? Or are you going to put it out? And if you put it out, like if it's 
what's the mark? I, I got to think what's the marketing on that? What, Yo, what are you, you rolling gotta, it you out? You got to really rub that idea with more detail because it's fucking gold, dude. What you just said about the artist that you're working with that um you have to be cautious and because the label situation, et cetera, their intentions, I believe, and how they're going to promote it and et cetera. Like, I believe that's what you were touching on. I've experienced yeah, it a little bit. It. You can love it. You can love doing the feature and your label cannot, can decide not to clear your release. The label can go, hey, you're our artist, so no, we're not. You know how many rap artists that have if famous rap artists we listen to that probably would have had features together, but the label said not. Like the label went, nah, we're not releasing the verse. You know what I mean? Like it it happens all the fucking time. So the idea is to have real relationships with people. So regardless of what happens, they they hold you down. Mm. Slick Jack, somebody that recently collaborated with a lot, who's made major moves that I feel like Montreal slept on. But you know, that's the nature of where we're at. Like the dude did a whole album with Static Selecta. So that made And I didn't see it anywhere by Montreal Media or anything like that. I didn't we were know out about there. It. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. But and and listen, if Slick didn't promote too much, y'all, I don't know. I'm not gonna speak for him. I don't know. But we promoted the, I promoted the fuck out of the shit. And I'm like, it's a big accomplishment for Montreal rapper to do a whole album. When did this happen? Real beats. Uh, earlier this year or at, around sometime in the last year. Yeah, that's So the whole huge. album's out of profile. It's called Slick Jack Dicey Business, and that's the whole huge. album's produced by Static Selector. Wow. Yeah. And Slick is the rapper that has held me down so fucking hard because every time he does a project, pretty much, he fucking hits me up and is like, yo, drop a verse. And dude, when he let me drop, he didn't have to let me drop on a static beat. Like, he invested money in that shit. Like, I'm not a lot of features on that album either. So, like, he put me in a position where I could do something. That's which eventually led to DJ Premier playing the record. Like, that's, you know, more stories. But DJ All Premier right. plays the fucking record. And I'm going... The twelve, the fifteen-year-old me who's obsessed with Gangstar and all that shit now is going, yo, DJ Premier just played my shit. Like he's his instrumentals are the ones I searched the most in the late '90s because he had the dopest beats to rap to. Amazing. DJ Premier played my you shit. said late Nobody '90s. Nobody did, and I didn't give a fuck because I was sitting there happy as fuck that Premier played my shit. Like that's the thing. You got to take the wins that come with what you've dreamed of accomplishing. I never dreamed of being famous. So, yo, if the people whose opinions I respect the fucking goddamn most in this game, like Premier never co-signed a whack rapper in his life. So even if he didn't say it up, like say my name, he played me in Slick Jack's song. That's and crazy. that was amazing. So like, you know, the, the tangent is do the shit because you care about it. Like I look out for the same rappers. Like when I do my next project, the same features that'll be on there are going to be artists I have worked with in the past because we have, those relationships like and it's going to be right and because there's a bond there because the music's got to come from a natural place i could easily hit up some artists i don't know feature on a track but i don't see it as me giving them a shot i'm i've been inactive for seven years so i'm not on my coattails where i'm like i can brag about being one of the best rappers i could brag about I, at one point in the city there was three years where i think i had you know in the real city countdown if i wasn't number one i was on the countdown but Every single did like minimum fifteen uh, weeks. What's the like, real, real city countdown? The real city countdown used to be K one hundred three, uh, point seven. Right? They used to have uh, weekly top ten in the city radio. So the whole radio show, they play much y'all hit people would vote for them overnight, and then the next day you find out the winner and so forth, and your track will move up. So me, boy, blue, Magnum, I blast, Cease Rock, everybody who was dope was up in there and you know sees 
and Eyeblast had so many number ones. Blue had number ones. I had number ones. So it's not like I was the unique one. Like, but it was the it was an achievement at yeah, that I've, time I've, because of where we were in the city. I've seen and that the... was Nick Fury. Shout out to Nick Fury, man. He was running that shit. Man. Respect. Like that was in, in respect to Dutch too, because Dutch and Nick Fury were together on that idea where Dutch had uh, Escape MTL the website, so they ran the fucking countdown the voting through the website through the blog and it was perfect synergy it breeded an era of what you would call new money which mostly is falls on the back of dirt work dirt work built that shit like dirt work gang lined wow. up a lot of artists can together we, can we just, and it made a fucking difference it was a whole energy shift you know yeah, what i mean dirt this work is... even remember because that shift dirt work and dutch really like and bad news god rest their souls for dutch and bad news like i miss those dudes but like real talk they built an energy in the city the sydney the city didn't have for a long time there's a momentum there fucking a bunch of montreal artists sold out and shut down the fucking corona theater like there's youtube footage of that show with every one of us on stage me news blue frost cease rock magnum j7 eye blast the fucking i mean the list was, i can't even start forgetting because there's so many that were on that stage that night together it's the last show we did with news or at least i did we we're like 100 on stage and there's footage lab noise took it it's on youtube right now it's the craziest moment i've ever witnessed because the energy the energy was through the roof and that was all montreal artists and we there was no opening acts i opened did a did the opening act like we nobody gave a fuck because the the cease really set the show off though like my part of the show outside of the expos fitted remix was nothing but cease rock came out cease rock did this bmf flip and it was the fucking highlight of the year man but like yo i got stories for that day yo i want to finish one tangent close it up the right. whole thing with my friend in the crips and all that oh my gosh so did story, we really go that long on one tangent yeah. that's awesome yeah, I forgot. I forgot. yeah but here's the thing so the dude was like yeah let's battle so we battled Long story short, I beat him. Those motherfuckers fed me drinks and weed all fucking night. Fucking showed me nothing but fucking love. They were like, bro, you really think we gave a fuck because you're wearing red? They were like, you're not in the gang. I was like, you, you're right. Thank you. Like, I was like, yo, was like, we get it, bro. Like, we're not stupid. Like, and I was like, yo, there goes another moment of learning about making preconceived notions. Right? Like, I'd been around some tough people before, but that was some yo, other shit. Guys. So, you know, like, it's... It was, can I different situations just to add on to the idea what you just said right so i talked to this dude nunzio very recently it's up it's a highlight of my life right now this guy is like a fucking original six bad boy engineer and so in his story of how he got the job he had learned the lesson of when you meet celebrities treat them like real people right that and then you humble etc etc now it might be considered a bit of a stretch but anyway so he gets the job because he proceeds to uh you know what's crazy basically bad boy sets up a reality tv scheme i'm not gonna lie my girlfriend hates the way i'm framing this but i fucking love what bad boy did and it's fucking cool so there's 16 of them and they fucking, I'm a huge bad boy fan. Go ahead. so there's 16 of them apparently and they're literally building the studio like literally putting the shit together when my, when this guy like joins it and it's fucking crazy and then they like get into the situation and they start going through it. and in the first year they're running through it like that and then all of a sudden they go through like this interview process where they get asked a bunch of questions this that the next thing and then when they really launch they just clip 10 of them 
And it was almost like a reality television scene where it's like, you're gone, you're here. Like The way he described it, it, it was almost like Bad Boy tested out 16 people. Right? They actually did a show with Bad Boy called Making the Bed that did that same process. Like, that's what's, you know, that show, whatever. People were like, yo, the artists were corny, blah, blah, blah. They never succeeded. But the show gave you a very good idea of how Diddy was running shit. Like, yo, it's no joke. The, he made them walk for Cheesecake. It's the most famous scene in that history of that show, right? He made them walk from Brooklyn to wherever to get Cheesecake. From Harlem to Brooklyn, I think. I can't remember now, but. Basically, the funny thing about the lesson was how bad do you fucking want it? Because if that's what you would complain about, you don't want it bad enough. You know, so there's really gems dropped in that shit throughout the corny performances and the drama and the reality TV stuff. Like there was some real jewels. Like I was watching producers work on songs and learning how to understand how to fix vocals because I'm watching them fuck it up. And the producer and the engineer telling me, okay, so do this. Cut your breath right here. When you finish this word, stop. And I'm just sitting there absorbing that. There's jewels in everything. Yo, that's dope. Even the corny. But yeah, you so I mean? uh, that was kind of how it was. And, and they were talking 95, 96, right? And so a lot of it was like, yo, you. it was about attitude, right? And I think because it, it correlates back to your, your, the end of your story. So his attitude was proper. Uh, a lot of these engineers were like college educated guys with degree types. No, this is how you mix this is how you master this is how, you know like that kind of guy and they didn't get the job my boy was like this is how you want it i'm gonna do what it is and he got the job but i thought about it because the lesson there was treat people like people and just be cool about it like respect the situation and you're good and the lesson from your story is effectively the same thing you know just don't have these weird preconceived no they're people they know you're not whatever they're gonna they're smart you know like and I love that. I love that parallel. That's fucking cool. That's right. I just tied you into a bad boy studio story like that. But no, that's just what it is. I like it. I like it. And that, you know what I mean? That moment gave me a very different glimpse into what I already thought I was doing as a street kid. Mm. I was selling weed when I was 12. Like, there's that. I'm not worried about getting problems for it. But that's what I was doing. I wasn't big. I was shit at it. Like, I probably smoked most of it. And I grew up. That's all we had to do. So it was like, I was really crappy at holding a job. I wanted to rap. So selling weed was like my thing, man. And I was never a great dealer, but some summers I made some good money and I burnt it all. I lived like I didn't say, stack money. I was an idiot. Like, you know what I mean? When you look back, hindsight is great, mm. but I lived I had fun, man. Like I have great memories from that. So, you know what I mean? Like, you know, some, but, but the, the, the Crips thing and the starting to chill more in Muntry now at that point, leaving the borders of Laval more often outside of the comfort of my block and my park and places where, I, you know, I know nothing's going to happen to me, but we might see some wild nights. But like in Chamonix, it was always Notre Dame and LaBelle. There's a McDonald's there and there's a scratch across the street. And that corner is the hot spot. Like, so it, the parking lot used to kind of look like Fast and Furious where it wouldn't be the level of cars of Fast and Furious, but the idea that, all these cars are lined up and everybody is chilling there in the same parking lot like every night that was the meetup spot it was, uh, it was a place called the rec attack right? so Yo, the rec attack yeah okay i know the that yeah i that, mean that was I... our that, that place is a shambody staple it's gone now they tore it I down know. but that's where anybody was anybody in the hood even from reaching out starting kind of shambody like fabric another place everybody would come to the rec We'd meet a lot of people from Montreal coming to the wreck, but they were outsiders to our in spot. Like, you know what I mean? So, but we 
met a lot of people. We turned out to be cool. We made a lot of connections, man. So it was dope. And then we go chill downtown and start meeting people in Burgundy and start meeting people in a couple of places and DG. And you start getting a different vibe than what you're used to. So, you know, straight up, I learned something here just now because I know the Recreate Tech from the other perspective. I'm a Montrealer. Uh, Straight up, NDG, that's what it is. Uh, But basically, um, I went to the Recreate Tech for birthday parties because it was a real big birthday party. And I'm talking like surprisingly old ages because that, there was no, where else are you going rollerblading and like you can't, you know, if you're like 18, 19, you bring a girl to the Recreate Tech, you drive to Laval. It's like you cross the island, you know, and then you go to, then you hold hands and you fucking rollerblade around. We got girls girls coming in from Montreal. We was like, yes. Like, you always think the girls from another neighborhood are better than yours. Like, mm. that's, you grow up like an idiot and you think that because you never look at home like the solution. You grew up around all those girls. You know them all. Like, you know what I mean? So you're waiting for, like, I remember we used to travel from Laval to Fairview Mall in the West Island because there was all kinds of hot girls when we were young. Like, that's where you wanted to go. Like, it was the spot. <laughs> it's just facts. But yeah, the record track was that spot for us because think about it like this. One, if you're bored and you got nothing better to do, you live next to it. Where's the best place to be if you ain't got you know to do? But a place where there's an arcade, a bowling alley, a bar, a laser tag, a roller skating arena. Like and when I early when I was younger, they even had like a flea market. Like it was the works. Like so we had to run the place because my cousin used to run the bar. <laughs> my best friend's dad, the Jamaican best friend that I grew up with, his dad was the security guard there, looked like the black Mr. Clean. And everybody in the neighborhood was like in love with him and scared of him. Like he was okay. a beloved figure. He's still around and kicking and still a mad, bad man still. Um, but like we had the run of the place. But think about it from the other aspect, from a business standpoint, like where are you going to sell the best of your weed or whatever you're selling? Like where everybody's at to go get fucking bowling, the pool, the arcade. So yeah, it was a spot. And McDonald's right next door so everybody can eat their junk food off their munchies. So you're in the middle of this spot where it's like all the commerce in the neighborhood is pretty much passing through there. But everybody in Shamadi knows everybody. Like if you grew up in Shamadi anywhere in the 90s to like 2005, you have a less than six degrees of separation because right. it's not a big neighborhood. But it, there's a strong unified thing. But there's not a lot of rappers from Shamadi that are well-known, at least in the English side, except for me, which I was. I'm not saying I'm well-known now, but and Malicious, who former freestyle battle champ, uh, you know, legendary dude from Shamadi. Ar- Arcade was his older cousin. He was the, the top. Then there was Comatose. There was me. There was Malicious. Then there was me. Like, that's pretty much about Anglo rap history. Comatose now have evolved. They're, they're part of different groups. Shout out to Carleone Brown. Yeah. One for all. Like, He's very yo, talented. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. So that group evolved. My boy Cali, too. Shout out to Kalinga. Um, at the end of the day, like, those, we started creating something. But everybody was different. I was the younger of the, of the, the all four elements. But... I came in at a time where none of those guys were really like malicious was still active, but like arcade became a wrestler named Drew Onyx. Okay. And he's fucking killing it. A real like, you know, WWE, not, he didn't do WWF, I think, but I think he trained people with WWF. I don't know. There's he's, he's high level. He's a dope wrestler. Um, 
and you know the rest of comatose some of them part of like a pull-up selector different groups like so my boy Clayton Sly shout out to him but yeah that that was like an evolution but around the wreck was where everybody was at so if you were going to meet anybody if you knew anybody if any shit went down you'd hear about it because everybody'd be in the same place right that was our that was my teenage years like and that was where if somebody came from another neighborhood I would battle them in the parking lot there was there or there was two parks well two three parks because we're park people Laval chill people chill parks that's all okay like, I know a lot of people do it in a lot of neighborhoods, don't get me wrong, but parks and parking lots <laughs> come part and parcel with growing up in the valley. So, no, man, it's cool to share like, that, right? Because this, let's say we like yeah. really go take those ideas, these little nuances, right? These are the kinds of things that create the context. And I think one of the most enlightening things about having a connected New York City now is I get to talk to like older New York City cats about like basic shit like life in New York. Like like honestly, the yeah. the, the culture around your art, right? Like I come from an era that was all MP3s and downloads. By this point, we're already migrating into Pro Tools era solo sport. So I'm gonna be real with you. I never really needed anybody's help to start rapping i just got a beat found a studio and went like what did i need i didn't need anyone there i mean i just did it until i liked what i did and then it's i put it out world, man. when i got to that level i was happy as fuck but that's what i come <laughs> into it so like when i hear about your version of it where you're literally in front of a recreate tech that i can picture i know not everyone can but that i can picture um in the street or i guess in the parking lot battling like it's like any other scene doing it like that like that is a different universe that you're starting in the obstacles and challenges that you face which again created different opportunities to practice because what you ended up doing is clocking an insane amount of time practicing your craft because yo one thing i have to say about rico blocks music and i'm even talking his new stuff because yo i encountered his name for the first time on a laura lai lahiri song and that was the first time I ever really saw Rico Blocks. Um, when I get into my R&B bag. But uh, yeah, that record's dope, man. Yeah. But um, yo, I heard the flow. I heard the pocket, etc. And I was like, yo, this guy is very talented. Like extremely like proficient. Like I'm talking at like a level of, I don't know, finesse. Like it's, it's almost like, like you understand pop music. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I mean that no, in actually the best possible that's way because I think simple. a lot of people diss pop music because they don't really understand how to make good pop music. And one thing, I just to compliment your music while we're here at this moment, um, I noticed that your music is very fun, like really fucking fun. Now, that's something that became more important to me in this year. I mean, I think a lot of us are moving towards fun music, but you made fun music back then. And I mean, it's fun to listen to your stuff. And you have all sorts of styles and things that I heard. And I just found myself bopping around positive energies and shit. So I just have to say he has a lot of understanding of what, because a lot of the best pop in the world is kind of that, like these energies that get captured that almost transcend time. Now you may not like pop, very fair. Pop can be, but a lot of that has more to do with the marketing and the saturation than I think. Oh yeah, listen. There's two connotations to the word pop because pop really only means popular. And, mm. and don't get me wrong. Listen, I'm not straight up track going, fuck pop. I'm never going pop. I'm never going pop. But that's because what I'm saying is I'm not going like consumeristic pop, like, but popular music is music is music. It's a feeling. Dude, I could hear a Shakira song and find a vibe to it. Like, doesn't mean I'm going to listen to Shakira's whole album. No. But 
every artist has that record. There's records I listen to that I, from an artist that might be the only record I ever listened to them from, so, listened to them. Mm, I like what you said about multiple angles of pop, though, because I would say the other pop. Okay, so when I think most people hear pop nowadays, it means AT40 type radio billboard. I think billboard is pop are now synonymous. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, that's how most people have to classify it, because, again, what do you call pop? popular music? Well, what's considered popular is if it's at the top of the charts. Mm. I mean, that. I mean, it goes part and parcel with it. I think the problem is with pop music is that once it's once they figure it out, it's a popular song, then it gets overkilled because of marketing. Marketing is the contributing factor to the death of the music industry, the way it was. Marketing, marketing is a great tool and a fucking dangerous enemy because you get fooled to believe that you need to step up marketing wise, do things that are going to get attention without staying true to yourself and now you're falling in a different pocket because you can't maintain a fake image no artist to successfully maintain a fake image forever it just doesn't happen like the, the ones that you know I'll give an example like bob dylan still around and kicking but bob dylan willie nelson you think these motherfuckers change for anybody they give they they're themselves a hundred percent now yeah maybe they have the 70 years of career to back it but that didn't change then either. They were them then when it couldn't when they couldn't be. You know what I mean? All these two break the rules. Elvis would be a controversial mention. So, in one aspect, apart from all the stuff that he stole from black culture, which right. is you know at the end of the day what he did. On another level, he broke a lot of rules. Yeah, he might he have broke a lot the same of wrong rules. Thing, the same wrong thing he did opened up doors for a lot of people. Now, his intentions might not have been to do so. So we're not going to... See, that's the thing. Consequences and intentions. What comes out of it might not be what intended, but it doesn't mean it has to all be negative. He did a lot to push censorship. Regardless to how he did it, he had a huge impact on censorship. Like I don't think people realize, and this might be a little tangential on that, that he had a huge slong. Um, It was giant. And he would swing it around. That's why he had the pelvic and he would not wear (laughs) underwear. And this would like cause a lot of shit. It caused a lot of stuff to go down. But when Elvis did it, unfortunately, like just the racism is what it is. It's a period of the times. I'm not really ashamed of like the fact that racism is a thing. I don't feel like anything. It's just Elvis appropriated a culture, whether he did it consciously or the people around him brainwashed him into thinking it's cool. Oh, he did it consciously. I don't know a lot about him, okay? But here's the thing. He did it consciously. There's two types of appropriators. I, I would be stupid if I didn't think that in some way I appropriated black culture. Like Big as facts. white people, we sometimes tend to forget. Like we can have the best of intentions. Our intentions and the results, again, not the same thing. I okay. did it with a respect that, that that had to be earned. And even then, for me to be like, no, no, I have every right to this culture means nothing. I don't. They could have easily rejected me. At any time. And you know what? Like, what am I going to fight that? I love the music. I love what I do. I love lyricism. That came from, to me, via that culture. Penmanship is penmanship. If I take away the culture, I still have penmanship. But it's not an expression, in the form of expression no, I that hear, I want. I hear what you're saying. So, I think that's really insightful. Even if I don't need to appropriate it, so it I, still technically is. Like, right? what you're saying hits me really heavy, right? Because let's be real. The reason we're having this conversation... And I'm going to be real honest with the world is because I spent four years 
talking about black culture as white people. And let me tell you something, the full disclosure, we are very aware of the shock value of what we are doing what we do. Uh, I do not believe that anybody watching one of my 2020 reviews gets that impression. But I would be, I can't watch my 2017. I keep it there because I think the journey is most important part of it. But in 2017, we were like, we're white people. We're talking about hip hop. He, 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 he. And honestly, we said some pretty bad shit. And when I get, and I, keep, I still get comments to this day, and it's a good, humble reminder, right? And I've had people literally flat out be like, it doesn't fucking matter what your intentions are. When you take hip hop and you apply, and I'm what I call them now, middle class values and norms. And I say this also because it reminds me of the kid who got arrested right now for faking around with the cops. So he's a young rapper with a lot of equity in life and whatever, whatever he had guns and he's now being hunted and he's probably going to do a bid. And I'm going, I mean, yeah, that's a bad thing, right? If you have a certain level of ethics and a certain morality skew, often this middle-class normative values, but in a whole other way of looking at it, maybe it's not actually bad. Who is to say whether or not him making a music video with guns in it is ethically right or wrong? I can't. It's not my position to say that. And that's the thing is what we were doing in these reviews is we well, took- it depends, it, depends, it depends what the expression of art is. Like, listen, I'm not, I know, I know who you're talking about. I kind of know parts of the story, but I'm not going to say I sat and listened to his music. But my point is, whatever, if he put it in his video, if his, whatever his message was, that's what really matters. I agree. Only he can answer that. But right? what happened but is. But now, here's the thing. There are consequences to actions. We got to be grownups. Sometimes we forget, like, the, but it's not easy for me to forget because I'm from an era where you don't, thank God we didn't have cameras. Like we don't do shit for the camera. We try mm. to avoid cameras. <laughs> like it was a complete opposite way. We did try not to talk on the phone. Like you know what I mean. Like now people will put their whole life on a video and not expect there to be ramifications. But I don't freedom think this... of speech is not equal freedom to commit acts so, of any but kind. But let's and I'm not the... talking necessarily on him. But and I'm I don't want to like, like day, promote or glorify what he did. But I think he knew exactly what he was doing. Like I, I don't. I would think so. The guy's living, from what I understand, in a very, you know, like, so that means that my feelings on the situation is really just judging him. And I, I bring him up not because I want to judge his case. I actually, I'm actively not. I've had several Facebook conversations where the same attitude came through with condemnation on this kid. Like, like, yeah, here's the thing. I want to be clear. See, I don't condemn him. Whatever he chooses to do, that's the choice that's that he it. has to live with. And that, that's what I'm trying to convey because, yo, the problem is, is I used to be that guy. So I actually empathize with the people putting that condemnation because I can go back to my 2017 album reviews and apply that. And I call it middle class normative values. This is often expressed by only middle class people who are more or less born and raised in the middle class and lived their whole life in the middle class. There aren't people who come from the lower and it's not across the board. I know I'm generalizing and people don't like generalizations, but you can't have a real conversation without a certain degree of generalizing. It's an understanding it doesn't apply to everyone. But where I'm going with that is when I applied that value system to a culture that probably came from neighborhoods that didn't have that value system, I'm completely doing something wrong. And in that moment, I'm not going to lie. I'm probably appropriating for cloud at that point in my career. And it's, it's not my moment of pride because I actually started the channel with an intent to not appropriate. And then I became a bit of an appropriator 
And I see it. There's mixed reviews on whether or not I'm an appropriator in the comments. It's mostly positive, but the fact that there were negatives, okay, maybe I'm doing something. So I studied. I bought books. I bought like there is uh, the Wu-Tang Manual. I bought KRS-One's Gospel. I read all of the Gospel of Hip Hop, all 836 pages of that book. I read it because I figured KRS-One could teach me about hip hop culture. You know, like I put that effort in and all of my reviews changed. All of my attitude towards hip hop changed. And so I think that cultural appropriation, look, people can perceive me as an appropriator with every right. We pissed off Scarface for existing. I'm not going to lie. Scarface straight up came at us on Twitter because we tweeted something. We tagged him, obviously. It was his work. And no disrespect yeah. to Scarface, I understand what Houston is, and it's not Montreal. And if I try to act like my Montreal fucking life compares to his experiences growing up in Houston in the 90s, I'm an arrogant piece of shit, in my opinion, if I do that. And that's the kind of lesson I learned along this journey. So when I hear about appropriation, I think it has a lot to do with are you giving back to the culture that is there or not is the big difference so because my attitude and heart is in the right place i'm in a position to give back to the community in a way that's selfless in a sense right i want to offer a platform to make montreal hip-hop look cool maybe that's a big goal maybe it's a silly one but i think we could benefit from it so i try to do that that's my way of giving back anyway all i have to say i think appropriation is something we have to be aware of and i just felt like it was worth bringing it up and you know adding to my thoughts on it i agree Listen, I have those conversations with my friends, like real conversations about this stuff. Where it's like, you know, at the end of the day, like, what does it mean? What are we doing? Like, I've adjusted slang that I maybe at one point would use. I remember I, I made the same mistakes a lot of people. I wore a do-rag at one point. Mm. I'm actually in my head, I don't need a do-rag. I wore it for the, the style of it. Shit, it might have been like 99, maybe M was doing it, and I thought it was cool. But... You learn quickly, you look like an idiot. You know what I mean? Like, you're not gonna, that's not gonna last long. So, you learn from the lesson, you move on. Like, you can't see, here's the thing nobody can be expected to know how everything feels, how it's supposed to go. Like, we're all just learning every day. So, you, you sometimes we're gonna fuck up. Mm. And as long as you have people around you that can tell you when you fucked up and not hate you because you fucked up, then you're gonna get better. You're gonna move on. You're gonna learn from it. And you, you know what I mean? It, it comes with time. Listen, there's going to be people that grew up in white. I know friends that were growing up in a white privileged area who know how to get along just fine with people who are from fucking the lowest possible like class, poor ass people. And not ever. Some of them were spoiled brats who were bratty about it. And some of them would be like, dude, I know a dude that literally used to, he used, his parents lived in a huge house when I was a teenager. His parents lived in a huge house with his hair, near Henry Brasa. And he basically came up almost rich and would go to Henry Brasa dressed as a bum in Panhandle. Oh, I know people who've done that. I know guys who like came from, like, I'm never, ne never going to say names, but I know and people. He the money to another Panhandler at another Metro every day at the end of the day. Like, that's, here, that's the funny key to that story where I'm like, you, even – even the most privileged people, there's still more than one kind because some people grow up super privileged okay. and still that it doesn't actually come. You know, the problems don't always come. First of all, white privilege is real. We're not discussing white privilege right now. That's another thing. No, we're not but discussing that. that. The, the, the being socially privileged, socially privileged, 
I think not we're, everybody look, even we were discussing cultural appropriation and our role as white yeah. people in hip hop. I think that's what we're discussing. But I do think white yeah. privilege is another interesting topic. I have a theory about white privilege that I might want to run by. Yeah, you. Wait, hold on. The okay. point I'm making is that socially privileged people like that guy, right, could have literally sat on his ass all day and did nothing. But his actual intention was go out, didn't care about his appearance, panhandle for change, and then give it to a friend who he knew who he had met panhandling just like that. And saw like he always ended his day rough. So his every day, he treated that like a job. Mm -hmm. Like my job is to help provide for this other person. And the same type of person who could grow up in that same environment could turn around and be the guy that flaunts all his money, that doesn't give a penny to a homeless person, that doesn't care about people. So like even being privileged socially or growing up rich will not determine your character. Your character is determined by the people you grow and learn from around like grow around and learn from it's an acquired experience and knowledge if you hang around with the same type of people who don't elevate your brain if like it's a hive mind hang around with four dummies who don't know shit about shit and just talk about yo yesterday was fun man we got super high cool but that's what your life is going to be like you hang around in a room with people discussing space and planets and time and science and all of a sudden, you start realizing like you're learning something. Something you've you've left this conversation with something you can share to somebody else. Love it. That's what creates the person you are, though. Every person you absorb around you, that energy makes who you are, and that's why we change every year because our social circles change. The people we cross into, run into, make bond with, change over the years. It evolves. You absorb bits and pieces of knowledge that you learn from them and apply it to your life. Some people do it consciously. Some people don't. Some people are like on autopilot and do those things. They don't even realize they're adapting to the people they're around. We're an adaptive species. Like we were mm. born to adapt. Kind of like what we lazy. <laughs> but I think it's interesting that you use that exact example because my version of the story ends differently. Um, I know some people of a similar privileged background. And again, it's no shame because the end of the story is the same, but the middle part's a little different. <clears throat> They would go and oh, there's a lot of the opposite. Yeah, for sure. they would go and panhandle, which effectively, in a sense, is taking up space from somebody who probably needs to. Um, and they would beg for quarters, blah, blah, whatever. No, they were actually more active. They would beg for quarters to put in like, yo, I need 25 cents to make a call. And they would run the parking lot, bank out like 20 bucks and get Pizza Hut. And I'm like, yeah. yo, that's serious. That's like, and again, privileged kids. You don't hear about that. You don't yeah. hear about it. Oh, we I think, I think the thing is we hear so much about the, the shit, the kids that don't give a fuck. The spotlight is very rarely on the people who do. Mm. The spotlight is very rarely – like here's the thing. There's just like, you know, it's again, in the terms of white privilege, some people try and use it for good. Some people don't even know they have it. Before we get to that. No, but I'm saying like just saying that because I'm not even getting to that subject. But all I'm saying is like – there's always a different way some people use the same things that are just naturally available to them. But what's Your cool, resources around you. So what's cool about that guy is that guy basically changed his circumstances and elevated his entire life, basically showing that even though the starting point may have been different or the middle part's different, the end part, which is probably the most important part of most stories, where the moral of the story comes in, is that You might cut out. 
But um, yeah, uh, I want to go back to your story though. Um, but okay. I, I also do want to talk about white privilege. But that's a, that's a big. Yeah, white we're probably privilege. around nineteen ninety nine, two thousand now. We're getting but, um, to two thousand. Right. So I think you were talking about how you had decided you were going to get into battle rap. You had done a bunch of stuff. You hit that stage and you were excited about that stage and you got over your fear and you were ready to like move into it. Yeah. Well, the stage performance was more just music and the battle raps was street shit. Like that's how it was. I was, I would never played the tough guy. I ran around with a bunch of tough guys and a couple stick up kids, bro. But I wasn't trying to play the tough guy. I was a rapper and a drug dealer. Right. That's all I ever wanted to be. Petty weed dealer, rapper. I didn't have big ambitions. Um, I'm sitting there like battling whoever I can fuck. Anybody who thinks they have a chance. Like just trying to find opponents. But at that point, that just was a couple years of, you know, doing that, doing that. It kind of started wearing thin like it's not going nowhere. And I don't have the connects in the music business yet. Because it wasn't like we didn't have social media. We didn't have ways to reach out and get to shows. You had to be connected by somebody, by somebody, by circumstance, you know. Um about 2000 and I would say 2002 is when things started really taking shape from there. Like the battle stuff, I'm telling you at that point, the only interesting thing was I sharpened my skills. Like, it's not like I have very memorable, I have a bunch of little house party battles. I have a bunch of stuff, the memorable battle where all this came to a head to get to that battle. First, I was started to be able to record my first mixtape. So it's called um, audio crack. How, well, hold up. Um, when, when was this? This is 99? One goes into the other one. Yeah. Okay. So I made a mixtape called Audio Crack in 2000. I started working on it in 2002. And the way I started being able to work on it was my friend Matthew Peltier was going to uh, Vanier. And so he took the music program and ah. got us access to the studio. And we would go in, sneak in on the weekend. And just record. But the thing is, so he was learning how to record, but like he might not have been ready for the recording the vocals yet. Like, yes, but no. Like we weren't there. You know, like the idea of like punching in or you know, those things didn't occur to us. So every track on that fucking mixtape is like all three verses are done in one take. But like not the first take I did, just all in one take whenever I would finally get it right. So I'd have to do it like a million times all three. Cause I didn't understand how to sequence the, the bars. Like we were really rookies. We just barely knew what we were doing, but we managed to put together a decent sounding fucking mixtape by the end. So we didn't have no money. So we just burnt a bunch of CDs and wrote audio crack with marker on it and started pushing them around the hood and sold like 300 burnt CDs for like 10 bucks a pop. So that was the first, hustle so 2000 it came out like 2003 now to where that links into the freestyle battling 2003 there's an event i'm i'm sure it was 2003 but cl was there peace in chat like he probably remembers this um survival of the illest it's like a big freestyle battle at fofon electric okay and i've been i had been yes not to leave parts out of story for the last year or two i had been calling in to K103 and 90.3 because it kept having like freestyle hours. That's and I would the, call in. That's the Don Smooth one? Yeah, exactly. Right. Don okay. Smooth had Shoot and then, you know, uh, Blaster and then had Ill Groove Garden and stuff like that. So shout out to them, man. Like I would just come in, call in and freestyle. I'd be on a payphone. I'd be on a fucking cell, my friend's cell phone sitting in the car with everybody around me. Like I'd just be randomly in places 
yo, it's time to call. We got to call. My boy Pat would always fucking say, give me the phone. Give me the phone. So that shit was bigging up a little bit my name. I got into Who's the Illest. And there was like 30 rappers, at least. 30. But this I, now now I'm I'm in a different league because Laval rappers was not that good. Like it was just at least in my opinion. And I'm not hating. But there wasn't anybody active except for malicious. And me and malicious weren't gonna battle. We were cool. Like it's just it is what it was. We used to bump into each other in the shopping center, like chilling, like, you know, on the side of the wall, have a cigarette, we can still smoke on the wall. But I get to who's the illest and fucking it swarms of people. It's the biggest crowd I've ever been in, like, hands down. And I'm low-key trying to push this mixtape. And anyway, I get the battle starts. People keep whittling down, kicked out. It's like elimination after one after another. And so I finally get in. I think I, I get in, like, I don't know. There's, like, 10 rappers left by the time I get in. Well, how does the format keep work? Going. It's on beats. Like one, like basically like a minute, minute and a half, something like that. And so I, I tore through four, five, six, or maybe less, like depending on how the eliminations were working, because I wasn't the only rapper, right? So I don't want to embellish. But anyway, somewhere around then, the important thing is the final four of that battle in chronological order, if I remember correctly, CL can correct me if I'm wrong, but was Shogun, no. Justice, Shogun, CL, Rico Lux. Okay. Like Justice McFly? And, like, yeah, Justice. Justice from Northern Lights. He fucking monster. I, it was If it wasn't him, it was Shogun, but I'm pretty sure it was one of the two because Shogun is a fucking DJ legend. Like, Shogun, man, yo, that guy is one of the best rappers that for some reason nobody he, nobody's ever heard of. Like he's a fucking best kept secret in the world. Like, But those who know, know. There's not a rapper, I'd say... So for me not to brag, let's put it this. There's not a rapper on an elite tier here, a lyricist in Montreal, English, that don't fucking know who Shogun is. Like, like there's a because it from from experience, from the past, like he's the dude. Like he's that guy. And he makes great fucking music. Um be but real yeah, with so you. Justin, I never really I didn't know who Shogun was, man. Honestly, it's cause you know, a lot of this too is like part of why it's really cool to talk to you. As much as your opinions on other stuff is cool, but this part where you're like actually sharing history, who did what, like I got to now go after this and look up Shogun and find the music and and check it out. And it might be that the name comes up again and stuff. And I think it's important just to make sure that people know about it. Like Justice McFly is a beast and that guy fucking flipped that. He flipped. Good fucking dude. His current life is so... Yo, I, I had the pleasure of working with him in Day Job Land. So I don't know nice. him from hip hop. I know his his SEO life. Yeah. And that yeah. guy is living the dream on corporate dollar. And I can't tell you numbers, but I got a ballpark idea of how high that number is. And yo, that guy's living a dream. Plus, because you got to keep in mind, it's not just that number. He gets per diems because he goes and travels all the time and he parties in Amsterdam for business and crap like that. It's nuts. Yeah, let's not talk about a man's money. Let's 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 not. But all respect right, to sorry. justice. I love that man. But that's that's different conversations. We got to leave the man's money out of conversation. I just meant that it's, it's good. Not, not like it's, I'm not saying a number. I'm just saying opportunities that come attached to it. Like a per oh, diem yeah, is no, a benefit. So a per diem is just like when you get paid to go up overseas in addition, because your salary is irrelevant. 
it's the benefit yeah. that I want to accentuate that this is something that he, it's not again not about his money. I know like I don't mean to like cross the line. It's about that he gets paid. No, it's not. It's, it's old sorry, old school ethics in me that are like, you know, we don't talk about it with other So that's why I didn't say a dollar. I said it's a good range. Give me your example That's why so no problem. Yeah, no, I mean, that's why a good range is meant to be like you want to aspire for some shit because it's possible in other avenues. That's why I don't want to say a number. And a per diem is specifically yeah. when you're on vacation with not vacation. You go on a work trip. Yeah, I had it with Pakistan. Money. They give you extra amount per day. So that's included into his life plus free trips. Like that's more what I'm trying to convey. Like this is actually a life. That, I mean, maybe the partying part I'm accentuating. He's actually kind of really calmed the fuck down. He's he's really dad mode and he's a fucking great dad. And he might get mad if I said partying, whatever. Fine. Sorry, Marty. Um, but really it's more like dad of the year. That guy's a fucking role model. I look up to him a lot. I really think he's a super cool dude. So I I, I don't that's really. A worthy, that's a worthy dude to look up to because he really like. He's a dude that that shows a lot of love. He's genuine. If you didn't mm -hmm. like, if you don't like you, we don't like you. you I like real people. They don't sugarcoat shit, but they're fucking good fucking people. And like Justice, always been super cool to me, so I respect the fuck out of him. And he's a monster. Like yo, yo any Myers. fucking record, Myers. I, yeah. I, he's like he did his one track when and I first heard of Northern Lights, my boy's girlfriend had put me on because she kind of knew them from back in the day. Yo, I was blown away guys no nah, i saw them live once but i didn't know who he was uh, i was at one of that tour it was one of the last shows at under pressure that i blast and everybody 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 was at it was like a huge event and then after that there was never anything again of that nature in with those people like magnum and uh, everybody was there uh i know srh was there because i was hsr at the time and i was paying attention to that name and like everybody sure was, was there, there. There's a very good chance I was there. That that list of names, yeah, because I did a couple under pressures. So like, yeah, it's very possible. Oh, it was a memorial event. It was the memorial a year after I think unfortunately Dutch had passed. It was something like that, and yeah. it was really really. And yeah. I, so I went to that event. Yeah. I was curious. Oh yeah, I was. And so yeah, I might have even yeah. seen you perform back then. <laughs> That's entirely possible. Likely, yeah, man. yeah, yeah. But those those were some dark moments. But the city was so together oh, yeah. in those moments it was... i just i remember the northern lights performance pretty fucking vividly because of the intensity on the stage and the fucking ferociousness like honestly like it's it pretty intense there, man. There was a lot of hurt there man like for them they were close like yo dutch was close to so many people like he impacted so many people's lives like you know it, there's infinite amounts of good things people could say and that revolves directly in that radius of you know justice and all these guys like his squad like that's the homies like when, when you bump into one of them at an event you'd probably bump into all of them chilling together right you know I mean? so, but like, um the energy, they had a very special energy man. Like, meant and that's why when northern lights went and did that like as a fan like not even as anywhere near pure but even from the aspect of the fan, i was like yo what hurt does to you what the fucking motivation of representing for that person mm. that night everybody was giving it up for dutch so that energy that was there was next level so we didn't want to disappoint him you right. know what i mean and for them the connection is so close that you can't even i can't even imagine the level because of what i felt and i'm peripheral to this you know right. what i mean but i guess to elaborate back to you and your story um is that uh i think it's it's really interesting 
I, I don't think people necessarily fully appreciate the impact of how big it is to be on that list of names. Like, look, I know Justice personally, and just being on a list next to Justice at that time and in, in that moment is fucking big. Um, but I think people like exactly. don't necessarily. I was happy. Like, I was happy when I was like I was even close. Like, when Dutch first posted me on like Escape MTL. Like, I did some freestyles or whatever. I was like, yo. All of a sudden, I could show up to an event. People was like, "Yo, that's you. Yo, that's dope." And I started meeting everybody. Like, the habit was Dutch through so many shows. We were all backstage together. That that era of Montreal was built on backstage chillings. Of yo, we were all at the same events. So all we did was kick it. I mean, there's footage of Club Soda freestyles of me. I think uh, Nov was there. A couple of people. But no. it's like smoked out of the back of Club Soda. Like Frost was there, Boy Blue was there. Like we were a ton of us, just Actually. fucking rhyming and chilling and smoking. But there's energy that was built in that era that I don't know if it can be replicated. Like I'm sure it can. Happy to be well, I don't think like that energy can be necessarily recreated in its like it its version, but I. You, you actually just dropped something interesting, like a real knowledge nugget, I think, that something that... So here's the thing. I performed at a whole bunch of shit. i never been backstage fucking anywhere. We're in fucking parking lots inside of fucking crappy looking things. You know what most people don't want to do? Honestly, you don't want that film. I mean, maybe we should. In in this era, I'm, I'm pro-film everything, anything, and people's standards have changed. But in 2012, as an example, 2014, you're not filming yourself, like, fucking doing freestyles next to some shitty-ass bar and putting that on. No, you want, like, cool fucking backstage footage and shit. But what really was interesting is the environment. A positive, weed-friendly environment where a bunch of rappers could chill and, and congregate. Because why we're all outside also is the weed. A lot of us smoke pot. It's just facts. You can't smoke inside a lot of these bars now. Yeah. But you could smoke inside of the, the backstage in some places if it's big enough because they're probably just going to let you do whatever. I'm not yeah, saying well, that was case. a little more liberal than it is now. But even now, we can work around it with vapes, you know, like or edibles because it's legal, so it's less conflict. But I guess what I'm trying to say is the backstage element is so fascinating, right? Because it allowed a yeah. lot of artists who would, to talk. Now, I don't have a lot of experiences in my shows except for this one with Tech Luciano where there was a backstage and it allowed me to meet Tech Luciano and actually have a memorable moment moment that like, you know, was how I started my interview with him. Uh, but it was like really like it was interesting. It was the only time I can really think of that had a backstage that I had access to. And it made the whole fucking experience different. Like, cause first of all, as an artist, then you get to go backstage and that's fucking like, that must have been an experience to be, because I want to go backstage at Soda. That's on my fucking bucket list. I haven't done that yet. Like you know, but so oh, does it. it it's something. And 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 I got I got some of those stories that we definitely could get into. I mean, not they're not they're short little anecdotes. Yeah, go for it, like, man. Um, well, because I you know what? Let's not skip ahead because we're gonna get to them anyways, right? Because they right. come up from 2003 coming so let's let's so i'll let's take it from to... there to make it make sense all right let's do so it 2003 then. to 2005 i'm just a speck known in montreal there's little circles of rappers that i know that respect me i'm dope and laval i'm like one of the only people active so there's an impact there for me and we're doing shows and we're getting a lot of people involved and it. it's fun right so you're throwing shows so, Hold on, are you are you like promoting I them? I had friends who were throwing shows. I had a lot of friends who were throwing shows. Okay, yeah, I didn't actually. I threw, we threw one show as a team, like, but I 
wasn't a promoter. Like that's not my nature. Um, so very pivotal moment was after that album was the, the, the mixtape was done, the one, the burnt CDs and all that. When I ran out of copies, I was in a place where I was like, I'm fucking bored. I want to change my life. Like I need something different. My friends, two of my friends had gone to live in Alberta in Banff, which is like a national park in the middle of the Rockies, right? right. Fucking be- one of the most beautiful places on earth. So they went to live there the summer before that for a few months. And they're like, it was the illest experience ever. So one day they decided they wanted to go back. And I go, oh, yeah, when? He's like, in two weeks. And I said, you know what? I got a paycheck in exactly two weeks. Let's go. And we fucking left. We drove all across Canada, went all the way to Whistler, BC, met our other boy who was there. We ended up just, me and one of my friends decided we were, like, not going to stay there. Like, it wasn't going to work. So we left, drove back to Banff and stayed there for, like, five months, six months. Like, lived there totally separate from everything because I'm in the Rockies. Like, and while I'm there, uh, college dropout from Kanye West comes out. And that changed the fucking game for me. I was walking to work every day with Jesus walks playing like, cause my brain was trying to fucking come up with the illest flow to that beat ever. And there was some joints on there where the beats were like, you know, Hey, you know, everybody knows Kanye West college dropout fucking amazing album. It is. So I don't need to say it, it's it. a great but album. The inspiration that that had while I was in that five months in Banff where I had a small music store, I could get music from and I wasn't getting access to everything. And I barely, I, it wasn't a time where, like, you had to go to the mall to get internet. It's not like you had a laptop. Like, laptops were barely affordable. Mm. So you didn't have a mall. So you were basically, like, at the mall on the paying the internet to send emails and shit. Like, you know? Now, Banff is a very weird place because you can get by on very little. But when you go to the mall, it's a Louis Vuitton store, Gucci store. Like, the shopping center is different. Like, you know what I mean? The spending level is different. But that experience, man, was amazing because it reset me. I was not influenced by what I came up with anymore. I was onto some new shit. I'd lived new experiences that I hadn't lived before. And that was a, it's a critical aspect that I tell artists all the time. Good music is because you got to live. You, you have to, if you're going to make music about your life, you must have lived something. Otherwise, you're telling a redundant anecdotal tale of you waking up in the morning, brushing your teeth going to work, finishing the day, you eat, <laughs> that's your album. Like, you know what I mean? So you got to live little, you got to have those stories. You got to have a life. You got to have experiences to share. That gave me something. I came back here. It was about it was coming on the middle of like summer 2000. No, it was mid like fall 2003. Yeah. Fall 2003. I get back now. Or 2000, summer 2004, something like that. Anyways, I get back and I call my man Pat and I'm like, yo, let's meet up. And then he tells me, he's like, yo, I have a friend now as a studio. I said, word? So fucking get, go meet this boy. And we record. I think we did like some Jay Z, like, uh, I was like, we go blocks, so all we smoking that, la, la, la. We did a whole like remix and shit. And that was it, bro. Like, we're like, okay, let's fucking work. So to, from that point on until 2005, March 19, 2005, I dropped a second mixtape, Truth in the Booth. Now, Truth in the Booth. Can we pause is... for one quick part? Yeah. Um, yeah. You dropped two projects, but we didn't really discuss a lot of the logistics of how you got about actually recording mixtapes and all of that. Because I think that's also interesting about the then and now so that people understand 
that side of what you actually did to oh, pull yeah, off. For sure. So Vanier was the first one, right? right? So we covered that. And then now we're moving into, you know, around 2003, 2004, you're starting to get to the point where people can get a mic and home studio equipment and start doing it at home. Like it's just the beginning of that. Okay. And so I need somebody who can do that. And we record in his mama's house. Like we're also living at our mom's bro. Like it was like, <laughs> we fucking record there, do a couple of little remix joints, like little freestyle joints, like just whatever, just something to record, you know? he moves he gets a better place he builds a studio and we roll out as a team me my other boy and, and my boy pat who to this day so ride or die fucking motherfucker sold 500 cds of mine out the back of his trunk like i think like people don't even get we had to do that shit and, like we had so many fucking cds and this motherfucker sold so many of them like a one mad machine yeah but that's how we had to operate but that helped Pat knew people. He just kept meeting people. I'm not a social person. Like, I'll have a conversation with you if I fuck with your vibe, but if I don't, I'm not good at pretending. But that closes a lot of doors, bro. You gotta pretend. Like, you know what? You gotta be real. I'm never gonna count contradict myself, but sometimes you gotta be as real as you can. But with some people, you can't be you all the time. Yeah, it's big facts. Some people are only meant to see an aspect of you. Sometimes you have to give people the aspect they need to see. To make it work now you still got to be yourself but you're giving them a part of you you know what i mean but that feeling that's what leaves people feeling like oh you know anxiety and shit. it's tough but sometimes we it has to be done business is business we, we can all be as stubborn as we want to own our masters and blah, blah, blah. i'm gonna get everything now and yo we have to be di digital you know diligent to that vigilant to all this the snake shit, but you know, that part of being yourself matters, but being yourself does not mean an absolute. Nobody is one absolute thing. So that gets lost in the whole situation, right? But anyways, back to, we put that shit out. We're doing shows all over the place. Book going, starting to do shows in like Montreal and Trois-Rivières and shit. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so we're spreading out a little bit, trying to make some noise. Now, while I was in Banff, I had left one of my CDs and somebody burnt it to everybody I lived with in the building. Here's where the plus oh. Everybody in the building that I live with, because in Banff, you live in staff accommodation. So everybody you work with, I worked at a hotel, everybody you work with lives in the same building. So once everybody had a burnt CD of me, here's the fun part. Nobody is from the same goddamn place. Friend from Japan, friend from London, friend from New Zealand, friend from Australia. Friend... It was the benefit I never knew would come in handy. And it didn't make even a big difference, but it spread my music a little. So there's a point when later on, when we get to It's All Good, where that comes into play. And so now we pushing that mixtape, we, we doing everything. During the process of recording the mixtape, I already had my boy Jason, P. Hustle. He used to be with a group called RLP. They had videos out, everything. like. But we were always a group together, like running around the city since we were like 14, like called Renegades. So he's down and i got him on a feature on it and then i meet through these boys my boys like reggie charles and reggie charles ends up fucking by magic becoming like the the pmd to my eric sermon the fucking okay. like the 
the the fife to my q-tip or i'm the fife to his q-tip like i couldn't tell you because i wouldn't choose but <laughs> something special happened there and then so we p hustle reggie charles and our other boy at the time nine million goes by benny denaro now who now is going to be rapping in french and shout out to him it's going to be dope but we put together the group so we managed to squeeze out a couple of songs with all four of us we were the four best rappers you could find in Laval at that time. Like everybody, me and Jay, me and P rep Shamadi. Reggie is from St. Rose and Ben was from Faberville. So it just kind of built this, or well, Faberville, St. Rose. It kind of just built this overall, like it gave us a bigger, broader fan base because we were appealing to each other's peoples. I got so a, that opened more doors. I got a little question about this era because yeah. we touched on a, a couple of really fascinating marketing points. So just to summarize a knowledge nugget. Yeah. And it actually correlates to this other guy I talked to, this dude, Young Easy. Now, Young Easy did this actually calculated travel tactic. He would go to another city and he would do recon and he would meet some people and he would network and, you know, do like a freestyle here or there or whatever. <laughs> then he would come back and he would do shows. And he would do it like whatever. Then he would come back full fucking forest with merch and everything ready to fucking drop it and move shit out the trunk, right? And that was calculated. But in the end result is he traveled. Because he traveled, he was able to spread his music to other cities. And guys got like 10K followers on Instagram with a pretty organic growth plan in place. And I'm really impressed with that number, right? That's not like fucking nothing from organic. And it's because he, and yo, he messages everybody, he talks to everybody. Everybody I know loves this guy. He's just fucking super sincere with it. Now, what I, I found the parallel there with your story is um, you happen to go to another place. And it just coincided that this hotel you're at basically kind of is like, I don't know, a fishbowl environment of that guy's story. A lot of other places yeah. brought to you in this case. And it's just but the fact that affect everybody with your music and let it spread. If we talk in, in today's analogies, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's a great place to disseminate because you're spreading it out to all these different countries in one stroke. But like, it's also the part that you chose to go travel. Like, let's be real. Going all the way to the other side can i never gone that far the farthest i've gone is toronto maybe a little further i don't know but toronto maybe hamilton so like all i'm saying is it's actually like you went to another culture like you can relatively argue that you were in another country as far as culture goes in Ooh, i slept in a car for two weeks i Sorry? was like when we got there, we slept in a car not two weeks a week we slept in a car for a week we were homeless we left Montreal with $300 in our pocket for gas money. Okay. We fucking ate sandwiches till we got a job. Like that was beyond a culture shock because look, I was, I was never rich, not even close. I grew up on a fucking street behind a strip club, that street up until maybe 10 years ago, hookers on the corner, actually there. And I joke not like people don't believe me. If you know Shamani, you know, 81st Avenue, that's <laughs> where I fucking live. I'd humble the fucking Yenny's man. And that humbled me more because I drove across the country to a place I don't know with no money to survive. And only the hope was I can get a job quick enough to find some place to live and eat. Mm. I challenged myself like I've never been before. Like I didn't go into that with like money saved up or like that was on the spur of the moment. We took a last paycheck and bounced. And back then, you're lucky if you had a $300 paycheck. Like the $300 paycheck was a fucking miracle. Like so – at the end of the day, that experience humbled me. I knew what it was like to have nothing and build my life. It took me two weeks, but I had a job, a roof over my head, food in my fridge. I was good. 
but I learned something there that I could never have learned back home without a safety net. That's something that, you know, I, I can recommend the experience, but it's maybe not, it's not for everybody. I think it's a worthy rite of passage. I never thought it through when I did it. I didn't think that was going to happen. I didn't have a plan. I was, I was running away from my problems. You know what I mean? Like it was a trip to get away from all this bullshit. But like, like there was know, no I, drama. Like just everyday comedy shit. But it's like uh, Chris Crow said. It gave him a little pick me up because you know the vibe on that story honestly follows like this hero's arc. Like you know, like the Dan Harmon hero arc thing for storytelling. Like you really have a challenge. You go out there. You overcome it. You learn a lesson. You wrap it up, and now you're a better MC because of the whole experience. It's actually. A pretty remarkable passage and i think travel is important and it goes back to your idea of living now i respect the fact that not everybody's gonna have the opportunity to go very far or very complicated but if you're resourceful you can at least go somewhere that's different from where you're at and see something a little bit different um I, I did say Dan Harmon. Somebody said that did i say it wrong i'm really fucking bad at i sometimes mix up people's names i i don't know it is what it is Oh, is that a cool thing? Is Dan Harmon not the community guy? Is that like, you know, fucking Rick and Morty? That, that's Dan Harmon, right? Dan Harmon, Dan Harmon is the community guy. Okay, yeah. Okay, cool. So I just, because, you know, I get mixed up a lot sometimes when I do this shit. And then fucking, it's live, right? So, like, I'm just fucking, like, sitting there. But, yeah, Dan Harmon's writing style is formulaically genius. It's just what it is. And I feel like you, your story really reflected elements of how his writing style comes through. And I thought that was really cool because it evoked in me a similar emotion of that journey um but the travel is really important to me because i got the opportunity to travel and it started to change my life i went to uh, pakistan with work which was whatever that's that's next level that's like a whole thing and then i also got to go to israel with birthright which is also a whole other thing but the main takeaway is yo those are very different places okay very freaking different places and my ass got like um no, dude, it's totally fine. As much as you're going to interrupt Chris Chrome watching this, he's going to be editing shit like this out for the YouTube video. So this is the Twitch experience. Yo, the fact that you're sitting here watching, the fact that you're interacting with us, I know that Rico Blocks yeah, appreciates that. So, oh, man. Appreciate it. So like, yo, that's why Chris is here to edit it out so that we can mm -hmm. stop here and there and have a little chit chat with you. That's what it is, man. Yo, shout out Chris Chrome, dude. He's saving my life. He's the reason we get to make clips after for YouTube. And shout out your lady friend, Bonnie. She's the, the lady, my actual girlfriend. And she's doing all the writings and stuff. Yo, she's squad. She's fucking holding it down. It's fucking dope. But yo, I, I'm seeing all the comments. So I'm trying to like chat to not interrupt you. But I just, you know, here and there we can fucking do it. He, caught, he just he said, dude, hold in. Say this is what it is. Listen, in a perfect world, people like to think like you can have conversations without interruption. But reality is, that's not how conversations work. People are gonna, we're gonna push. Is gonna be roll with it, man. Like I, I, I might interrupt too, guys. So it's, it totally, like, it's totally cool. But I feel like above and beyond else, this is a show, right? And if the audience wants to talk. We should at least, if they're going to address me directly, include, you know, something like yeah, that. And it's, it's just, Dude, I'm like, you know, it's fun. You know, if you guys, if anybody in the chat has yeah, questions. Absolutely. Like it's, it's, it's part of why we wanted to do this on Twitch as opposed to other things. Because that's the culture here as opposed to other places. And then Chris can cut it all out. Yeah, Chris. And then it'll look real pretty on YouTube because the YouTube kids don't really want to watch this part. <laughs> that's just the facts of like content marketing you have to be like aware of your platform and your audience and who you're talking anyway that's a whole that's more like the this part of the story um 
Still, uh, I totally lost my train of thought. Um, yo, but basically, we have a question. If you can talk a little bit about DJ Manifest, so we'll, we'll, since I lost my train of thought, let's talk about DJ Manifest. Yeah, let's do it. I don't know anything about DJ no, no, Manifest. I'm going to worry about a battery issue. All right, so you know what we can do, dude? We're, I have to go pee. I'm going to throw up the be right back. If y'all, So first of all, the French side is not off limits. I spend a lot of time on the Anglo side. Well, just uh, because like I spend a lot of time with Anglo side because I'm going to be real. All of my like experiences and histories related to like, let's say the Southwest Montreal Anglo scene and most of those cats. That's who most of my Facebook is and all of that shit. So I'm just in response to the comments, actually, because he's asked. Oh, about yeah. well, DJ. I said so, the DJ Manifest thing. I got, you know, so basically Manifest is one of the fucking legendary DJs in Montreal, like all the illest nightclubs he killed all that shit back in the day he's always been a staple of the scene he's worked with Carias closely which is a very big you know quebec rap artist and yeah i mean listen manifest was the second glow up like if i was continuing my story in chronological order manifest okay. is the follow-up that comes from the 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 okay before you do the that then so if that's yeah. actually part of your story, I did have one question. Oh, yeah, if you definitely. don't mind waiting uh, in the comments, I'm yeah. sorry. Uh, I just wanted to know oh, if because yeah. I wanted to know if um, the internet at this point mattered to you because you have a lot of streets, a lot of in person, a lot of whatever. Yeah. But as you're doing this thing, let's be real. Social media is now started. Uh, I want to just mm -hmm. ask about that period. Let's say before we get to the next yeah. go up, well, talk that's, about that's that. Exactly where we're at. So that's exactly where we're at. Amazing. So, things out it's pre it's just facebook just started right 2005 so we're just barely even at the level of smartphones yet more or less like we're getting there it's something close to akin to it and yeah now like internet's a little bit easier because like we got all our blogs lined up now you know where to go get music like it's been a little while this shit is running so the mistake i made with the truth in the booth that's the second mixtape the mistake i made was i took beats that were for lease that i didn't know at the time because i didn't understand what they were saying i just got i was on SoundClick downloading beats yeah i mean that made it so like i could use it to promote it like i could do shows promotional shows but i couldn't make any money off that mixtape other than you know like this little sales street sales we did which was fine but the fan base that Holy we built shit. off of. Holy shit, hold on. Can I pause for a second? So let yeah. me understand this. From an internet perspective, at this time, you're not actually selling the music because there's no paper trail. No, exactly. There's and no, there's no, even if you're on SoundCloud, you're at that, until like 2010, 11, you weren't monetizing music online. Like it wasn't there. Like it wasn't an option. But it's also, YouTube became an option at a certain point but it's but also the, have... from the other side of it, you have no copyright liability because you can throw on that for promotional use bullshit yeah. and sell it for $10. And what do you, there's no paper trail, right? So, cause I've always wondered about the downloaded beat stuff, right? It's a, it's a part of the culture. I, I've always been like straight monetized. I bought my shit, etc. So hearing you be like, yo, we could just download that from SoundClick, half folders, you know, burn it to CD, sell it out the trunk. It's like, oh shit, yeah. look at that. The world existed like that creating this demand for this style 
a mixtape vibey thing, right? Like I'm assuming these were or the albums or mixtapes. They're mixtapes. They're mixtapes. I wasn't ready. Like I, I tell people all the time, I, I was always building towards the debut, the the album. It's all good and all that. There's a follow up to why those were supposed to become the core of the album, and then other stuff happened. It didn't happen. But at that point, and so we're like at 2005, 2006 now. Like we're rounding out to the next year and until 2006, there's a lot of opportunities. We're doing shows. We're having fun. We're going up North doing shows, you know, like and promoters that, that regularly dealt with us, but we wouldn't really get paid for shows. Like it was like, they're selling it to us for the look. Like we, we all went for the okie doke for a long time until we started demanding, like, you know, at least we get paid for something. Like, what the fuck? I remember a point I couldn't get a water bottle. Like, dude, I had to buy a water bottle at my own show. Like, I've been through those kind of crappy shows, but here's what's fun. So, 2006, we basically run out of those, those TVs. We're not selling anymore. Like, we're not going to go re-up another batch. I personally wanted to leave it behind because we had other issues that broke up the whole team. Right. Um, those things, those the context of those situations made it so it wasn't even worth it. And I couldn't do nothing with the beats. Like, I knew that I had to let the songs die in the streets. I love that mixtape. I could... But I played some of them on my live. Like I played a couple of joints still, you know what I mean? Um, but it it's at the end of the day, I had to figure out something more. So now 2007 comes around and I'm kicking it around. I'm no longer with that team, but I'm still friends with my friends. Like it, the, the team broke up. The friend did it. Like we're still cool. Everybody's cool. And I'm out there and I'm like, yo, meeting people who have little booths and closets and shit recording at home. And so I'm starting to record now. I'm starting to record mixtape shit. Like I'm going New York style. Like I'm ripping every fucking industry beat I can get my hands on that I like. If I could figure out something dope for it. And it led to a string of them. And one of our DJs that we knew, the DJ Red Light, uh, Royal Skills, he started doing these live mixes, right? So it was like his own mixtape of his, he did the whole mix. And then every edition, he would throw a local track on it from Laval or Montreal eventually. But beginning, he focused on Laval. And I got to be one of the first ones. So I jumped window shopper for 50 cent. And then people started freaking out a little bit because it was so, 50 made a whole song bragging against window shoppers. Like you're just like, it was a condescending remark. Like you're just a window shopper. And I took it like, yeah, I'm a window shopper, but I'd rather, you know, have money than buy shit I don't need. Or there was a bunch of like little lines of like, you know, I'm I'm li I'm adding up the amount and outfit costs at the time and going, do I really need to spend that kind of money on clothes just to look fly? Like I'm doing that and people responded to it. So it started to spread a little more there. So every mixtape with me and skills, I used to drop every time that built up a little bit newer fan base. And while I'm doing that, I'm kicking it with these dudes, 450 Entertainment. Shout out to my man, Gallo. And they gave me access to the studio. That's starting to be now where we're going to get to Munchu. Like, this is the key element. So I give them credit where the credit is due. But them giving me access to a studio and all I was doing to repay for the studio time basically was features, which I didn't mind because I'm like, dope. Like, I can fuck with them. Like, you know what I mean? And they're younger and I was trying to be a good OG. At that point, I'm already tech feel like I've been in the game forever. So I'm trying to be the good OG. Now, whatever that accomplished, I don't know. But the mutual exchange worked. 
because it got me recording a bunch of material that even some of it is in the stuff I sent you, which is like timeless, but it was done in like 2007. Some of those freestyles I can keep forever the way New York radio show freestyles come back and leak online and people are like, yo, remember when, you know, DMX did that freestyle on that show? Like, so now I'm doing those freestyles and I decided I'm going to do a thing. Blogs, uh, Blogspot starts existing, right? You remember, I you know it was like WordPress and Blogspot. It's like when the blog era really started, Tumblr, this kind of stuff. So I opened up a blog. This is like ricoblocksmusic.blogspot.com, which eventually I managed to get the domain to ricoblocks.com at the time and, uh, you know, made it easier to get to. And so I started doing this thing called Fuck Fame Fridays because I had a song on the second mixtape called Fuck Fame. So Fuck Fame Fridays was like my version of doing like Crooked Eyes 52 joints a week, but I managed to go like 14 weeks. That's how much I had in the stash. I was like, I just wanted to get out. There was no project yet. I wasn't affiliated with anybody Hold i up. thought so I you dropped 14 singles in 14 week, uh, weeks yeah so you know it's fast but they're I mean, they freestyle joints like they're nah, but some of them are dope just gotta, they're all dope because it's one yeah, of the big conversation just to like pause there for a second and, and uh don't worry for the questions in the chat we'll get to those but um I just wanted to to like touch on the idea of release schedules because yo you you brought up a lot of interesting things. You dropped a lot of mixtapes and stuff, which was cool because it stacked the volume. It showed your versatility over time, etc. And then when you had enough material there, you actually pivot into like what the modern world is doing now: the singles over time, keep putting them out very frequently. Right? That's actually a really twenty twenty move if you really think about it. And you were doing that way back in the day. And if you think about why people do it, it's because it actually does give people a chance to resonate with a track for a minute and really sit with it and really develop that interest in you. That's like pretty fucking cool. How did so was it really just driven by like this is what it is? I'm going for that fifty cent thing? Well, or was it deeper? I, crooked Eye did it. Mm. Crooked Eye did it first. It was in theory of trying to follow like there was two things at that point as a rapper I was trying to accomplish. So Crooked Eye was doing it. And at that point, and it was still early on for him, like, and well, not early on, he was way past death row, but it was pre-Slaughterhouse. That fucking inspired me because the output, I was like, yo, I know I, I write tons. I lost more rhymes and heart crashed hard drives than people could ever imagine. And at the end of the day, like that gave me a chance to just flex. I didn't have to have a whole subject. I just go bars and I was testing myself. Like, do I still have it? Am I still hungry? I had fun doing those records but doing it every week i already had them in the can like i wasn't trying to keep up every week i already had 14 in the can like i, I was just staggering the release but you stockpiled it though right that's the yeah, part exactly. that because i'm it's talking to some young people right now and young people in the same version of this interview sure their story doesn't go as long but we end up talking about release strategies etc and one thing that a lot of them i find are doing are grabbing a bunch of tunes they're not releasing them right away and then they're able to maintain things. And that's why I said what I said about like the release schedule and keeping attention and letting shit sit. And like, there's a lot of like ways to market, but I think it's crazy yeah. that you just coincidentally made that happen. So why did you choose to stockpile them? It was, there was no real good way to release them. Like, yeah, the internet was there, but the premise was like, you had to get on the blogs. And I'll be honest at that time, I wasn't hip on the blogs. The only thing I knew well about the Montreal rap scene was the rappers I actually either met during the process of doing what I was doing in Montreal, like freestyle battling or like just going to shows and stuff like that. 
there was all these little shows, little showcases, you know what I mean? Like you go through the run in Montreal, that's like rite of passage. Like everybody goes through like, it's a showcase, for, but it's not always called a showcase. Like it's just, you know, it's the type of show it is. If you're, you know, eight acts on the bill, it's a showcase. You know what I mean? If you're, you know what I mean? And listen, I've done that. I've done, I've done opening for major artists and we'll get to that. But like I've done opening for major artists where we were 12 on the bill before the artist. It's crazy. Right. <laughs> That's some insane Montreal shit. That that was a bad moment in time because what the fuck are we doing with twelve opening act? Like we went through that shit. Like, but anyways, to get to the internet part of it, so the blogs was the start, right? So now I'm doing my blog and I'm putting it out, but I'm realizing like I need it to be promoted somewhere. Finally, I come up on Escape MTL because I'm on Twitter and. There's a couple of things now I'm starting, right? In 2007, 2008, 2009 is when I joined Twitter. So during that like two-year period, I'm learning social media now. I originally never wanted to get on Facebook. My boy Reggie convinced me. It took him a year and a half. I only signed on Facebook at the end of 2006. I was against the idea because we don't come from the do shit and then show everybody on camera or post your every minute thought. And I found myself, by the way, we could talk about that later, but there's just I've been through the whole social media thing where it fucks with your head. Mm. I've had meltdowns on Facebook, like in written posts. And some people noticed and some people did it. But you know what I mean? Like I said, I'll get I'll get to that. No, I'm going to be real with Benny, you. I have that shit happen too. So straight up. It's yeah, a good it, thing to talk about. It's going to happen to everybody because it's not natural. We're learning something. But this is not a natural way to be. Yeah. I like how you said that. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not how we were, we were intended to be observed. Like we observe each other like animals now. And don't get me wrong. I do as much observing as anybody else. I'm like, we're all guilty of it. But like we, we, we enjoy human activity. Like it's a movie, like even the real shit. But it's like, but I, so I, I don't want to divert too much. I'll get to that though. There's okay, a, cool. a the whole, I want to have a discussion about social media shit. Cause that's a very important subject. So just to cap off and jump to the parts where it starts to get good. So by the end of like 2008, I'm, I, I've had It's All Good to Beat for about two years, right? I've, long story short, I know Rough Sound. Rough Sound knows me. We've known each other since we were like 20 years old. Like I we made beats in his mama's basement. I love that dude like a brother. And me, me recently we just reconnected on we were, we were playing PlayStation and one of our mutual friends was like, yo, hop on the chat. And I never hear from him that on the chat. So I hop on the chat and me a rough sound. So we hadn't spoke for a couple of years. Nothing bad happened. Just, you know, people move and rough sounds a huge producer. Like he doesn't have, how old are you at this point? So went back then. And so 2008, I'm going on the verge of 30. I'm like 28, 29. Like yeah, a, somewhere there. That's one of those huge, Eras of social restructuring. Why am I not doing the math right? Born in 81, 2008. It's 28. I was 28. Yeah. Yeah. So 28, I had a lot of life experience, but I didn't have music industry experience. Right. I had a lot of little recording sessions, but the business still eluded me. But that's when I found um, Escape MTL. Dutch's website. That shit was my bible at one point because i was like oh now i'm learning about all the montreal artists like i'm seeing posts oh he's posting this montreal artist this montreal artist like there was no other website really like that there was like hip-hop franco and hip-hop 
all that. Uh, the the websites in French, which I fucked with, so shout out to them. But and that's and by the way, I'm gonna answer something with French side because I admit that we probably jump past all that and we can address it now. I fucked with the French side of the scene from day one. Banlieusal is a group from Laval, BLZ. They go by now, bro. Nino, Alex, Zib, like these guys. We we came up in the trenches. We did talent shows together when we were kids. Before they were Banlieusal, they were like Le Fléau. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so uh, to address the other comments, like, because you see, I don't have a French accent. Now I went to French school, like St. Max and St. Martin are French schools. So somebody was asking why I don't have an accent. That's why, because uh, I speak both languages <laughs> and I've always spoken both. But English is the only language I'll ever rap in. Like, I've tried to French rap. Nobody will ever hear me do it. It's not going to happen. So, <laughs> But the the French side of the scene has been a big part of my career before Montreal was a factor, right? Because working in Laval, I was always working with French rappers. Every rapper I knew was French, French, French. There was like four other English, like the Mike group. Like I said, P. Hustle, Reggie Charles, Benny Zero. There was my boy Ludo Lopez. There was another dude that used to fuck with them. And maybe another dude. There was like maybe a few of us, but those are not people that are still actively rapping. Like there was no, that never jumped that part. Like no disrespect to them. There's not, other people like they're doing good things. Ludo shoots videos. He still makes albums. Like they're still thriving. We're still, there's still a scene. Like they're still, we're still talk. He shot a video for me like this summer. Like we, that, that clicked. And a lot of people in Montreal know them, but Laval wasn't on their radar like it is maybe now because the French side of Laval has killed the game. The French side of Laval right now is the hottest French shit ever. Like, Fair enough. I don't actually know a lot about... <clears throat> we'll see, like, for me, like... They have, I don't... Team, they have better business than we do. See, the Anglo side doesn't have the business. The French side, right. there's actual labels. There's real shit going on. You know what I mean? Like... Joyride Records, best fucking label I've ever seen. Like, I've met a dude maybe who runs it, like, once, twice. Great dude. But that label can make any artist blow up by being themselves. Like, they have a mastery on the shit. They can be trusted. They are, uh, they operate like a record label that cares about the artist. And there's movement behind it. Because in French, you get subsidized. You get grants. You get Now, you get those for Anglophone, too, from Canada, but they're harder to get. Now, don't get me wrong. Not all these businesses. I don't want to intimate that Joyride lives off the subsidies because they don't. Right. Like they invest real time and no, energy. But, and but can we stop for a second? Uh, it's yeah. been imparted to me multiple times along this journey that I should be fucking looking into the grants because as much as you're saying they're harder to get, they're very attainable to a lot of people. Oh, yeah, but harder to get does not mean don't go for it. See, that's the thing. You have to be willing to so, get It's not really, hard. Most times it's not worth it. Because you just dropped a knowledge nugget there. Grants are available. What is a grant to the people out there? The Canadian music industry survives off of it. You think uh, Canadian artists really have the budget to do half of what they're doing without grants? Like, this is real shit, and it's not a shortcut. It's it's an arts grant. It makes sense. Like, it's perfect logic. Right. You know what I mean? But, yeah, the the application is – when I say it's hard, it's because it's a grind. You have to be a paperwork hound. Like you got to be on your fucking game. Like I talked to other, other artists that have gone through the process and have gotten through or gotten rejected and had to reapply again the next year, every round, like it's, it's ups and downs. There's no guarantees with that. Now, does that mean anybody should not try it? No, you should fucking try it. 
Right. It's worth least, it if it gets 20 degrees, but there's grants for so many different aspects. You got to be specific with them. Is it a touring grant? Is it a production grant? Is it, you know what I mean? You got to know so, what you're applying for and shoot for those stars on that. But it's the, there's a grind to it. Like you got to be really on your paperwork game. Which is something I would advocate doing because like end of the day, I mean, look, if we talk about the youth for a second, they're really actually malleable in a way where they go, yo, how do I make a beat? And then they find a beat making app and they go, this sounds dope. They don't ask questions. They just use the app and then they fucking find a mic and they rap. And the next thing you know, it's on SoundCloud. And the next thing you know, somebody's at their door and et cetera, et cetera. Right. So, I mean, everything's kind of, fuck. What were you saying just for a second? I'm a little high. I got a little distracted there. No, but we're saying about like how, how the, the industry works in terms of like the French side, the English side, the grants, right? right, right like right. how the grants. So yeah, the grants. Okay, I remember now. So with the way people are going and the way they're all kind of DIY self sufficient, it's like just on your fucking regular life, you might be eligible for like seven angles of grants. And at the end of the day, anything that you would get to help you achieve any part of your goal is pretty cool. So given the way, especially for like anybody young that might be watching this, fucking look into grants. Like, it's a big misplay for me. Go for it. Like, um, really, seriously, go for it. I never did, and it's my biggest regret. Mm. There's a moment in time where I needed it. It would have been the right moment, and we're going to get to that part in the story. But it's an important thing to do. You have the option to do it. Why not use the resources at your disposal? Big you can't facts. wait for the funding to come in without hunting it down. Like, nothing is given. But if you work for it, you go get it. Like, dude. They're going to help you pay for shit that you can't pay out of pocket unless you really, really work fucking hard, save tons of money. By then, here's the problem. And it's it's part of my story. It's the example of having a rollout and having a song blow up before your rollout is done, therefore having to adapt to it, but then financially not being able to keep up with your own success. People see one side of it. Mm. They don't see what happens if you drop a fucking song that blows the fuck up but you don't have the next song in the chamber ready or you don't have the video fucking ready. Or if there's any detail that you don't expect is anticipate now. Oh shit. It's playing everywhere. You got to fucking find a way to tour. Oh shit. Now what? Because yeah, it's playing everywhere. But are people going to book you? Are people going to book you in Toronto because you're from Montreal just because you played on the radio in Toronto? Maybe, maybe not. You got to make connections. The thing that changed the game for me was networking. And this is where it's funny because it's anti my actual personality. Anybody mm-hmm. who knows me knows I'm a super chill person. If you're cool with me and we chill, but if I have to meet new people all the time, I don't like meeting new people that much. Not because I have a problem with people. It's just that you, ha- you have to know me to get my vibe. Like I, I don't like having to defend. I don't justify myself. I don't defend my comments. I say what I say because I think it through, but it's a, can be fun to be around. It can be a tough pill to swallow. I'm not the easiest person. I, I suffer from borderline personality disorder. Yo, me too. That shit. That's makes, what's up. Yeah. And that shit makes you harder to be around for most people. And Big sometimes facts. you don't know it. You know what I mean? I react different. I get attached to people way quicker than they get attached to me. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you hold resentment on that. And that, especially working in a music scene where you start collaborating with artists, is a tricky thing to navigate. So, But basically networking, to go back to exactly what that is, in terms of, for me, 
I was like, okay, let me get this straight. If I want everybody in Montreal to hear my music, where should I go? Because who's going at that point? I'm like, who's going on the internet to listen to music? Mm-hmm. Like to a, a Montreal website, like other than Escape MTL, I'm sure they had they had a high viewership and that's cool. But who's going? Is it everybody or just rap fans that are deep in the knowledge and know? Right. So I start thinking radio DJs. I mean, I've been freestyling on those radio shows for years. Why wouldn't I offer them one of my records? Why wouldn't I see if they could play? Because it would be stupid of me not to if I think about it. I'm like, if I'm freestyled on your radio show like 12 weeks in a row, my name may not hold weight, but you know who the fuck I am. So if I showed up with a song, would you play it? Yeah? Okay, cool. So here I am going to every fucking club five nights a week, wherever there's a Montreal DJ I haven't met yet. Going there, chilling, getting to know the DJ. Sometimes it's like, Oh, what's up? Cool. It's a handshake. Sometimes the conversation opens. I never forced it. The the benefit of that was DJ Blaster. That's how I met DJ Blaster. Yeah, DJ Blaster NDG showed me G royalty right there. Yeah, and, and, and it's and it's a small world. You'll see. Here's what happens with DJ Blaster. I meet him and I'm like talking to him and I'm like, Yo, I'm Rico Blocks. He's like, Oh, remember freestyles and so show me love right away. So I give him It's All Good. And DJ Blaster starts playing that shit that night. Like, he didn't, like, I wasn't expecting it. I thought he would go home and sit on it, maybe listen to it, maybe not. That motherfucker played it in the club that fucking night in front of my face. Like, he didn't even, off faith, he didn't even know what the song was going to be. Like, he might have listened to it right in the the headphone real quick before mixing it in. But he fucking run that shit in the club that night. And we looked at the club and went, oh, fuck. Because the goal of It's All Good was to make a record that gave you the same energy as House of Pain Jump Around. Like, that's what the the energy it's supposed to be is. Like, it, It's All Good supposed to make you feel that same way you feel when, it, when, when House of Pain Jump Around comes on. Like, that was my point of reference in my head to the energy of that track. And I had been sitting on that beat for, like, four years, three years before I knew what to do with it. So, like... All I had was that biggie sample. It's all good. But I knew if I flipped it the right way, when the right time came and the words came to me on the right day, and it was magic. But watching that shit in the club, right? What I did is I told Blaster, I was like, yo, I'm not going to post this on the internet. Instead, bro, and Blaster's part of core DJs, right? So, like, it's a DJ pool. So I'm learning, oh, shit, there's a DJ pool. Now, how the fuck do I get into that? Because... A DJ pool is where all the DJs go and get their fucking records. So labels send them to him, this and that. Now, if you can get on those lists and your record is sent out, now my record got sent out to like 150, 200, 300 DJs. Now, it didn't all hit. It was hit or miss. Like, it's not like you, they're, they're like, you know, at the end of the day, it's like a cold call. You're, you might, it's hit or miss. But it worked in some cases. And a lot of the other, after Blaster, a lot of the other core DJs, even in the States, started playing it. That didn't right. get me any real How did video you get spins. On the list? I found out Blaster was a core DJ, right? Right, right. So they were moving the hashtag on Twitter. And I was just getting into Twitter. My Twitter was hype. I had a, I had like a thousand followers when most people did it. Now that's nothing now. Like I look like pathetic with my followers now. But when I when it was starting, like I had fucking crazy amount of followers for at the time. Even though it was like a thousand seven hundred, that was like my cap. But I had some celebrities. I got really 
interesting things that I found cool. Like I kept a picture of like Run DMC from Run DMC following me on Twitter, or little things like that. Like those they're little things, you know. Like I take screen snapshots yeah, of. I do that too. Them, you know. Um, yeah, and I saw you had the the, the, the Memphis Bleak, Bleak shit. literally cool. retweeted our because the man was like Memphis Bleak was like recording thirty minute tracks, right? Like he could get a track time, then he's like, "That's facts, two tracks per hour," and, and I'm like, "Yo, having Memphis that's Bleak amazing. validate your journalistic efforts, that's kind of hype. That's what it is. It is, it is. But dude, see, I live for those moments. So, and we're gonna get to a few right now. This is where we're at now, right? Amazing. So, Escape NTL, all this pop knob DJs are playing it, right? And I meet Divine from Top Left Recordings in, in Toronto. Well, not meet, but speak to him online on Facebook. He's a fan of the freestyles, the the Fuck Fame Fridays. So he tells me he's doing a compilation called T.O. versus MTL. So it's like half Toronto artists, half Montreal artists. And he tells me, like, I need something. And I'm sitting there like, yo, I got it. It's all good. The DJs are playing it, but I never released it online. It's the blog era. But this is a mixtape that's going to go national. So I'm like, let's fucking do it. So I do it, and Hip Hop Canada picks it up. And all the fucking, every city on my back, which is a Toronto blog, there was a bunch of the, the, the big ones, Toronto rappers, et cetera. So I'm like, oh, shit. And then Hip Hop Canada makes it song of the day. Oh. And then makes like a list. They have like a top 10 of that week or whatever. And there's like fucking Jay-Z and Drake light up or something like that. In that list, I'm like, yo, I'm I'm in a list where there's Jay-Z. I don't give a fuck. Like, by reputed journalists, because Hip Hop Canada is, like, technically the definitive source, right? If you were talking, especially in that era of Can- Canadian hip hop, they were the, 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 the gateway. They were the real fucking center of it all, because when they wrote about you, they wrote about you. They didn't just post your shit. Like, they fucking disgust you, promoted Yo. you like it, it was can something. I, can I pause you? Day, they're still one of the best websites to fuck with. Can I pause you again? Because you dropped yeah. another motherfucking knowledge nugget, but for different people. Both them content peoples out there. So, <clears throat> without tooting my own horn, I hear I do a little bit more of a different experience. And I think part of what I'm trying to create as a package is be able to give you clips for YouTube after where we go through and find some cool shit and cut it down because nobody's going to watch this four-hour thing. Not on nobody, but like after the fact, it's like a few people, but how are we going to get to want to watch the whole thing, right? We got to make these clips. There's no way it happens, right? Yeah. So that comes included with it, et cetera, et cetera. So it's more about then like, because I could just make a video and I could put it online and we did that at first, but I thought about it and I'm like, that isn't the ideal experience for you. I want to offer you the biggest package I can offer you with the resources available to me to make this as attractive a proposition for you because it will make you look, yo, you're going to see that Instagram after. Why? Because people, well, what's the point of doing this if I'm not making a serious effort to like put it on? And again, it's not to like toot my own horn. It's just, I think what you said is that the Hip Hop Canada people did the same level of extra Right, so for you as a person, you felt a little bit more charmed, a little bit more appealing. Let's be real, artists you gotta charm them a little bit. You can't just be like, "Well, I felt like I was on a website that mattered." Right, right? that and Escape MTL at that point was my only other experience, and it mattered in Montreal. Okay, and so it was my first taste of. But when I, think... I got love from Hip Hop Canada, people outside of Montreal saying I was dope was okay. a validation. For me. I see what you're you know saying what I mean? there. I was just hearing the part where they put that extra effort in. 
and you actually appreciated that shit. And it's more of a tip because I want to also give like, you know, advice to other people doing whatever, right? Just consider that all the little things matter because, yo, that's what I heard the most in that story. But remember you said that part and I'm glad you said it because, again, it's crazy how you'll tell a story and we'll hear different like main focuses in it because, man, there's some depth to what you say. That's fucking cool. That's a compliment, in my opinion. It may be whatever. I hope you take it. I definitely it appreciate it, man, a lot. Um, but yeah, we can we can go back on with your story there. I'm sorry for. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, at that so at that point, right? I'm I'm getting on Hip Hop Canada. I'm on the T over one. It's about to drop, and I hit up Dutch, and I'm like, okay, so that last batch. This is my last batch of the freestyles, you know. Cause I, I like by the time I had got on Escape MTL, I'd already done like four or five of the freestyles, so I was giving it the backlog what I'd already done. And I'm on Twitter and I meet um, C4, big producer from Toronto, super dope. Okay, Deeds from Montreal though. He's from Montreal, but he lives in Toronto. Fair enough. And so he puts out a beat on Twitter one day and says, "Yo, whoever can freestyle on this can have it." He's like, <laughs> "Just send me it and I'll." So I fucking ripped a hundred bars. That song was me accomplishing something I wanted to accomplish as an MC, which is do a hundred fucking bars. No hooks, no nothing, just go straight in. And people were feeling that, and then Dutch posted it. Now I leveraged that. I said, yo, what are the odds now that you know people are paying attention to these songs and the website and a couple of freestyles? I go, yo, you think you can let me on a show? Like as an opening act, and Dutch was like, "Yeah, I got you. Next show, right away." Nice. And I was like, "Okay, cool. Yeah, all right." I never, I didn't even expect him to say yes because he barely knew me. Like he just knew me from submitting music. You know what I mean? So he gives me, um, which show was it? Was it Das Effects? Huh. Yeah, it must have been Das Effects. No, no. You know what? I think it was. It's either Das Effects or D12. I can't I can't remember now. But I'm pretty sure it was Das Effects first. And it is. No, it was you know what? It was definitely D12. I can hundred percent and great story about the D12 thing. Anyways, but so I opened for D12. But it's D12 without M, without fucking um you know, obviously no M, no proof, right? It's like bizarre conniver and con artist. Mm. Or no, what no, sorry. Con artist like Danan wasn't there. It was Swifty. Now, we waited all fucking night to open for these fucking guys. There was like eight acts, including the introduction of one Meyer Clarity. I don't know if you're familiar. but Meyer Clarity produced the, the beat to my most popular dude. song. Dude, that... Meyer is one of the best kids. Like, I call him kid only because I knew him when he was young, starting out there. Like, that was, I think, one of his first <laughs> big opening shows. And, dude, this little motherfucker was talented. Yeah. But I didn't realize, like, you know, we I fucked with him. We'd see each other. We'd kick some little freestyles, like, meet under pressure and stuff. That motherfucker grew to be something so massive. Like, I... Yo, Meyer Clarity is I, the I, first I, interview. I, as an artist, I, I appreciate his artistry on a level that most... He does it on a level that most Montreal rappers don't. It's not a slight to them. But it's just like, I can, I can, I can connect to his kind of shit whether it's positive or depressive or whatever he does, he puts his heart in it and his whole foot in it. Like he, so, but that, see, that was one of those moments where it's like, Yo, it was a like, shitty show. Did you perform- but the connection I built there was super fucking dope. 
His performance. And I met Peter insane. Jackson, who's a big Toronto rapper. Like Peter Jackson is a fucking legend. It, well, not Toronto, but uh, Ajax. But he's a he's a Canadian fucking legend. Peter Jackson. Um, he runs a booking company too. Like he's booked major, major shows. So I got connects from doing that show, which led to Das Effects. And also meeting Perry Papadakos, Good Friday. Perry's Dutch and Perry are the two people who are responsible for giving me a stage, a stage that had sold out crowds, not for me, but it gave me opportunities to fucking show out whenever I could. So Das Effect was an opportunity that Perry gave me. And we got to kick it all night with Das Effects after the show. Like, not all night, but like after the show, we're kicking it outside, like, talking to both of them, getting to know them, like asking questions, little jewels, you know what I mean? And honestly, I can't, I was faded that night. So it's like, I don't even remember the jewels, but I know I got jewels that night. <laughs> that's what's funny about it. Um, that's where I first worked with Manifest. Ah, Because cool. I knew, Ma- I met Manifest a couple of times because again, rough sound, like industry-wise, how it worked, right, was like I was nominated for Montreal Hip Hop Awards. So was Rough Sound, because as always, Rough Sound, like I said, he's a fucking legend. There's not an award he hasn't been nominated. Hold or on, there's a Montreal Hip Hop Awards. There was. It short lived. There's a whole story about that, which we can get to, but we're no, getting we'll, there. We'll get to yeah. that. We'll, we'll keep going. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, at the end of the day, like that show, I. I a few weeks before that show, I met Manifest kicking it. I was like, yo, you mind DJing for me? He was like, yo, for Das Effects too? Yeah, all right, let's like for to do the show. So cool. Get him in on it. That led to us working and eventually making Stop Fronting. Anyways, it's all good is out. Shit is popping. Everything's good. I've run this shit it's like four or five months. Like I'm marketing it. Like I'm treating it the wait time. Like it's a real single. Like college radio, this and that. So that it's a real city countdown. It, become something that comes up and so when nick fury puts this out i was like okay so now there's a weekly top 10 now i was like maybe i win maybe i won't but everybody's got to hear my track every week if i'm in the top 10 so i submit it's all good and by the time i get number one i'm number one for like 15 weeks or no sorry number one for like 12 weeks but it stayed on in the top 10 for uh, 15 weeks that gave me leverage. It was small leverage, but it gave me leverage because the caliber of MCs that would hit number one, like I did, were Boy Blue, two million views on Hometown. So, <laughs> uh, Cease Rock, anything Cease Rock does is no less than amazing. Like, I would put his track, he's one of my top three Montreal MCs. Goes by SK now, but Cease Rock is fucking top tier fucking lyricist. Or, you know, the list of people that went number one, Magnum, Eyeblast, like I was in good company. I felt like, oh, I earned a spot. And it did because when I was at shows, well, guess who was all chilling together? It was pretty much the real city countdown contenders because. We were all at the same events around the same people. I got to know all these people. Some of them I still talk to today, but that respect, it was like an era. But Dirt Work, that's when we move into the new money era. Dirt Work has an issue with at that point, and not to rehash their whole story because it's not my story to tell, but there was a whole thing with 90.3 and Masters at Work, and we were wanting them to play our shit more. 
they decided to get Dirtwork got a bunch of the Magnum of Black Gloves, a couple groups from DG, a couple people, and they all went down to the radio station together. And Dirtwork hit me up on Facebook and said, "Listen to ninety point three tonight." Like that's it. Cryptic is that. You know what I mean? Like, so it's not like I was like invited to go. I'm not a part of that. Like I'm not claiming anything because I've seen other people claim shit. I'm <laughs> sorry, I was just bystander. I'm fucking watching this shit and listening to this shit go down on the radio, and they pointed out so many flaws and everything and it got me to looking and so i turn around and i start looking through the archives of ckt this ken dog shout out to ken dog like this is all squash like this is old news this is not rehashing old wounds like so shout out to all of them everybody's on good terms but i figured out that he hadn't played my song and he had told me he played my song multiple times but it turned out because i didn't have a chance to listen to the show i was wrong and i hadn't played so this contributes into this whole new money era where my fight with him was aligned with their fight with him. But it created an energy in the city. So everybody was on the Real City Countdown. It was the same squad of people and a few outcasts like me or SRH. Yo, you know SRH what I mean? Like, cool. He's a legend, bro. I love that kid. Yo, he's amazing. Like, seriously, I have nothing but good things to say about these dudes because we came up together like we came up on a scene together where every show was all of us like that's who it was you would go to every show and opening acts was Hold the up. same can we can we pause yeah. what you just said yeah uh this is important mm -hmm. actually uh this is one of those for the city kind of conversations i think because it's one of the bigger conversations about shows and showcases and shit um what i yeah. see happening a lot is uh the showcase situation but it is consistently shifting in terms of the roster of who opens maybe there's one or two or three core peoples but like you look yeah. at it and like every time it's like new name new name new name yeah but what you guys did with your history that is different than that and you know what here's the thing while he's saying all this you got to understand in 2012 i start rapping right so to me i'm learning i didn't know your name unfortunately sorry about that yeah. but everybody but else that you said is considered a level of royalty like you got to understand i blast iBlast got played in my fucking call center. He went call center viral with his like song about fucking the next chick. Um, yeah. I'm not even lying. You know, we were all there because I yeah. lived on Elmhurst. So I, I mean, when you live yeah. on Elmhurst, you're like iBlast. Bro, like those those dudes are real yeah, I legends. Got to, I got to like. So here's a, here's what happened to me one time with iBlast. I'm a fool for this moment. It's like he meets me up in fucking Goldies he's willing to talk to me and I just like, yo, I got work the next day and I left. And I'm <laughs> like, like, if you think about that, it is possibly one of the stupidest career blunders in my life. Cause I don't know what that conversation could have like been, but I blessed yeah. is from what I hear a very humble and very reasonable dude. Everything I hear about yeah, him is pretty dude. fucking incredible. Yeah. And who knows? Maybe I could have spit a bar or two instead and created a new relationship that could have changed my life back then. And instead, just as for just anyone listening to learn from it, I said, I got work tomorrow. And I, you know what that said to him? I'm not about that, about that. You know, like if there was ever a thing, right? So, yeah. and that was a big mistake for me. But yeah, sorry about that. No, no, it makes sense. Like, look, my version of that is one time, me, Boy Blue, Cease Rock, a couple of us are in the studio together doing this, this collab and so Cease and, and Blue about to go smoke a blunt. 
and they're walking out and like the rest everybody else is working so it's just the three of us standing there and they walk out and so they're about to walk out the door and i'm still standing there it turned out i was like what the fuck are you waiting for and i was like oh well i didn't want to impose it's like i'm a very polite dude bro but they were like like this should have been a no-brainer like why aren't you coming with us and so they weren't used to that energy where i was like well man i wasn't just gonna invite myself like and i got my own i could roll but like you know what I mean? Like I wasn't just gonna post. But it's a funny moment because had I had they taken it different or not bothered to turn around, like that conversation that followed, which was amazing, never would have happened. Right, right. You know what I mean? So like, that's cool. Though. At the end of the day, it's all those little moments that that's the scene connected over sharing moments together. We shared events together. We man, me preach and D shade did under pressure when it was Smith and Wesson and shut that bitch down. Like, yo, the the Corona Theater when everybody the New Money Show that was what's called the New Money Showcase. Every act, yo, that place was packed. It was only Montreal artists. There was no, it was not like they were opening for somebody, and that was possible. Everything was spearheaded by Dirt Work because of the Expos fitted Mega Mix. Yo, can I? I just want to go back to like the bigger point I was yeah. trying to make a little bit before, and it's that the consistent roster created a brand worth following because you guys were a brand like the whole like squad of that era was a brand that everybody that wasn't in that brand looked the fuck up to right like how could you not these guys were at that time yo we were doing like the cfc we looked up to each other bro like not the trouble we looked up to each other it was such a crazy environment to be in because you're standing next to the rappers you listen to but like the fact is it was also like a bigger caliber of thing. Now, I don't want to talk about the cost that goes into that kind of thing and financing because that's a very complicated tangential point. But um, what I think is most interesting is even if you wanted to replicate it small scale, there's a lot of value in a consistent roster that allows people to become attached to the brand. And if multiple brands with consistent rosters start to appear, and not to say that you don't have like flippy poos and like, you know, Mans goes over there for that night and you have like a guest in the middle. But the idea of like 75% of the roster being kind of core creates a degree of brand loyalty that attracts a community over time. And over time is the big word because I'm pretty sure it took some time before people got attached to the whole idea of it all, you know? Well, you know what it was too? Like, so Dirt Work was a big spearhead of it. Dutch handled the show aspect of it. And then New Regime, who was just starting out then as a t-shirt company, New Regime made it so, like, they were using Montreal rappers as their models. You know what I mean? Like, we were all wearing their t-shirts. So there was a a new money gray t-shirt, like, or different colored new money regime t-shirts. Like, and New Regime became something so big i'm so proud of those guys because satis and freddie and they worked so fucking hard to get where they're at that they had rihanna wear their clothes they had like they're beyond anything i i think they ever dreamed of but no matter all that success what satis does with the quartier la rue inspire and yo he's doing important shit in the streets for the youth like he's not they're not just talk they're applicating so I, I, I'm super proud that I got to watch the beginning of that. And even I have a little verse, like we had done marketing where like they had a t-shirt, the t-shirt was called no sleep, no dreams. And we had a song for it. Like we literally like went in studio, wrote verses, recorded shit's amazing. Like, you know what I mean? Like we, there was a synergy 
to where we weren't i wasn't new money like i didn't run around claiming like i'm new money or just the energy was new money but there was a new money click like if you no, look I, at it i from literally have one of the few outsiders. months there was outsiders you know what i mean like we were outliers me right. srh a couple of us were just outliers but always around it because by default we were on the level of where we were supposed to be but like that was a great moment in Montreal hip hop and just to be any part of it like like I said the expos fitted mega mix brought the whole city together I think dirt were put like 17 people on that fucking song like when then we did it live everybody like everybody like that footage is the craziest fucking show footage I've ever done because me being a part of that I want point I just squeeze through where there's like Magnum and bad news that just handed me the mic like it was a wild night and yo, that energy carried the city. So Magnum and Dirtwork really, I mean, architected a lot of this, architected a lot of shit because they created something where, to this day, I mean, I was wearing Expo hats before, don't get me wrong, right? But to this day, I don't wear anything but, like, it's things that stuck because of certain influence they created. That it didn't, it influence me creatively on my end because my music is my music. So but what, the this Expo really hat thing comes cool. from that. Yeah, I mean, all of us wore them, but I mean, I would have worn a New York Yankees hat at some point. You know what I mean? For me, it became part of me. Like, it's part of what I do. I always rock the Expos hat. And it might not be forever. One day it'll change. You know, one day I won't find one that's going to match my outfit, bro. (laughs) Let's be real. And, you know, I'm going to have to be flexible. But, you know, I've got different colors for different outfits. And it's something I try to rep proudly when the take pictures you see pictures of me you see videos footage of me i'm always wearing an expos hat and it's just something i carry on and it's i think partly an homage to to what dutch and dirt work and them did the energy that that's what it represents to me wearing this expos fitted bonds me to that energy of that era like you know what i mean it's almost symbolic like I noticed a lot of people started wearing the hat and it felt like, at least from my perception, and maybe I just missed it, but it felt like it came out of nowhere and it was around that time. And I think that... Yeah, Expos fitted. The original got everybody wearing them and then they did the fucking extended mega mix and that was like the city's fucking national anthem. Like, there was a period in time where that song played on every fucking radio show for six months because it was... Man, I had a DJ out in Cali play it. He was like, this is the hottest shit I ever fucking heard. He's like, how the fuck does people not know Montreal as this many dope artists that they can put a whole song like this, 17 fucking verses, and it's dope from beginning to end. And I got to rap on a song with legends. <laughs> legends. I cemented myself by featuring on that. Dirtwork made me rewrite that verse. You know, to be real honest with you, I sent him the first verse, and he was like, now you could do better. <laughs> and I respect the fuck out of that. Because nobody would tell me that before. But he told me, and I came back with, you know, like, uh, I got the city on my shoulders, like Raheem's boombox. You dudes couldn't walk two blocks in my tube socks. Like, I, there's bars finish in that, there. Finish that, finish that verse. Uh, <laughs> like, my tube socks, yeah. It's a new and improved, lo- oh, no, wait, I don't even remember it now. See, Fair now enough. you're going to catch me off. going to make me look funny. I don't remember it. You don't but, look funny, dog. That was fire. What you just spit was fire, okay? See, like, dope, dirt work pushed me. Because, yo, I'm not going to play. Like, we're not, like, best of friends or worst enemies. We're cool. 
but he didn't it's not like he was my biggest fan so when i when he gave me the opportunity to jump on it was like well because i'm a presence in the city and i appreciated that because he gave me the look anyways and i had to fight for it a little bit but i'm okay with that because i had to my spot needed to be earned some of these rappers have been rapping montreal for years I felt like I'd done Laval and I'm coming into your city, even though like I'm from both. Like, you to know, I always fair, have, the, I have this line that I use a tale of two cities, you know, two cities, nah, one like, love though. But real dude, you know? I I don't even like differentiate. Like I wrote Montreal artist next to your name on this because to me, Laval is part of the greater Montreal area. And it's like, it is, but it wasn't always represented as such. That's why mm-hmm. there was a period of time where I'm screaming real city on the song because people I had to, assimilate with my crowd with my that's really fair eh? so i guess perhaps i'm not really privy to a lot of that like prior grievances but yeah i don't know what it became it's not like it was big news but it's just like nobody was looking at anything popping from laval so they if you were from laval like you could say but if you're trying to actually go out there and i'm out there screaming shamity everywhere if you were like so it's from laval (laughs) I, yeah, I, I actually like, got exactly what you mean. Like, I say Shamini, like, wait, he's from Laval? There was always that from Laval. There was like a negative connotation. Me, alongside a lot of good, dope artists, proved that, yo, it doesn't fucking matter. Like, Laval got MCs, man. Because trust me, let's all be clear here. And I think anybody in the chat would agree with me. The best MCs in Montreal come from two places. DG and LaSalle. And, sorry, and Burgundy. That's Those fair. three, three. Yeah, that's fair. Three. Very important. Shout out to Stack. Shout out to Magnum. Shout out to Frost. Shout out to you know what I mean, like, dude, Burgundy, DG. The list of DG artists I can name right now, off the top of my head, that are elite tier, I could be going on for twenty minutes. So, I'll just say C Shogun, Man Black Glove, like ten uh, shades of such, culture though. Shades of culture, Eye Blast. Like I said, the 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 list preach. Um, yeah show like uh richie full course like yo the list goes on and on and on and on and on and on like dg is a mecca for what breeds great montreal hip-hop there's an energy there that and you know i i've been around it i'm a tourist like i'm not you know what i mean i'm just a tourist but the energy is infectious and you you're around there's a lot of talent and man i don't even do that list justice because there could be so many more names on that list that would be considered influential to the whole scene in terms of that so but that period in time was fun much was fun and so just to, to keep the story moving so ready uh, it's all good did great some million dollar charm now i'm working with koma karma one of my boys and it's time like i'm like i'm it's the follow-up to it's all good i'm believing in myself right now and i'm hitting them with something different like I was trying to make an album like you could you could check off every energy or vibe you wanted off each one song you know so that's why each of the singles are very different one from the other um million dollar chime did its thing hit a lot of mixtapes hit a lot of different compilations and that was cool but it wasn't i i felt like and that was me nobody was saying it but i felt like i was like oh they they heard a party record now they heard this girly record like well not girly record but still boom bap right but it was like it felt more intention towards girls it's like but i'm like now that people know me much y'all how am i not i felt like how am i not in the conversation and i was in the conversation 
but I didn't feel it. Like sometimes you want love, but you don't get it in the place you expect it from. Sometimes expecting it from that place is not the right place. So, you know, like like I I for a long time I wanted Dirtworks approval every time I put out a song I'd send it. I mm-hmm. wanted his approval, but that was a my that was a me thing. I needed because I wanted the opinion of somebody who would tell me the fucking truth. Like if it was whack, he would say it's whack. Like there was I needed somebody who didn't give a shit and like no not in a bad way, but didn't give a shit enough about me to lie to me. <laughs> like, like it wouldn't even be worth their energy to lie to me so that I would know if I got a banger on my hands or not. So I needed, like any person with ego, you need validation. But I needed the respect of the MCs. And I was in a tough class of MCs, you know? If it was a double XL freshman class, like that's what it was for us. And so I made Ready. Now Ready, Ready was the accumulation of like, I had a bone to pick. It was like, you need to respect the fucking bar work. Like, don't call it a comeback. I never left. And I wouldn't say, uh, no, I wouldn't hold your breath. What, what the fuck is it for? I could just play it if you want. And then we can just do I that. If you want, yeah. But that, yeah. And, but that song is a twist wow. in where the career goes. So, yeah. Uh, I can, uh, we're going to do that now. I'm looking for, is it in the singles folder? And it's. Singles, yeah. Ready. Sorry, it's ready. Oh, I see it. Playing. Now I just got to raise the speakers. Can y'all hear it? Is it working? Yeah, don't call it a cutback, and I never left. I wouldn't hold your breath either. So follow procedure and meet death in the flesh when you see it. Better hide the shoes, no hands on it. So let me see that get my hands on Hiding behind, and then see this is where the bar works. That's crazy. That people don't catch. You hiding behind bars. Yo, break it yeah. down though. Break it down. Yeah, so it goes. It goes. You hiding behind bars, getting the tiny hand job. I'm tip drilling your girl. Got to work in her ass off. Now let me break down that line. Right, this is around the time that Ti goes to jail for the gun thing. Right, so he gets caught with the gun, and in the news. They say he gets caught getting a hand job from Tiny, his wife. So I said, you hide him behind bars, getting the Tiny hand job. And then I said, I'm tip. So I said, I'm tip drilling your girl. So tip drill from Nelly, which was a, but also tip like T.I. I'm tip drilling your girl. Got to work her the ass off. Right. And then, so, so there's people they glance right over the punchline, but there's a beautiful little intricate, you know, put words put together. And so that, that whole track, there's bars on, I said, um, wait, what the fuck is this? The second verse is like fucking nuts. It's like, uh, I can't remember. It's something about, but I walked in with a giant pet of elephant balls. You would think I'm smuggling two medicine balls. You try me for Kavi, I leave your head on the cross like oopsie daisy. Look what y'all made me do. Crowd screaming out, dude is crazy. I'm a leader, keep your heater, either agree or get ethered. I'm eager to meet a hater who act like he got amnesia. Top ten shit, I penned it. Oh, there's so many dope what? bars on so, that. So shit. like like an example, you drop ethered, right? Which means fucking the Jay Z this fucking coming at you with your career, but also follow that up with amnesia, a side of effect of the fucking ether. The word they have either it's either agree or get ethered. 
But yeah, the ether also. So I was, in a, I, was in a, I was in a space where it was like, if you don't fucking think I'm top ten right now, fuck you, I'm gonna roast you. Yeah, like that's, that's where I was mentally. You know what I mean? So I said, it's, I'm it's, a leader. It's fucking cool. Keep dude. your heater. See, because I always, I've always made songs where I say, I don't need a gun. I don't want a gun. I don't. And I'm not against people rapping about guns. Like I'm not that dude. I don't have problems with. It. I listen to all kinds of that shit. But for me, it was like I'm a leader. Keep your heater. Either agree or get ether. You know what I mean? Like, and then the top ten shit I penned it. If I said it, I meant it. Um, in the trenches while y'all sitting on pine benches. Uh, last year, uh, this year I'm trying to do numbers like the census. There's all kinds of like little, I was bragging, but I was saying, these are my goals. Like, this is what I came here to do right now. Like I'm here to do numbers like the census. Mm. I, I really was, it was in a zone where I was feeling myself and I needed to make it known. And I did, I was able to do a video for that. So that became like my first video. And I was fucking super, super fucking happy with it. But at the end of the day, when we shot that video in Underworld Nightclub, when it was like closed, like the the owner from doing so many shows there was like, yo, I'll rent it out to you for 30 bucks. Like, bring me the lights and everything. It was like, cool. And just me, Justin, and Gustin in the stage. And then did some shots around the city, but fucked around. But And, and at Studio DRX, where I used to record downtown. Oh, no shit. Uh, yeah, that was my spot. I recorded yeah. a lot of. That was my first there, ever spot for real. I worked with Aaron, Aaron, the other guy. Uh, yo, Ao man, Ao is my guy. Like, dude, oh, no. the reminder, the reminder. That song that I sent you in the Vulture with with that line, the the yeah. money talks, but you still don't say shit. Ao mixed that. Like, yeah. Ao mixed a lot of that. Ready? Ao mixed. He, Yo, he, uh, like that was my. Was, so I actually got that that hookup because of Maya Clarity. So I ended up doing a track with. Yeah. So he ended up doing this this song, "Meet Me in the Park." Again, another NDG legend. Let's be real. Um, I know that song. And so it's, I'm actually in the music video of that song. You see me wearing a corn T-shirt, looking yeah. kind of awkward and goofy. Um, but he also asked. Yo, there are five people. I need five people to come to the studio. So this time I was a little smarter and I asked my boss, can I take the afternoon off? I got to go do this thing. And so I did that and I ended up in DRX and it was like the first time I'd ever been in a studio. And that place is fucking nice. Like we're talking like doors and doors and doors and like a whole fucking layout. Like it was like real fucking professional sounding and looking and shit. And, uh, Basically, uh, I, I just went in and we, we were just stood around five guys around a mic and hey, ho, hey. So I'm one of the five guys on the hey ho of Meet Me in the Park uh, of the Meyer Clarity. Because like, I remember being there. The Buds was there. Um, Bookworm, this dude was there. And it, it was like a couple others. I, I don't remember exactly who the other two were. But anyway, we were all there. I just remember. Th but like they directed. It was like fucking a real setup. Anyway, so then I was able to book my own sessions at DRX because of that. And I did about five tracks before I met my dude Matt. And then me and my dude Matt like linked up. And Matt, I'm going to be real. The rate was much better. And I was like, I don't know if I can afford that place. And then yeah, Matt's my dude. Yeah, too. it was expensive, man. Yo, I was going there and taking three hours a week, so I would go on like Thursdays or Fridays and just block out three hours. And sometimes I didn't have anything planned. I would just go in and throw on a beat and just run with it. Mm. Like, but yo, honestly, man, the great part about working at DRX was that building. 
You see, mm. that building is part sort of Montreal hip hop history. Because I, I, let me tell you something. I walk into that building on any given day. You never knew if the artist was in town, from out of town, like Onyx. When Onyx come to Montreal, they used to go to that building to Red Yo, Rhino. Aaron told me a story about Onyx coming through. Honestly, I okay. Yeah. So for no, Onyx came through one time. Okay, I was in the session right before. Okay, and I just chose not to be that guy, and I left. And I know that if I had stuck around, they would have come through. And he was like, yeah, they're just regular. They come through, they eat chicken nuggets, and they get yeah. real stoned, and they do their shit. Mad cool, man. Yo, Perry made my 30th birthday the craziest birthday ever. 2011, uh, he did a show called uh, Icons Fest at Belmont. Mm. So he invited the alcoholics, the beat nuts, and Onyx. It's crazy. And that night, Perry called me. He's like, yo, I know you're on, not on the bill, and I know it's your birthday, but yo, come through. I got tickets for you. So I'm like, cool. And right about to leave, he's like, yo, bring a USB with your beats. But I was already like, I was about to leave, but I was like about to leave Laval. Like I was already gone for a moment. He's like, bring a USB. I'm like, for what? He's like, you're opening. I was like, what the fuck? He's like, yo, Beat Nuts, Onyx, The Licks. Like, yo, I'm excited because I was a huge Tash fan from the Alcoholics. So I get there. I didn't end up opening, but I kicked it all night with them. And then after the show, Perry's like, yo, because Perry lives in Laval, lived in Laval. So he was like, I'll drop you off. I don't drive, right? So. That was always my problem. I would go to shows. I'd never ride home, even up until like as I didn't drive. So now I have a license. I drive. It's different. I fix my shit up. But that was a problem too. Cause I had to always get back to Laval. It was tricky. Um, so we do this icons fest and the show's over. And at the end of the night, I'm outside waiting for Perry to leave. And Tash from the Alcoholics is there, and he's like, "Oh, you're Rico, right?" And I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "Yo, I go by Rico because he used to always make songs and call himself Rico." And I was like, oh, shit. So we started bonding on that. So I'm in the truck driving around for about two hours with Juju from the Beat Nuts, Tash from the Alcoholics, and Snack the Ripper, who's arguably one of the best rappers in Canada. Very much so. Um, and at the time, I didn't really know him, you know, but that fucking night was just stories that I can't repeat of all kinds of crazy shit the Licks and the Beat Nuts did, man. It's like, like Juju from the Beat Nuts told me crazy shit, like, I was like, yo, I they swore me to never like, so I don't ever share those stories. Nah, but the, gonna push, the, man. Moment, the moment was insane. So all this to say, finally, like I'm back working with the franchise with Rough Sound and Koma Karma on looking at what the next shit's gonna be. And so with Rough Sound, I've got two things that I've been beaten up. And it's like, you know, in the span of a year and a half, I had the It's All Good remix. So the It's All Good remix has a verse from SRH, Cease Rock, Narcy, and was going to have Boy Blue and Lil Pesci. Um, I didn't get everything done. I have a few of the verses, though. I got Nar God bless Narcy because he blessed me with that verse and he didn't have to. Like, that dude is next level. Like, it's one of the dudes I respect the most in this city. Like, Narcy is the most underrated well, he's not because if you know who he is, you fucking know his level, right? But I'm saying like he doesn't get the shine in Montreal, like he does worldwide. But he's with he hung with Dave Chappelle. He just did Talib Kweli's podcast. Like Narcy's a fucking legend. Mm, that's and he huge. Wait, wait, just day. now? That's huge. Yeah. Montreal's making moves. But Narcy been making moves. Narcy's song plays in Fast and Furious Seven in the Dubai scene. Uh, he starred in a movie in Dubai called City of Life. Like, Tell yo, him. 
that's when I say when I say things like Montreal's on the map and people get me twisted. I'm like, but dog, people from Montreal been making big moves from time, but Montreal media doesn't focus on that shit. Like, and and it's no hate to them. They focus on what they need in that moment. They don't think they don't see it's gonna attract viewers. I don't fault them for it. Like, I don't have issues with the Montreal media per se because you know what? Until I'm in a position where I'm not getting my shit played, who am I to judge? I can't be a hypocrite. I can't criticize them. And if I send them some shit and they'll play it, then who am I criticizing? Like, it makes me a hypocrite. There's a lot of people. Here's the problem with Montreal media. And this ties into even where the story is. The blogs, the people respect me because I submitted music to them. A lot of rappers put out music and think Montreal media's job is to go find it. Do you really think it's DMS's job to go figure out who just put out a new album? Like, no, they have people at PR teams or they push it themselves. I was sending emails every morning, like 50 emails to every blog, anybody I could find on the internet that posted hip hop music. And it worked for me because by the time I was getting good at it, I was on, there was a thing called the new music cartel. Okay. So this is the peak of the blog era. The new music cartel was not right. Tudo boys. You heard that new shit. Um, on smash, uh, sermon's domain and buck marley so each of them represented different regions working with buck marley got me working with an artist named ricky jacobs from baltimore we did a super dope fucking joint called baltreal um yo i like that you put montreal in that that's respect yeah yeah it was his idea that's what i love so much like he showed so much love he's like yo we're gonna do a song and I'm from Baltimore, and you're from Montreal. We call it Baltreal, guy. And I was like, I'm down. Let's fucking do it, man. You know what I mean? Um, so the opportunities afforded by the blog era, I was on You Heard That New. I was on Not Right. I was on the biggest websites. Like, I still got pictures of, like, You Heard That New, like, weekly top five posts. And there's Ed Sheeran. There's new Kanye West and Pusha T, New God Flow. There's, like, the, the, a Nas song. And then there's my song. You know what I mean? And I'm going, this is fucking starting to make sense now. Like, I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be pushing outside. And the smoking section, the first big major blog to pick me up was smoking section on Uproxx. They took It's All Good and they wrote a fucking review. Like, they wrote a whole fucking, like, three paragraphs on how dope the record was and reminiscent of the energy of a house party. And they started describing. And I'm like, nobody had given me that kind of press before. So, you know who's doing that right now to great success? Like the exact Ooh. same thing, Oscar Biggs. This guy has gotten about 15 blog pieces done. And at first I wasn't sure why, but he keeps, he just keeps getting reviews and interviews. I interviewed him. I guess that counts into the big catalog of things. So that's why I'm watching his moves now, but he does a lot of things. But one of the things he does is actively hits people up. Now I'm sure there's all sorts of other strategies that he employs, whether, you know, that's his business. But I know he actively hits people up because he was telling me about actively hitting up people as part of his interview. Like, it's it's just like right there. So to see him pulling out these. It has to be done. It will not come to you like people think it will. There's a set. There's a certain sense of entitlement from artists, especially if they get a couple of views. Like, if you get a lot of likes and a lot of feedback, like, we tend to forget, like, that's one circle. But there's a bigger circle, and their job is not going to be to come find you. Your job is to go reach out to them. And you know what? Some of them are going to charge. And I'm not saying I'm down with payola shit. Like, I'm not going to advocate for it. There's no room for that in my 
mentality, but I've never had to face it either because I won't, people know I won't brook that kind of activity, but I will never fault a website for charging because they are taking your submission and providing you promotion. This is a service. They're not journalists. Like we, we keep confusing what journalists are and expecting them to cover the news for free. They got to eat. So they can't monetize our music. So what they can do is by providing an audience, they're providing a service. That's what all these DMS, Montreality, this is a scene from Montreality. I watched him go. I was the shitty intern for Bad News Brown who didn't, who did only half my job because my life was too chaotic. I sucked at it. And I almost got the job over him. I fucked up and he got the job and God bless him actually did the fucking job right and created something that not only for Bad News, they helped build something important that I failed to do, but I was blessed by that opportunity. It's one of the greatest things that ever happened because of the the way that's how I learned the blog game. Working, trying to figure out how to get bad news on the blogs. I was making Excel sheets and working with bad news as manager, figuring it out. Like, who's the contact? Like, when you're trying to submit to a blog, blog, there's an email. But do you know for sure who you're sending that email to? Are you addressing that person? Like, there's steps people tend to forget to take. And, you know, have no. your shit done right. Get the works. You know what I mean? You got to be professional. You can't. I couldn't email fucking now. Right. Look, now. Right. will write a post and go, yo, this is some new music I spotted. But if you think that the email I sent to now, right. Was yo, what's up nation? You know, what's up SK? What's up shake Mecca? All these dudes from these big sites. And I'm like, what's up, man? Yo, this is my new shit. You mind if you post it? Like, no, they're expecting a press release because you're an artist and you're supposed to be in it. Either you're doing it yourself, but you do it professionally. I eventually, after realizing I'm tired of sending out 100 emails a day myself, hired a PR guy. John, He goes by John Carter, Mini. This was SRH's PR guy. He made sure SRH was on all the blogs. He also was doing PR for Onyx and Obi Trice at the time. So I was like, fuck it. And I hired him for freelance. So I was like, listen, every time I drop a song, I need you to just send this out and here's my, my part of my list. Add my list to your list. And this way, like, cause it was part of his routine. So he gave me a, de- a good deal. And that kept me in the big blogs. Like now what sucks about that is as you can see, those big blogs no longer exist anymore. So all traces of the existence of these things get fucking wiped out. Such as something we did not think of when we were, in that blog era doing the internet shit. If I would have been had the foresight, I would have screenshot all kinds of stuff. And I didn't. But we were on the me, iBlast, Boy Blue, SRH, and Magnum were on the biggest fucking blogs in the US at any given moment. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, huge. like do, do you not like like people don't know this, right? And this is why I want to just pause. And first of all, you dropped so many fucking knowledge nuggets in that last part, dude. Like, there's a lot of strategy in there that I don't want to unpack it because there was too much really good shit in there. So rewind, re-listen, pay attention to what that man just fucking said. Genius, dude. You literally just helped me get my game plan out. Like, we're gonna talk about some of this internally after what you just said, because I'm like, yo, listen. Uh, we, we, we definitely yeah. have a list of a lot of people currently in terms of artists, and we realize the power of lists. Lists are, anyway, that's all good shit. That was your hint, everybody. Uh, it out. Yeah, you got to be strategic, man. This shit doesn't happen when you work on the fly. 
Like you, you, you gotta have targets. Like but you gotta like, think about it like that. Linking the music is twenty five percent. Anybody will tell you that it's great. I love that. that's the part I love, but it's twenty five percent of it. How you release your music? Like now, I'm I'm testing the streaming era. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. So stop fronting, which is a song that maybe YouTube wise views didn't get a lot, but downloads when it came out, like the exposure of the song. I used to play on like Keith Dean. Shout out to Keith Dean because he held me down when he did not. He's the biggest DJ at the time, fucking doing the Virgin mega mix you know the club nights and he played my fucking every single i ever put out in the club like it's all good stop running all keith dean played it on real fm radio made sure that shit was spinning um the the strategy was make people hear the music how do i make this happen i need a target i need a fucking direction my my like i did a test now like my reach on facebook is not what it used to be like among the friends that i have a lot of them are either less active or you know the oh, algorithm you did a test up, so. man you dropping I'm, wisdom on these right people what I, I, i'm testing right now like putting out stop front and it's all good my old catalog on spotify through distro kid all that it's a test. I'm testing the game. I'm not doing well. <laughs> I'm the first. I'm like, the numbers are not supporting. They're not going my way right now. But they will in time once I learn how it works. Because Yo. I'm not um, I'm, a, I'm not the type of content creator that's going to have a little video every day. Or like I, social media is not my, not my preference. You know what I mean? I'll check it. I use it to keep in touch with people. But I'm not great at promoting it in this era of social media. When Facebook first came out, I was a god at facebook you know, that's like promotion. a job that you can free that you can hire somebody to do for you eh like you can just in the well, same way the for point. pr we're, we're getting we're getting to the moral of my whole story and the reason why i was inactive that's where we're getting to so now we're pretty much at like we can jump to stop front and pop off but it's out I, i'm nominated for awards yeah go ahead i just wanted to say i just want to thank you because, yo, I don't think, like, look, a lot of people don't know the things you've said on this interview. And they don't know how much wisdom you've shared. And a lot of the ideas you've shared are so powerful. So we just have to give you that appreciation. I know I cut off your flow. Thank you. I appreciate but, like, it. Dog, no, 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 you, no, you no, just no. said on a business front, on a history front, the amount that you've shared is ridiculous. Anyway, you can go back to what you're saying. I just had to get yeah. that in for a second. So, so, so here we're at where Stop Front is out. It's banging. It's on all the major websites, it's making noise, but the YouTube views are not going up, and it it peaks at five thousand. It's probably like five thousand seven hundred right now. That's like a it, good number, dude. But it was nominated for all these, like the Montreal. In the same year, I was nominated for two singles in the Montreal Hip Hop Awards, and also made you look Artist of the Year. And at that point, I didn't even have a video. So first thing I did after uh, you fucking not 5K winning on an audio. Huh? That's 5K on an audio only? No, no. It was on the video. Like, the 5K on the video okay. came right after that. That was okay, the, okay. So, on the audio, I was getting 5K easy. My SoundCloud came after, but user share, like, all those little, like, links. Like, you know, I use Zippy Share today. Like, that was how we were pushing our links, right? So, you'd send it to the blog, and they'd upload. The, they just post with the link. People would download it from there. And the download numbers were dope as fuck. But that's where it didn't transition to views, and it started. I started trailing off because I was like, I could get the blog links to work, I could get the numbers running. I was getting that, but it wasn't translating to YouTube. Um, so, stop friends. Not, 
nominate all that, but of course, Boy Blue wins because he got two million views on Hometown. Who the fuck would not call that the made you look artist of the year? I was fucking happy. Like I, I gave him props. I was like, you deserve it, bro. Like I didn't go there planning to win. Anyways, so after the hype of that, a little bit more leverage, hip hop, Montreal hip hop summit stuff like that. So anyways, there's stuff we did. Um, constant radio interviews with like lots of press. You know what I mean? I was the the golden child of the Montreal press for a little bit. All the Montreal websites, the, the radio shows, like I would you know run through. The thing is, at this point, again, I can't afford to step to the next level of marketing and promotion and branding I need to take the success I currently have and expand on it. And that's fine because I'm used to not having a lot. I've made it with less. But here's where the key comes in. And so this is the, I'm going to make the shorter version because some of it, I don't want to get dark on it. I want to get too deep on it. But it basically, basically, I mentioned earlier, I have borderline personality disorder. Now, it can be very not dormant, but it can be very inactive. I could have no problem. I'm a logic-based person. I'm very good at controlling it. But I'm at a point in my life where I'm at highs, very big highs, career rise. And in my personal life, I'm not going nowhere because I don't have a fucking job because I put all my time in music. So I have no credits. I'm back living in my mom's at that time. Like, it was all around just, like, shitty. I was broke. But everybody knew me. Oh, popular rapper. Cool. But no money was – the shows were not paying what they needed to pay. Like I was getting shortchanged for shows and it's no offense to them. I couldn't bring enough people physically to the shows. They had me out selling their tickets. I'm not a salesperson. It's not my strong suit. So I failed at certain parts of the game where that's on me. So I start having all these relationships with all these other artists, but guess what? Like, yo, you're cool. They're acquaintances. But when you have borderline personality disorder, everybody's your best friend. When you first, when you finally click, everybody's your best friend until they're not. Because you only have extremes. And if you're not managing that, every relationship you're building is like you're super close. You chill with somebody four or five times and you guys have a dope conversation. You're like, that's fam right there. You know what I mean? And I used to get I used to get clowned for it at a certain point. I'm not even gonna lie, like Pesci would troll low Pesci would troll me. Sometimes like, yeah, fam, like you troll my posts, like because I was like I felt close to everybody because of my level of respect for them, but you have a mental illness. Sometimes it gets out of hand, and yeah. your emotions. I was so uh, I, I was so not managing it with all the the success that I crashed and burned because I'm doing my I'm I'm my own manager. I'm technically my still my own PR. I do everything, and I the, the key to the, where I was getting to with the moral of the story is delegate. By not delegating, by not building the right team around me, and I'm sure I could have if I believed enough in myself that I could keep the people around me. But again, your disorder kicks in and you don't trust anybody. Oh my God. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the simple thing goes from there. I'm still making music, but I'm not getting the views I was once getting. And I'm looking at it like I'm falling off instead of looking at it like, no, what the problem is, is that a bunch of singles and I never dropped the album. And I'm sitting there on, sitting on songs of the album. Like, I'm not sure I want to put this song out. Like, this ain't it. This ain't it. I just didn't feel confident in the body of work. So I sat on it and sat on it until nobody gave a shit whether it was coming out anymore. Dropped a couple little Lucy's, little loose singles here and there. But I quietly let myself fade out because I was like, Dutch was Dutch had died. News had died. So this is basically the, 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 the short version is that span where everything was at its peak. 
Dutch died, News died, two of my grandfathers died, and a close friend of mine shot himself in the face. And now, Dutch and News, for different reasons, it affected me. They gave me very big opportunities. They played a part of my career. And they were nice, they were great to me personally, but I'm not going to be like, oh, they were my best friend and I lost my... I cared so much, though, because that's the bond that they gave me. They showed me love, so my love for them, losing them, hurt. But that, and not diminishing it, but I could have gotten maybe through that because it didn't hit as close to home as the other situations. Both my grandfather's dying was something, but then the friend that died, here's the problem, he hits me up before uh, he hits me up like three days before he killed himself and and I'm cool with the family they know they have no problem with me talking about it because it's part of my journey but he calls me and he says yo remember how you went to Banff we need to do that right now he's like pack your stuff I'm coming to get you we're going and I'm like bro are you fucking serious right now like you think I'm leaving today to Banff I have a music career that's the words. Like, I felt so high and mighty. Like, I'm on, a, I'm riding a high. I was like, I have a fucking career here. Like, think I'm just going to give up being Rico Blocks and just move across the country? And he's like, all right, man, I get it. I get it, man. Cool, man. Yo, I'll call you later. And I'm like, but why? And he just hangs up. So it turns out he had amassed himself some debts. He had been in some bad stuff. And he was going through it, and he wanted to run away. And so I found out when he, when I found out he killed himself, I'm like, yo, but if I had left, he'd still be alive. So the next two, three years of my life was survivor's guilt and borderline personality disorder in full swing, extra emotional, couldn't make sense of things. I was not in the condition that I needed to be out in the public and deal with it. So I almost became, almost became agoraphobic where I didn't leave the house. I was home for three years. I let I went out for stuff that I needed, but for I didn't go out, no clubs, no parties, no events, no birthdays, no I didn't give a fuck about nothing. Finally kicked myself in gear because I stopped feeling sorry for myself when I got help and started rebuilding up. So built my whole life. The shit that I didn't do because I was chasing music, I built that. I got a fucking real job. I got my credit score on track. I gotten the driver's license i got a car i i built the life that i needed to have to be able to function as a regular person in order to facilitate making music again and that's where we're at today like story-wise like there there could be a lot of little ins and outs right, but right. overall like <laughs> this is where we're at today we're well uh, 2017 so... we're at 2017 2017 i lost 80 pounds that was the last like moment of Shedding all the old shit. You lost 80 like I pounds. I got my head right, and then I lost 80 pounds. So yeah, because I gained up. 80 pounds sitting on my ass at home. All right, so you just shared a whole bunch of stuff, and I got to just say some yeah. stuff in response. So personally, I don't know if anyone else, how they feel, but listen, I got the borderline personality situation, right? Uh, and uh, so a lot of what you said resonated with me in, like, a lot of ways. Like, I don't know if you really can appreciate how much of what you said resonated in terms of my experiences coping do, with a lot of things. I didn't have that from other people. I didn't have a reference point of people. We didn't come from a time where people would get diagnosed. Right. So people being able to connect to my story, that's why I tell it. Like, I could keep it personal. Nobody needs to know, but like, why it goes to see, but I tell it because somebody else might be going through it. You know what I mean? So and it's but not like, a it's not a death sentence. Like it's not the end of a social life. Like, like nah, once you learn like, how to manage it, it's an advantage. It. I 
I now consider it my greatest gift, not my curse. Yeah, I Yo, literally the I use mind, the logical mind I get from combating it makes me observe situations from an aspect that most people don't see. Life is a game of chess to me because my brain, when you have what we have, depending on the symptoms you get, like right. Yeah, so no, part like of anxiety. Really, is really dog, I feel future. like talking to you. Like I feel like in a sense, the way you think, the logic patterns that you follow. Even like you listen, you know what the hardest part about growing my team in life is? It's trust. It's trust yep. that I. So my, my here's like my girlfriend asked me, uh, "Do you need to check this?" And and like you know keywords, just whatever, setting up the video, making it look nice. And I'm like, "Do I have to?" Like you know, like like I had to think about it. Like no, that's the whole point of delegation is is honestly not to check everything and. Uh, to kind of like move past that kind of like vibe and to learn how to let other people make decisions that are in your benefit because they got your back because and so like you were describing an element of that even the agoraphobia part in my 30s dude i really am okay doing this on meets for the rest of my life i'm gonna buy a zoom dude that's how down i am for this online because the idea of actually being around a constant wave of new people and yo listen i could do like a one a week in person I could I could be ready, but yo, it's a whole mental preparation, right? You got to get in a vibe. I use a copious amount Think of about weight. all my networking. That's what I was saying. Getting back to you know when I was networking in the clubs, and all the shows, the events that I kicked it with all these artists. That was great moments. But do nobody realize how hard it was for me to be in a group of people, like constantly in a crowd of people and being around and feeling like I'm on display because every I'm analyzing every move. I yo, make uh, no, hoping no, I'm like, not being judged. So I don't even it. think the people might because you know, some people are going to hear what we're saying and they're going to connect. But for the people that don't necessarily understand what we're talking about, it is like literally everything. Like my eye keeps shifting because I need to make sure the clock is ticking and the stream didn't break because what yeah. happens if the stream breaks? And then I look over there. Is it totally fine? Is it cool? And then, you know, it's just every detail. Did, did, did the chat move? Did, did this happen? And it's, it's like, you know, I have to learn as I keep doing this to let go and to have trust. Cause yo, I got moderators literally in the chat for the whole purpose of letting me know if shit gets fucked up, believe it or not. And I'm still fucking, I, it's going to take me years. Maybe, maybe it could be six months. I don't know. But it's like a lot of what you said is facts to me. Like a lot of what you said is, is powerful. Dude, I, there's a lot of, yo, I'll tell you the stuff that comes with it. There's a lot of bridges. I thought I burned that I never burned. I thought it because my borderline personality sort of had me going, nah, man, that person doesn't call me anymore, so they don't fuck with me anymore. Oh, my God. So, I relate to me, that, too. Me and, me and Rough Sound didn't speak for, like, seven years, and it was never a beef. I just spoke – when I spoke to him recently, I'm like, I tell him this, right? And I'm like, you know, I wasn't in the right state of mind. I thought everybody didn't fuck with me no more. And he's like, are you fucking kidding me, bro? It's like, when are we doing something? Because – you let yourself get into your own head. I It took a long time for me to be in the right state of mind because the idea of being on social media and promoting music and putting it out there, listen, I'll give a perfect example. On Stop Front and on the video, there's a YouTube comment. Somebody wrote, oh, that dude needs a stylist. Yo, that comment offended the fuck out of me. It's so inconsequential. <laughs> but that, yo, one YouTube comment, and I was like, fuck, you telling me I can't dress, motherfucker? Like, so you it's hard being an artist dealing with that kind of mental disorder because you're dealing with all of that like yeah. the 
the constant allowing people to judge you yeah. is your worst fear. You don't want to be judged. Uh, it took a long – the only thing – see, and that's what rap always helped me because I was like, you can judge whatever the fuck you want, but I can spit, motherfucker. And that became my – that became my confidence booster, right? That became the thing that allowed me to build the self-esteem because I knew I could spit. I knew I could go anywhere and spit a verse and get respect at the very least. So you, we all had our coping mechanisms no, to another, deal with it. So another interesting... fame is always been something I hate. The idea of being famous terrifies me. Like, just... I don't need people watching my moves. I just want people enjoying my music. Like, I swear everything fuck, else, I... even videos, don't come naturally to me. Dude, I fucking all. love what you're yeah. saying because I can relate a lot. You know what's another crazy thing I can relate to? 80 fucking pounds, dog. That's a number that I yeah. fucking personally empathize. Hey, that's fucking dope. But yeah, I know that was legit. 80 pounds or so. I mean, I may have gained back an extra 10 in the stress of the last two weeks, but yo, oh, it's the fucking too. winter. Don't worry, me too. But like, I know that I I'm going to gain the 20, but you know, I'll get back. I'll get back. I'm more confident to get it back now. But that's you the thing, I mean? man. I feel like no matter what, the f even if I gain an extra whatever this whole winter, I know I'm going to be able to take the whole, because, you know, it's fucking Montreal, it's winter. But I know once running season, I got into running. Honestly, running is fucking dope. And once you get into running and you got to do it healthily and you don't fucking push it, Google that shit, couch to 5,000, Google it so you know what the fuck is safe. But I got into running because it's some shit you can actually just start doing. Sure, just jogging until it's running. or Man, it's addictive. And I hit 10K this year. I was able to do a 10K in an hour, just under, because I was a little bit faster than an hour in a 10K according to my Fitbit. So this is all according to my Fitbit. And uh, yo, man, it just changed my whole life. And I know that the next time I go into whatever live performance land, I'm going to be fucking lit. I'm going to be able to fucking do what I got to do to like, booka, 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 or whatever. Yeah, and that's, that's where I'm in the process of now. Like right now, like I'm taking advantage of all this to retrain that because the breath, the, you know, the the, the, the breath control on stage, everything. I'm a, I'm a heavy smoker, man. Like I smoke a lot of cigarettes, but yeah. I, I smoke weed and cigarettes. This so. is my shit, man. See, I hate vapes. I can't do it. I don't. I don't get the enjoyment. Yo, you know, part of smoking. Have you tried? Part of, part have of you tried this trees shit? For me? No, but I'll tell you why. Because part of smoking trees for me is the process of grinding, rolling, mm. lighting up. Like there's a, it goes with. It's like a process for me. That's how I decompress. I you know what I mean? You. That moment where at the end of the day, right? This is nicotine, this guy right here. So this shit's nicotine yeah. though. And it's fucking mm -hmm. fire. Like this guy, I get it. This guy, I get it. This guy, he's expensive. This guy's some premium fucking shit. If you haven't tried this Vipe crap, I would recommend just copping one real, like, you know, try it. You know what I, it is for me? It's because once I quit, I want to quit. I don't want to replace it. See that's the problem. I have a lot of friends that switch to vape, and it's like what you don't realize is you're just switching one habit for yeah, another. Whether like, one is better or not, it doesn't really, make a difference. So here's the thing: it makes it. one to me. It made one big difference. I'm a vocalist, and actually, at the end of the day, I have I have a higher pitch now. I can go. I can sing better, and like my breath capacity went way the fuck up. And ninety oh, yeah, percent of that is like that. But you know, here's the problem with addiction: because cigarettes is an addiction. At the end of the day, if you only swap it out for one other, you're you're just it's temporary. To no, me, like this I, is just I, like a I've quit a lot of different things. Like the same thing when I quit caffeine and soft drinks and stuff like that. You quit like, caffeine? You have to go through the withdrawal. Oh yeah, that, well that was part of losing the weight. I used to drink like a two liter of Pepsi a day, easily. Uh, 
Like, I walk around the house with that shit, that bottle. I didn't pour myself a glass. I just drank that shit. Like, I had a serious Pepsi caffeine sugar addiction. And you don't even realize you're addicted until you don't drink it and you get headaches for four days because you're going through withdrawal from sugar and caffeine. Like, but cigarettes for me is the same thing. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm either going to stop or I'm not, but I can't halfway. If I go to vape, I'll smoke cigarettes again because the, the, the routine that goes with it is going to be the same principle. I, if I still vape after I eat, it's the same as me smoking a cigarette after I eat mentally. So, Even the health, health differences aside, mentally, it's not going to help me get over what I need to get over to quit cigarettes like I want to. So, you know. I, I bought I the patches that. a month ago. I still have them in the bag. Like I never even used them yet. Like, but I like that you know what I mean. Like I keep saying I'm gonna do it, but but I like that you shared eventually. that stills, right? Because it's it's important, I guess, also just to acknowledge that my way is not your way, right? And it's important for like, absolutely. And so having same a for mental health, though, right? Mental health is not one size fits all. Look, exactly. I don't take medication for borderline personality disorder. I should. I substitute with actual weed and. I had a discussion with my doctor where I was like, listen, this is what I'm doing. He's like, listen, I get, I want you to know the risks. And we went over all that shit. You know what I mean? Because there is a risk of mismanagement in terms of still having those extreme emotions. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's not what I would recommend for everybody. Because for me, weed calms my anxiety. For some people, it gives them anxiety. There's no one size fits all. You have to do the work. For me, anybody I can, but the best thing I can recommend to somebody who has mental health disorders is get diagnosed and work on it. Get a therapist if you need to or a psychologist, but it, it needs to be addressed because the longer it lingers, you're hurting people around you without even realizing it. And then you're hurting yourself. And sometimes people are hurting yourself, but it's not physical. Like you're hurting your own emotions. You're hurting your relationships. You're, you're going to put roadblocks where there shouldn't be, and it's going to stunt your growth. And it's manageable. Like borderline personality disorder comprises 67 symptoms from 67% of known psychoses, which means that nobody's experience is the same because it's drawing symptoms from different diseases. It's not a one and done. You should not. So there's no one solution for it. And everybody's got to learn to manage that their own way. But I recommend professional help play a part of it. I did group therapy for a while. Like I wouldn't do, I didn't want to do the one-on-ones. I didn't want to hash out my whole life, but I did group therapies for a while. It gave me perspective because sometimes mm. with this type of problem, you lack perspective on situations. You're only seeing it from the emotional angle that your brain is convincing you is there. You see things. I, I see things in a conversation. Somebody says a comment and that sticks with me for six months because I'm going, what did they mean by that? Like you start doubting the authenticity of people's words that innate doubt that you create if you don't learn how to manage that well guess what nothing and no relationship you have is going to be meaningful because you can't connect you can't really connect you have to be willing to accept those things and it the support system around you matters i had a person in my life that would gaslight me like would always make me feel like if i had a bad a reaction even when it was a normal reaction, it made me feel like it was extreme. So I doubted myself more. I was like, fuck, well, I have this problem that makes me exaggerate or extreme, go to extreme emotions. Maybe it's that. And you start blaming yourself. No, that person was actually wrong. It took a long time for me to be able to learn how to tell the difference now. Like, I know when I'm acting, cr- not. I don't want to say acting crazy because crazy dismissive and nobody deserves that term. But 
I know when I'm acting off kilter. I know when I'm off balance. I know when the, the, the chemical imbalance is playing a factor. I've learned to be self-aware. But that's not something you just do sitting at home deciding you're going to be self-aware. And a lot of people think that's the case. Now, I don't ever want to give that. I did a lot of work on my own without the therapy, but that doesn't substitute getting real help. Talk to somebody. Like these are subjects that matter dearly to me and in the future will be a part of not necessarily rollouts because I don't want to necessarily, like, I don't want to market. I don't want to market that. I want to do that to help people from nah, experience. We're probably going to make like, a nice little clip out of this, dude. Because, yo, big yeah. facts, just for myself, man, like, I don't know. I guess at a certain point, like, it became comfortable to start talking about it publicly. I think it's all just so the way the world is. It's just it's just easier to say that. Plus, you enough people scared of the stigma. But it's That's also like problem. enough people. Are people just... will not fuck with you. They think you're like. Let's put it this way: because bipolar is the term that's used more. I don't want to interrupt, but this is a good point right here. Bipolar is a term that's used more. Like borderline personality disorder is known a lot less in terms of like general knowledge to people. So they most people who have what we have get false diagnosis bipolar. Mm. Now, when you tell somebody you're bipolar and they're just getting to know you, that might be the end of that relationship right there because people assume you're going to be problems. That's huge. There's eh? a stigma. So our self-esteem didn't allow us as, and as men, you're taught to not be weak. So we see it as a sign of weakness. The mental health issue is a weakness to some people. It's not like it's a chemical imbalance. It's all it is. We're all built differently. Our brain chemistries are going to differ. We're going to have different reactions. But at the end of the day, it's so important to talk to people about it. My friends all know. Like I, I never hid it from my friends. I would tell my friends. I would say, yo, sometimes if I overreact, I'm sorry. Like I'll tell you right now, like ahead of time, even before yo, there's an argument. I do that now. They just know. Like anybody you know? that I'm gonna get close to, like I'm not gonna do that with just like acquaintances, especially like random no, people. No, exactly. it's not gonna be like I just met you on the street. I'm gonna tell you like, I'm borderline. I'm, I'm totally willing to like put it out like this because the fact is, anybody that's gonna interact with this kind of a piece of content is either invested in one of us, and therefore it's a valuable whatever, right? But um, yeah. at the end of the day, uh, I realized <laughs> in myself a lot of the th same things that you you said, and like. I have to like hit up people I'm like, yo, like if I think somebody's going to be like in my life, I almost have like a screening period, a little trial run maybe before I'm willing to let my heart and soul commit to that person. Because honestly, I just don't know how to tell the difference for a long time. What is real and what's burned. Once you get burned a couple of times, it compounds the emotion that comes with it. Yeah. So now like, you get burned a few, it doesn't take much. It takes, it takes a few situations. Think about it. You want to spin into a full meltdown? You need one friend to fuck you over. Just one. Somebody you trust. Yeah. One girl, one relationship to fuck you over. Just one. And then even... one family member. You have that trifecta right there. You're heading for breakdown city if it happens to you without you learning how to deal with it. You don't have the tools to emotionally deal with that. Because now the three aspects the three circles in your life that intertwine that create the life you experience have all shown you that you can't trust anybody if you have no trust in nobody that's why i'm, I'm lucky my my best friends have been my same best friends for 25 years the same dudes i run with the only people i'll talk to every other day like 25 years i trust them with my life but I, not everybody's that lucky and i've had a lot of friends outside of that circle that, that fucked me over
So, but I know I have a home base, I have a core, and I have something I can really depend on. Uh, you know, a place to ground me. You know what I mean? And those those are important. The support team means everything. My little brother is only three years younger than me, but he's like my best friend. Right. Because he gets me. He's seen the fucking worst. He's seen shit my friends haven't seen. He's seen arguments with my mom when I was a kid. He's seen the temper tantrums. He's seen the worst sides of me, but always stuck by me. And he's very different than me. I was a street kid. He was like work, 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 work. Like, I got to get a job. I got to advance. I got, yeah, he's ambitious. He built a life for himself. I was chasing a dream. So we were very, very different. But those differences now, like the age difference is small enough that there's no difference. It's like my best friend. But at least I got people I can count on to not judge me. Now, they'll tell me when I'm fucking wrong. You know what I mean? Like, is that people think like, well, they don't judge me. Not judging you does not mean letting you get away with shit. You got to call your people on your shit. Like, we called each other out. All my friends will call me on my shit. If I'm fucking wrong, I'm wrong. Like, you got to have those people in your life. Because guess what? You're going to be mad at them some days. Yeah. It can might I, hurt to hear it. Can, I just, like, hear it. can I just interject one thing? I Let's say yeah. you're one of the people that this is really, like, helpful towards. Let's say you go on that journey and you start that process and you find it painful and complicated. It just, for me at least, it took a very, 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 very long time. Like, I'm talking, like... A long eight nine years i became aware of what borderline was in my early 20s because of my father um and so it just allowed me to and at the same time i had been in psych course so it was just like learning what cognitive behavioral therapy was at that time in my life allowed me to really like dodge a lot of bullets because by the time i'm like 33 now i'm a little calm and cool not great but calm and cool compared to like what i would have been 10 years ago and uh a lot of it is one just, day at a time, bro. They tell that okay. to alcoholics, but it applies to everything. It's one like, fucking day at but, a time. And if you mess up, the the best advice. So I, I know this guy a lot. Like my my big boss at work, like big boss. Like he's a very significant person. And the best advice he gave to me is, if you fuck up, it's okay. That was like the most important thing he felt he had to tell me. Of everything he could have told me is, and I mean, that's why I'm sharing it with everyone because it's fucking a good piece of advice for this moment is. When you fuck up, it's okay. It's okay. You're allowed. You're allowed to fuck up. And I think that's the hardest thing yeah. for me right now is learning that lesson that you're allowed to fuck up. It's like you, yeah. you can't you can't be perfect all the time. Even if my brain is constantly being like, you got to be fucking perfect. You got to be the best. Like, oh, my God, the number went down. Oh, my God, the this. And this is like a, for me, especially on Twitch, it's a whole fucking new world. And then there's my corporate life where I'm actually possibly – getting promoted like it's not like a secret it's just not a confirmation type thing but just yeah. my life is in that journey and yo it's all new and it's huge and it feels like so it's like i don't know and then simultaneously everyone's like loving me and i'm like yo what the fuck why does everybody want to know me now <laughs> i mean and i get see, it that's the thing. you have what we have and you start achieving notoriety and respect you question every you're like why because it plays into us a low self-esteem that we get from being but, hard on ourselves. Like, but I'm blessed. You got to accept the love. I have to, learn, I have to learn oh to gosh. accept the love. I swear I've been saying that every day. Like every day I try to remind myself. I swear. 
that I I need to accept that these are sincere people being sincere to me because it's not like this is a random moment in life. I did work almost every day for the last four years to be in this conversation with you, right? It, like it's a, it's a sequential yeah. effort, and I don't even like feel like I try. I, I feel like I failed. Is the truth? Like I look at blah blah blah, but then I'm like, no, that's the most stupid shit ever. This is my life. This is the dopest shit ever, right? And I'm able to like take the moment and and do it a lot faster. It used to take me, honestly, it used to take me like a month, two months, six months. Now I can get it like honestly, sometimes under a minute, and I'm real proud of that. Sometimes, not all the time. Sometimes I brood for hours and my girlfriend calls me like all sorts of goofy names and lets me know she loves me the way she does. I'm grateful for her, y'all. Without her, and honestly, I see Spades is in the chat. Spades has been holding it down for real on my life. Like, uh, he's a soldier. We're like four hours in. Yo, but like, like, Spades yeah. has started some Montreal hip hop shit to work with me. He's like, shut up, dude. It's us. And I'm like, yo spades for real dude like wow like in my heart and soul it's like i have to like accept these are real things right and like, yo for real dude he's doing top 10 montreal list we gonna fucking try to honestly when you were describing that shit before it's like spades is trying to bring that back and i know spades knows what all this shit is and i'm like okay i see what the fuck you're doing now so you you just you just like co-sign a lot of what I see Spades trying to do right here right now in terms of being in the city. And yo, Bonnie can get shouted out every day of the week. You know Bonnie has made an advent calendar, right? I don't know if you've seen any of them, but this I shit is yes. nuts. I'm very impressed. Very very impressed. I'm blown away, good, dude. It is like the most magical shit. Um, I, I feel like listen. I want to keep talking forever and ever and ever. It's eleven thirty. And I do actually yep. have work tomorrow, which is unfortunate. But I also got to eat because I'm fucking hungry. And I just think this has been a magical conversation. This was a cool moment. Um, I really liked it. I want to talk to you again in the future. I think there's yeah, a whole bunch of shit. Definitely. And then, you know, I'm sure you'll have made more realizations and epiphanies and all sorts of good shits by then. But, yo, on that note, I'm going to move into the outro where, again, I graciously thank you for these moments, man. Like, this is a really cool conversation. And I look at it like life is canonical content. Like, this is some shit that is going to it's gonna be relevant in 10 years, dude. So it's going to be dope. This is just shit we created that is trying to capture history. Now, that's my goal with this. And you really helped play a part in that, man. Do you know how many times Don Smooth's name has come up in recent moments on my fucking channel? That is taking Don Smooth. That, make- man, that man deserves his flowers. There is no Montreal hip-hop scene without the contribution of Don Smooth. His contribution, his presence for years, he held us down when there was nobody else. He was our, you know, uh, you know, our, our, our Charlemagne, our breakfast club, our, like, they, he was that, like. Yes, Spades, it's what you said. Don Smooth. <laughs> But also, like, Blaster's name comes up. Shades of Culture comes up. You know what, dude? Prior to doing these interviews, I didn't know who any of... Preachankobia is the man who schooled me. Let's give all flowers where it's due. He gave me a two-hour Montreal history lesson. And in two hours, we went from 95-ish to 99. And he rambled. And I... Dude... He basically like was like you gotta learn how to cut into the conversation. He 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 was like that's you gotta learn how to. But yo, I couldn't say shit, dude. He dominated me. It was a two hour monologue from spe- from preach. And let me be real with you, go on his Twitch, follow it, forever preach underscore underscore or whatever. 
that shit is worthless. He'll just like fucking talk at you while you're working and it's a better part of your fucking day. Bro, that is preaches all energy. When he used to invite me over to his crib back in the day, like he would just give me jewels and jewels. Mm. And like, yo, you want to record something? Let's record something. Like preach made me a part, however affiliate I was to crime in the city. That blessing was great because I wanted to be a part of something and my group wasn't really active at the time. And I always loved being a part of collective. Being part of crime in the city gave me access to UNES, gave me, you know, a, a familiar bond with a lot of dope MCs. So, mm. yo, that's part of the greatest moments of my career. Like, Honestly, is always been that. For real He's though, even, even the idea of being at the point where I have a team that I'm working with and having YouTube clips that are coming from this conversation down the line, all that good shit, is because of that dude taking time to share some wisdom with me. So I want to give him that love. But yeah, on that note, I want to thank everybody for watching for real. But thank you again, dude. This was a great conversation. I love all the tensions. It makes it like you could be a regular, regular, like fucking pop on. Like, uh, you know, that could Maybe be fun. <laughs> that sounds fresh. Because, you know, what? I realize cancellations are a thing. And I need, like, a real short list of people who can, like, shoot the shit on a moment's notice if it comes down like that. And you seem like a fucking great dude for dude, that. Anytime, bro. We can talk about anything. Like, dude, I'm That's not fresh, limited. Man. Like, we, we didn't have any conversation, bro. But, like, um, we've covered the history now. Now we got plenty of future <sighs> things to talk about. Fantastic. I love the energy. Um. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate that. I'm a fan of your comments, man. You are a love giver, and I appreciate that. I still don't really know how to pronounce your name, but I appreciate your comment. And people on the internet see it. Rico Blocks. Not Rico your name. Uh, the guy in the comment oh. that gave love to it, the stream. Oh. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to was give like, love. Wait, okay, you, so Z you know it why is. Funny? No, you know why I had that tendency? Because I fucked with the French scene a lot, and they butchered my name every or time. Or de Stéphane Roy. That's what I get. Uh, anyway, uh, but yo, thank y'all for watching. Appreciate you being here. I freaking like all of y'all. For real, the fact that we're at like a number of five, and this, okay, cut an hour off the stream, but four hours and 22 minutes, this is right up there. I don't know if it's number one in length, but it's right up there with like neck and neck with like fucking two of them. That's fucking dope. My energy's fucking pumped i'm probably not even gonna be able to sleep for an hour so thank you again thank you all for fucking watching for real reals uh all the comments feel free to leave them because yo you know there's gonna be a part twos etc so when you see this on youtube fully edited cleaned up etc leave your comments if you see it on facebook hit share then go look at it on youtube and leave a comment because people don't really seem to watch it on facebook it'll be on spotify at some point all the places follow it wherever you're at special thanks to the patrons ismail gadamsey chris prado jonathan barnes dj black hurricane linda williams and scribble they're dope they support us patreon.com slash behind that suit if you want to show some financial love everybody um and then yeah uh yeah that's that's it live long and prosper everyone shout out to everybody in Whoop. the chat man Thank